Albuquerque's macro aggression, Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. I'm Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk on AM1600, KIVA, BQ.FM, rockoftalk.com, 550-5500, glad to be here with you for another extravaganza, a Friday afternoon programming, your calls and texts, we are looking live here at Kiva Radio, 550-5500, don't forget, if you want to look live, you can do so on rockoftalk.tv, Roku TV, is it Roku, Roku, I like Roku TV, I have a Rock of Talk TV, how about uh, Amazon Fire, Apple TV as well, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and uh, our apps? Yes, I control all the apps right from here. Uh, Rudy, I don't know what to do. So you're going to have to call in directly if you want to give the, the traffic. I'm not sure what's going on, but uh, no, no connection. Uh, so we can't get Rudy in, but uh, we're going to try and do what we can when we can. So another day here without traffic, but uh, he's hanging out over at Monty's Cigar Shop. Please go patronize. Uh, Monty's Cigar Shop. Go get a go get a gar over at his place and uh, hang out with him. Check out the humidor. Maybe join the Burka Lounge or any of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, as you all know, I am uh, running for mayor. I wanted to again reiterate the rules. I will afford equal opportunity uh, time uh, for same format live call-in program uh, to my competitors in the race. I do not have to mention them. Uh, I am not mentioned on other uh, facilities, so that should be stated to each and every person out there. And uh, I'm getting lots of negative publicity, which I love. Uh, <laughs> it really is kind of funny. I enjoyed the uh, University of New Mexico Lobo football game last night. My good friend, uh, Danny Gonzalez, uh, grew up playing soccer with the guy, and he got his first win in the stadium with spectators. And I just have to say it was a pretty good turnout. Felt like more than 15,000. Uh, we're going to be filling that stadium up in about a year's time, if not less, if not before the year is out. And uh, Danny, congratulations to you, sir. Um, he's a member with me over at the Albuquerque Country Club, and I certainly enjoy uh, seeing him all the time and his uh, beautiful family. Um, I'm not talking about the other competitors in the race uh, at all, uh, saying that I don't get any uh, stuff. I'm getting lots of negative stuff uh, also from my competition as far as radio, uh, I want to remind them that it is illegal to dump anybody who would come on and mention my name. Uh, so you are been put on notice uh, every single time that happens and someone is recording your phone call, as is known as electioneering. Now, what I am doing is not electioneering because I'm affording equal time to my competitors and uh, I can certainly ask for money. You're welcome to go ahead and donate money. I can also do that by FCC regulations. And all you have to do is go to fightfor505.com. That's fightfor505.com. Now, I don't think, uh, let's see, Dowd must be, Dowd is uh, hanging out with the dogs out in Corrala. So we may or may not see him uh, during this broadcast. But uh, this is wide open. I'm just going to talk more about mayoral stuff. I'll take your calls. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be uh, uh, sort of a wind down Friday here uh, for many of you. A lot of you are, are traveling out of town. Uh, this is the highest gas prices have ever been. I want to remind you, uh, stay safe. Don't drink and drive. Don't get up to uh, all these places uh, and uh, decide to take any sort of risk. So be safe out there. Remember, everyone's looking uh, forward to going other places as well. So I am running for mayor, uh, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Very, 
eventful so far. I have yet to be served uh, formally by uh, the people who are trying to charge me with living illegally. I appreciate people who are stopping in and say, hey, you ready, Eric? Oh, I see you all the time. Boy, they're really coming after you. Like, I'm getting lots and lots of support, and that is actually pretty fun. So um, let's see. Right now, Eddie, uh, a Valencia County deputy show was shot twice in the leg. Suspect is dead. High-speed chase started. Westbound Highway 6 ended on 314 in Las Lunas. So I'm late breaking news uh, right there. So um, uh, my funny guy saying, light it, don't hide it, Rudy. Park it, don't spark it, bro. That's pretty funny. Uh, this is the best part of my day. Eddie, you're on. So anyway, here we are. You're welcome to go ahead and bring in any and all questions. And let's do this. 550-5500. That's 550-5500. And uh, I will be here all by my lonesome. It looks like uh, for the duration of this broadcast, which I'm totally fine with. I've done, I did radio literally by myself for three years, which I actually enjoy. So yesterday in the Jessica Dyer stuff, and I'm going to be sharing it with the people who are in Telegram and and people who are on that. You are welcome to splatter this all over the damn place. My answers uh, to uh, these questions that are coming in. We got through the first part of it uh, over the course of uh, three hours, and I appreciated uh, your attention. And some of you brought that. Uh, David was very... Uh, passionate, he uh, redirected, and you know a lot of you guys can do that on talk radio. But here's here's kind of one I want to review is these are the questions that are coming from the Albuquerque Journal. Yeah, Rudy, I don't know what's going on. He's texting me saying communication error. I don't know. I don't know what's going on out there. So just call in, and I'll take your call, and we can do traffic. So if you want to call in uh, to uh, five fifty fifty five hundred, Rudy, and and do that. So we covered the following questions. Okay, what is the biggest issue facing the city? I discussed my five C's. What are your strategy for reducing violent crime? I talked about uh, literally going after all crime and how to do that. Our, my strategy for reducing property crime, I addressed that. Um, and, and we can go a myriad of ways, too, if you really want to start splitting hairs. ABD continues operating in the U.S. Department of Justice Agreement. I ad- addressed that. Uh, 31% of the city's general fund, I took that question apart and I addressed that. And then uh, with... More police officers nationwide leaving the profession. What would you do to retain Albuquerque Police Department officers? And my question, I mean, my answer to that immediately is stop blaming the national trend. You know, at some point you have to stop passing the buck on everything. You have elections for a reason because you want to hold the local people accountable. What are we hearing right now from a lot of people? We're hearing that, oh, run for school board, run for, I don't know, neighborhood association, just get involved, change your neighborhood, you know. All politics is local, you know. You don't do that when you continue, when you continue to do what you do and blame a sort of a, a malaise uh, of things that are happening across the country. You know, it's not the dismal tide, and we're not just jumping in. Uh, oh, doubt I changed my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did think that I was not going to be here, but we're not getting much airtime, so I've got to take as much airtime as you have. So, yes, I'll be doing a third hour. Doubt. So, Dad, Dad will be here. So we want to move away from blaming any national trend. We want to take ownership insofar as we can. So if I were to be your mayor and I come in, I say the first day, well, you know what? Crime's going to get worse. You know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they've got a point. And uh, let's just go ahead and march down, you know, the whatever with them. And, and, and that, just wouldn't, that just wouldn't fly with me ever for any reason <laughs> on any day. It just, it just, it just wouldn't go with me. So, um, we can control what happens to us as much as we can possibly control it. Now, there are things that we have to agree to with the Department of Justice, as we've talked about before. So we can go and press up until that point. But remember, the city of Albuquerque is a party to that. 
city of Albuquerque was a plaintiff in all that, a plaintiff and a party to that. So we are victims of our own telling of our on ourselves, right? The 43, 44, 45 victims who were taken out, uh, victims, quote, quote, victims who were taken out by the Albuquerque Police Department. People looking for lawsuits, like, oh, my gosh, time to sue the Albuquerque Police Department, the city of Albuquerque, so I can get a settlement. Never mind. There was a lot of severe mental issues. That isn't any reason to take somebody out, but in the event that it does, we've seen uh, two uh, particular people. Uh, one was uh, Christopher Torres, uh, who had severe mental health issues. I uh, was a young kid, knew him, uh, his uh, parents, uh, Stephen Torres, uh, good people, by the way. And, uh, you know, they sadly, they lost their son in the backyard. Uh, but Chris was massively schizophrenic and he could not be controlled. Uh, but that wasn't any reason for the Albuquerque Police Department to take him out. So I want to be clear about that. But those, these are the types of things, um, you know, he assaulted somebody in a Garcia's uh, kitchen. He was driving up and down cores, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. Just going crazy. I mean, there was several episodes, and unfortunately, the mental health uh, that he got was not enough to save him, and it led to an altercation. And when, you know, you go to guns and it turns into conflict, well, it's the officers versus there, and they're not exactly examining what's happening to him mentally at that time. They've got to protect themselves and their lives. We, of course, know that there have been four officers uh, who have been shot. So, I don't. I can't pass judgment on what's there, but these things happen. We, of course, know about Boyd, the homeless encampment. We know that he assaulted severely a female police officer. So these are things that got played up, amplified over and over, and sort of led to this Department of Justice decree. Now, we look at this and we say to ourselves, well, how could we have prevented it? How, how could we have done better? Well, doing better, I don't think, and in hindsight is 2020, is going back and locking us down and say, well, we got to get a DOJ decree just like other cities who have done the same thing, and you've seen what happened. Crime just goes up. So we've learned like a DOJ decree is not what we want. And not to mention the people who are running that decree, I think it's important to note, do not live here, aren't here on a daily basis, don't talk to the Albuquerque Police Department on a daily basis, yet they have entire control over our Albuquerque Police Department. That's a problem. That is an absolute problem. So we have to expedite our cooperation with the Albuquerque or the Albuquerque Police Department, the city of Albuquerque, have to expedite, really excel their level of cooperation so we can drive them out of there. Okay? Now, we know better than you. No, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. If we can do that, then we can go back to policing ourselves. Okay? You can't take this sort of renegade uh, type of approach and say, well, you know, we're going to uh, not comply with anything you're saying. Well, it's like we're going to comply and we want you the hell out of here. Uh, thank you very much and put a smile on your face and say, okay, you're good. You're good. We're good. All right. Get the hell out of here. Let us run our own police department. That's where we need to get to. It's going to take some years. Now, let's continue here. Engaging the DOJ, accelerate compliance, fight them, remove them. Improve morale of the officers, stop targeting officers. 90 police officers, as I told you, have already retired. Reform federal court. The agreement can't be modified or changed at this time. These are all my answers. So, um, I talked about overtime yesterday. I think everybody understands what that is. For most of the people, including on our telegram, they state that crime is job one. We have two people who are trying to address that, who are both running for the same position that I am, mayor, who can go and address it. One is sheriff and the other one can address it as mayor. And they get all the time that they want to go ahead and talk about this and literally manufacture stats right there in front of your face and not let an opposing opinion come, which I would have. 
So when I talk about 46%, right, reduction in four years and in, in the number of uh, vehicles that have been stolen, but you look at it and you're like, well, technically you're looking at only 1,400 less vehicles stolen. And during a time of COVID, uh, can you really take credit for that? Well, partially, and only from the standpoint that the department itself for uh, car theft is resourced and staffed. Okay, so let's, by contrast, just for review, like we covered yesterday, when it comes to the gang unit, the gang unit has one person, one person. So what's gone up? Crime, gangs, cartels shooting at hotels, right? You don't have a unit that has been staffed and resourced to the point where we can say, okay, we know that the mayor has done the right thing. We know that crime is out of control. We also know that he has been awfully, awfully lenient towards Black Lives Matter. In fact, Black Lives Matter can walk into his city. In fact, uh, the next break, I'm going to play seven and a half minutes of uh, Tim Keller literally getting his ass handed to him on the 11th floor as Black Lives Matter tells him what to do, how much money they want, and if they don't, here's how it's going to look. I mean, that isn't a man who's standing up for the city of Albuquerque. That's a man that's getting bullied, bullied by a group that's shown itself to be unlawful, non-compliant, if you will, with the laws that are in, and uh, been unable to destroy property. We've seen uh, both uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa. That group, uh, by the way, has since come apart. So let's continue. 418 uh, here in the Kiva. Um, and when I return, we're going to talk about taxes. We're also going to be talking about business and commerce. And I'll take your calls. It's wide open for calls. You guys can call as much as you like about whatever you want. And I'll keep you on the phone. If I see other calls coming in, I'll try to move you along. This is a good opportunity to engage you for as long as you like on some of these topics. If you have something, I mean, I just have random people. Cowboy Bob called me today. You know, he he got my ear and I think he was going to get get me for another 10 minutes. I mean, I can only go so long because I'm in the middle of my day, too. But I will take your call and you can call me anytime. 550-5500. That's 550-5500 right here in the Kiva. And we'll be back in four. I'm Nancy Giblin, owner of Sugar Hollow, a boutique residential assisted living community in the historic Albuquerque Country Club neighborhood. Dedicated to exceptional care for your loved one, Sugar Hollow provides daily wellness activities that engage the mind, body, and spirit. Join us for Happy Hour Fridays, Sugar Hollow style, featuring local musicians playing tunes your loved ones will recognize and enjoy. Visit Sugar Hollow by calling 270-0801. Boutique style assisted living, 270 Music is the great computer on makeascom.com. Sometimes we just need a pick me up. Makeusgodlyagain.com. Ready for some adventure? Then explore our new array of Lear's superior camper shells and tonneau covers at Smith's Ultimate Linings. Fiberglass base rails, trimless edges, DuPont automotive finish. Enjoy safety and superior advantages Lear offers. We'll even take $100 off with a purchase of a shell and liner. Visit our website at smithsultimate.com or call us at 505-332-1403 to begin your journey today with Smith's Ultimate Linings. 
Albuquerque-based Pluma Construction Systems provides a full suite of commercial construction services and residential remodeling. Pluma Construction is a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. Former President Ronald Reagan said, To grasp and hold a vision, that is the very essence of successful leadership. Leaders set a destination. Leaders have a vision. They communicate that vision. They are passionate about their vision. They make sure everyone in their organization understands the vision. Their vision attracts and affects every employee in the workplace. Do you know your destination? Does your team know your destination? President Reagan also said, The challenge of statesmanship is to have the vision to dream of a better, safer world and the courage, persistence, and patience to turn that dream into reality. What is the vision for your company? This Leadership Minute was brought to you by Pluma Construction Systems. To discuss your construction project, call 505-345-0755 or visit plucys.com. Hey, it's Eddie Aragon. The staff at ABQ Guns stands for your Second Amendment rights, but they believe other freedoms are under attack by the governor's orders. Small businesses are bearing the weight of those health orders, and ABQ Guns believes she owns our state's economic collapse. ABQ Guns urges you to shop local for firearms, ammo, and accessories. Stop by the shop in Riverside Plaza, on Coors, north of Montano, or visit shop.abqguns.com. ABQ Guns, defenders of your freedom. Want the honesty, affordability, and reliability of a household plumber without the crack? Call Rogers Plumbing and Heating, family-owned and operated since 1973, for all your plumbing needs. Reaching Albuquerque, Baylor, Moriarty, Santa Fe, New Laguna, Pueblo, and anywhere in between. Rogers Plumbing and Heating is not only fast and reliable service, being family-owned and operated since 1973 means they always put their customers first and hold each of their employees to the highest moral, professional, and ethical standards. So when you need a fix without the crack, call Rogers Plumbing and Heating at 243-9703. Amazing Grace Personal Care Services is companion care at a reasonable rate, including mobile assistance, meal preparation, household services, cognitive assistance, and support services, and more. 505-796-4900. That's 505-796-4900. Hi, this is Mark Minicucci with the Minicucci Insurance Agency. We are privately held and locally owned. We market property and casualty insurance products and risk management services primarily to a variety of companies located within New Mexico and the surrounding states. We are able to meet the needs of a large international company as well as small local businesses. We focus on construction, onshore energy, defense contractors, healthcare, professional liability, and a variety of other industries. Call us today at 883-3683. 883 3683. All right, let's put things together and we're going to start with the weather. I know the clouds are out there, but very slight chance of rain out of those today, which is fairly good news. 89 degrees at the rock top. As far as the roadways, look at, looking at I 40, we have some police activity westbound I 40 right there at it's between Carlisle and uh, University, uh, but no lanes are blocked, so that's the good news. And also the drive looks like it's okay. On the northbound side of I-25, a little start shut out by the Cesar Chavez, but nothing to worry about. It's easily loosen up for you by the time you get to coal. And looks like the drive in uh, Rio Rancho is still okay. Odds are a little bit tight as you make your way around Capizan up to Southern. Hey, listen, I'm at Monty Cigar Shop. Love to see you out here today. How about a Macanudo? Maybe the Particus. Well, we can figure out which one is best for you. They've got over 2,000 types of cigars. At Monte Cigar Shop, we're on San Mateo, just north of Comanche. And with that, we're up to date. Let's head back into the rock and talk.
right, 424 here in the Kiva. Nice job there, Rudy. Even though he had to do it by a phone, that's totally fine. We don't care. Still sounding good. It's uh, Rudy being Rudy, and, and that is the first traffic report that you heard from Rudy. Right? He's alive. He's he's doing okay, folks. So he's doing better, and it's nice to see him back out. He had to fight that off uh, for four days. Uh, you know, one of the things that I talked a lot about, and I'll just you know kind of read and, and uh, you know kind of go through is five fifty fifty five hundred. Uh, my uh, competitors, I don't have to say their names, that will be afforded equal time. Uh, <clears throat> and this is the same stuff that I did when we did the rollout of the campaign. Uh, for people who don't have a message, uh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> all we have is messages daily. Uh, in crime, reducing in every crime category going forward. Assaults, murders, car theft as well. That will continue uh, what they consider that trend. Uh, forcing longer detainment of criminals. Jails are empty. No bail bondsmen. Stop making officers do their job of the same criminals every 48 hours. No gun buybacks ever. That's right. Zero. I will not let it happen. Criminals have guns. We need to make sure our citizens have uh, guns too. We have to send out the right message. I think that's really key is to send the right message that we're not trying to take the guns back and it's important for you. I mean, if you want to sell an old gun or something, why are you going to sell that back to the government? Why not uh, take it to a store, get it clean, get it fixed? You know, uh, guns are heirlooms, at least in my family they are. You know, your your tata, your nana, your your cousin, your uncle, somebody at some point shot that twenty two, and then it's handed on, and, you know, that's what you do. You pass guns from person to person under uh, the Biden America, and certainly under, remember, uh, one of my competitors, even though he is the highest law enforcement person as sheriff, right, didn't come in until the very last week to go ahead and get behind the red flag gun laws. And it was like, well, red flag gun laws also covered how to exchange guns as well, which in my opinion, you should be able to give a gun to somebody else. Is that a problem? Is that a problem? Apparently for a lot of people it is. The criminals have the guns. We need to make sure our citizens have guns too. Force longer detainment of uh, drivers with THC in their system. I doubt anybody will talk about that. Schedule one drugs. In fact, a lot of these uh, quasi-conservatives, some of them you know, on the radio and media, oh, I'm conservative, but I also dispense THC. I also dispense marijuana. Making money. Donating large bills, dollar-dollar bills, y'all, to Shaluhan uh, Grisham. Stage officer pay, remove overtime, 20 million paid out. I, I already went over that with you guys yesterday. And uh, you guys are welcome to download that, share that. Please, please, please. Uh, no settlement policy with attorneys and have the city of Albuquerque collected, uh, cut, protect its officers. Excuse me. Block qualified immunity. I don't know if we can do that, but we got to try as hard as we possibly can uh, to make sure that our police officers uh, know that we are standing behind them. We need to support our police. I think we went out uh, for a long time to talk about, you know, crimes against children yesterday. Uh, you know, some of the the biggest stains in this community uh, certainly are the unsolved unsolved crimes, Victoria Martins uh, being what the most notable of those, especially underage. Increase the average salary of APD officers. That actually ties directly into the overtime. Give them take-home cars, other benefits. Make every effort to work around the non-cooperation of ICE detainers. Those ICE detainers will just get right around those things. Work behind the rallies. we got to make sure that we're doing that. Okay. Some people think that it's not going to be above board. That's fine. Are we solving crime? That's the key. I don't really want to ta start talking about equity and civil rights and all that when crime is this far out of control. I am not a statist. But what I will tell you is 
when we're prioritizing a list of needs, you know, right at the very top, making a safer community, I don't think we're worried about a criminal civil rights, especially if there's a long history with that criminal. Yeah, that's not the first thing on the board. Uh, should be carefully considered, uh, especially when outing them. But there are some dirty scumbag attorneys that will do everything they can to say that you can't do this, that, and the other with their quote-unquote client. Where's that dirty money paying those attorneys, huh? Those big fancy houses. Fancy, fancy. Uh, we'll work with federal agencies behind the scenes, feed them information, help them crack down on crime and cartel infestation, improve the morale of our APD being job one. We'll not cooperate with red flag gun laws ever. Ever, right? Means APD. I wonder how many times I'm going to get sued for the things that I do. I think that's going to be one of those that's going to be very interesting. They're going to throw me into court. I'll never be throwing anybody into court because that's not what I do. Fights on the field. You know what happens when they, you know, they're coming back at me for my domicile, my residence. You know what happens when you lose the argument? You take somebody to court, right? It's like, ah, I'm going to throw some money at it and see if I can go ahead and figure out the other way. And then you stay in court and you lose and you stay and you. You still keep going. You're like, you're banging your head. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. Now, uh, you know, one of our candidates uh, who's competing against me is, is what? I shouldn't even say that's a competition, to be quite honest. I mean, can you imagine someone can't even get themselves running their campaign? You want to go ahead and how are you going to run the city? I think that's a, a good question uh, for that. You got to take out Tim Keller. That's it. The name of the game, job one, remove Tim Keller from office. This has been almost the worst four years in the history of Albuquerque. I can't qualify that, so I'm not going to say it is the worst, but I would say that it's on the cusp of possibly being that. And accelerate compliance with DOJ actively managed, moving them out of our police department. Now, 550-5500, if you want to go ahead and uh, jump into the uh, program, I appreciate uh, all the texts that are coming in uh, via both Telegram and uh, that are out there. Let's see. Eddie, you will like this. Uh, F. Biden, okay, I appreciate that. Uh, I can't say that on the radio. That's a bad word. Eddie, what do you think the real cost of the stadium will be? Should our current mayor be promoting it? No. By promoting it, you're actively promoting raising taxes. We talked about the difference between uh, general bonds and revenue bonds. I think we got into the, uh, the weeds on that, which I think was important to establish the distinction between the two, and they're establishing that they want to go ahead and issue general revenue bonds. I mean, general bonds, excuse me. I don't think that that's a good way to go here. We need to think about the cost of that stadium. Every single thing that we've ever issued in terms of the cost of a piece of real estate has always underestimated its overall cost of what it's going to be. Between change orders, and, and contractors are notorious for this stuff, right? <clears throat> You establish what the, the scope of work is. Bids are sent out. Bids come back. You want uh, you definitely pick the best contractor for the job, but there's a myriad of characteristics to do it, both uh, internally and externally. You know, reputation. Have you done that type of job before? Uh, low bid prices. Uh, I think uh, part of that reputation is do you have a track record? And then there's things like, Little things that people in, in construction only know, something called a mod factor. Mod factor is a safety factor that you get. So in my dad's construction business, okay, he has a mod factor. And when you have a level of safety that shows that you uh, have performed without accident, I don't know, 1,000 days, 10,000 days, whatever it happens to be, you get chosen. You get chosen because you're less risky on that job, right? I mean, accidents happen. Those turns in, turn into 
multi-million dollar uh, cases. I remember growing up, I think my dad was, I was all of about 14, 13, 14 years of age. I want to say 1988, 1989. You know, I worked on a number of big jobs. My dad, I was, as, as I was growing up, just being a day laborer, you know, punking steel and, you know, swinging a hammer or whatever he needed for me to do, running it, like everything. I did everything out there on the job. I worked on the Kirtland Air Force Base. But one job in particular sticks out to me was the collapse of the Veterans Hospital. Not sure if anybody, anybody remembers the way that that job was pancaked. And the, the cement contractor, due to the way that he poured that particular concrete slab, did not do it evenly. And because of that, I believe it was three people who died. Both my dad was there. Okay, he came after it had collapsed. And my uncle Johnny, as I was telling you about yesterday, was also there. Well, that collapsed and that creates a huge, huge liability. So that's one of the, the, the considerations that happens with a lot of uh, construction jobs. Okay. Uh, I don't know that any preference is ever given to any local. We have a lot of people from out of market that inevitably come in and sort of work as a GC, right? And beat some of our local uh, contractors, unfortunately. You know, the big names here in this town were companies like Jane's, Bradbury and Stam. Um, you know, these are the, the companies that uh, I sort of uh, grew up with. RMCI is a big one. I mean, just good people that ran these. And then all of a sudden, you know, somehow, you know, Davis Bacon and all that sort of sort of crack apart. And then you had people from out of market, even on government jobs sort of coming in. So that's going to be a very important component, especially when you're spending upwards of $50 million to make sure that it is a local preference thing. OK, not that we want it, but we don't know what the actual price is going to be because it's always going to be more than what they expect it to be. Has anybody done a value expectation of what 50 million will cover it? Do we know the price of other stadiums? You know, one of the stadiums next to I bought my property in Avondale, Arizona. The reason why the University of Phoenix Stadium was only $430 million well, is because the land was given to them. You're going to go ahead and make acquisition costs on the real estate. That's a big part. You're creating an assemblage, and that means you're buying residential, industrial, you know, commercial, and you're starting to you know, sort of bring all these pieces together. There's inevitably going to be holdouts, people who don't want to uh, move away from that property, don't want to be a part of that assemblage and allow you to go ahead and buy that property. They hold out, they make the overall price higher as well. So these are a lot of different factors. Uh, thanks for the uh, question, Rick. And uh, let me tell you very quickly on uh, the stadium since uh, you guys are bringing it up and uh, I'll go right to the, the question. <laughs> uh, question 10 from Jessica Dyer, the Albuquerque Journal will be printed. Uh, Eddie, uh, do you support issuing $50 million in gross receipts tax bonds to fund a new multi-purpose soccer stadium for New Mexico United's use. If so, why? Is that the best use of $50 million? If not, why? Number one, no way. Number two, we don't have $50 million. Okay, I don't care if you say it's gross receipts tax that's going to be coming in. No, not with businesses reducing in that. It's not a commodity that we can afford at this time. Two, we don't have $50 million. Three, the soccer team is not successful and is a political arm of our current governor and mayor. Both of those are true statements. No state statements could be truer. Four, the new Sunday Stadium, and all you have to do is look at last Saturday night's, last Saturday night's uh, event over at uh, the, I think it was Phoenix, I think uh, stadium that they had their number one, um, I believe in the division, whatever. 
Um, and Phoenix handed it to, I think they beat uh, the United by one. If you look at that stadium and you're looking at that visually, and no one's looking at it, right? We're not assessing it. It looks just like the new Senda Stadium. Almost zero difference. We already have that stadium that's up there. The other thing I would ask you to consider is the uh, fifth answer that I put down is the Duke City Gladiators have won two championships, okay? United have not won anything. Why not reward a team that's likely to pull as many, if not more people, if you build the stadium for a championship team? So that's my answer to uh, supporting that. And then they ask if the bond passes. Now, I contend that it won't. I don't think it will. I think most people are out. I think people are listening to common sense and good reasoning. I think it's easy to make this argument. To say we don't need the stadium, not now. We didn't have people that were there last year. That was a, a big thing. Half the games are played on the road. We don't need to help, uh, give the capital outlay for this. They've already received $4 million to do a stadium study, and they've got people who are actively working on their behalf. The Duke City Gladiators are not that sophisticated, and that is not an insult to them. They're just more focused on football and getting the job done. They went to an arena that is already uh, out in Rio Rancho. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, if I were the mayor of Rio Rancho, I would do everything I can to change the name of the Duke City Gladiators, given where they play, to call it the, I don't know, Rio Rancho Gladiators, whatever you want to go ahead and do, right? That's up to the organization and the mayor, and, and I think the mayor of Rio Rancho would uh, do well, given that that has now become football country, with the uh, championships uh, for both uh, Rio Rancho uh, High School. And uh, congratulations to Coach David Howes. Uh, way to go last night. Big win. I'm glad, glad to see you saw all those uh, people who were there. He is uh, formerly the head coach, did a Play-by-play call with him. Had a good time out in Las Cruces. We called the 2013 championship for Cleveland High back in the day. And then uh, also congratulations to my good friend, former uh, high school football teammate, uh, Adam Wysong. His son uh, made five catches or six catches last night. True freshman, true frosh uh, that was out there on the field. And Adam also played. He actually played in the Inside.com Bowl. Uh, came up from Western. Uh, he played a little bit with uh, Coach Fianchoni, as I did. I played 93, 94. He came back in uh, the summer of 95, ended up uh, coming over. His sons, this is the type of tradition that we want. His son is playing and uh, made five catches for 48 yards, ran into him last night. Uh, he's uh, Him and his family and his uh, beautiful wife, Beth, are uh, doing what they can to bring even more of their talent here and keeping it here at the University of New Mexico. Uh, in fact, what's really cool is they have another son who I believe is playing at uh, Cleveland High School as well. So, you know, hopefully we can keep, you know, our best, our brightest, our high performers. I was asking Adam last night and, uh, you know, he's uh, kind of I, I don't want to say what type of uh, supporter he is because, you know, when you're carrying the cherry and silver and he just recently started getting involved in, in politics, <laughs> he was telling me some funny stories and you know, he's a good guy. And I appreciate you, Adam, very much. But I'll tell you, it, it, the way that football has gone here in this town um, since, you know, the departure of Rocky Long originally and where we've had to kind of come through and bringing in a big name like, you know, Bob Davey. The guy literally finished with 1,200 seats. 1,200 seats filled in his very last game. Hard to believe that was a former coach of the University of Notre Dame. But I think we are trending with 15, 16,000 we saw last night. We're going to have probably 20, 25, 30,000 before the year's out, if not entirely fill the stadium. would love to get a capacity crowd. Uh, the university, or excuse me, New Mexico State University lost 32-3 last week to uh, the UTEP. Minors are going to be in attendance. So if you can possibly, and the t- tickets are super affordable, folks. So get out there and uh, go watch a game next Saturday, please. Even if you don't like football, 
do me a favor, send a message out, say that you support Lobo Sports. One of the uh, things that breaks my heart, and I would add this on number six if I actually had more time, uh, was we actually got rid of our championship uh, uh, soccer team at the University of New Mexico. The real travesty is the best coach at the University of New Mexico was a, a guy by the name of Jeremy. I can't think of his last name, but I met the guy. And I, when I immediately met him, I'm like, oh, this is quality. This is good. Uh, I can see why the University of New Mexico soccer team went to the national championship game, not once, but twice. And I think it's a travesty that his program was removed. And then the following year, you have Peter Travesiani's New Mexico United come in and act like, oh, what, 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 what soccer team? We should have been, we could have built, this is a soccer town in so many ways because we played people play club, et cetera. We could have made this place, you know, soccer town USA for uh, the NCAA level. And I think that that would have been a great thing. Instead, you know, many of our uh, best soccer players, I've got um, uh, Wiley Trujillo. He is uh, a friend of a friend um, who uh, played over at St. Pius X, which is a great soccer program. Uh, Jorge Tristani, the legendary high school uh, football coach. I don't want to turn this into a, a sports talk, so I'm just sharing some stories of, of things that I know and some connections that I think that are important. But Wiley ended up going to a Catholic school up in uh, in Washington uh, called Gonzaga, number one uh, uh, NCAA basketball team, I believe, uh, last year. I think they lost in the semifinals or the last game or whatever they did. I don't, I don't, has Gonzaga won yet? I don't even know. Oh, Jeremy Fishbean, thank you for looking that up. Jeremy Fishbean, amazing coach. I don't even know what he's doing right now, but I would be angry. So, um, but he left to go up there and I, I can guarantee you that if the program had built up and we had kept Jeremy Fishbean, you know, just like we had Klaus and all the other great coaches that were here, these guys would have decided to stay here. So when you have your best or your brightest uh, and athletes that are here, you know, we have a tremendous cross country team, tremendous, like one of the best in the country. We have them bringing Olympic medals to their home countries if they happen to be foreigners and here they're setting records, uh, athletes of the year, et cetera. Uh, one of the kids that's actually running for Cleveland right now happened to run in him up at the lodge at Chama, uh, saw him. I think he won the state championship in the 800, like every year, freshman, sophomore, junior, great kid. I don't remember his name. If you have it, text me directly five fifty fifty five hundred. That would be another guy that we'd like to keep here. So the more we can keep and home grow, like, you know, Song and, you know, Trujillo and all these various kids who pick up and leave, the more successful we're going to be. And I think uh, one of the, why, why this is a mayoral um, issue and why we can continue to talk about these types of things uh, is because uh, Tim Keller, you might remember, uh, made a huge initiative to uh, create a commercial. Uh, if you can send that, if someone can send me the commercial, I would love to play that commercial here. Uh, and I think this is an important uh, tell on Keller. Not only does he capitulate to BLM, then he goes out and he says, well, we're going to start recruiting all these people uh, to the University of New Mexico. Tim Keller himself did not even go to the University of New Mexico. I graduated from the University of New Mexico. Got a degree in political science, degree in economics. I'm on the campus because I go to Chipotle. If you see me, a big tall guy that goes to Chipotle, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm there all the time. And he created a commercial saying that he was going to increase, you know, the number of, of students, right? That was their solution. We're going to market. And then uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham came in behind Tim Keller and says, well, if we give these people free tuition, they're, they're, they're certainly going to stay. And then all of a sudden you see what happens this morning is you had all these tremendous, we're going to call them patriots. And if anybody can text me the information on uh, the number of people that were there, I unfortunately thank you for inviting me to be there. Unfortunately, I was not able to be there. I had other engagements, but 
from literally from nine to 11, they went to the duck pond and they were letting it be known that they do not want mandatory vaccine uh, for the University of New Mexico. That certainly impacted uh, those people in, in terms of whether or not you know, they were going to be on campus. So I, I got to tell you, I'm not boring my audience, Brian, once you eat it. Uh, these are important things, and we're going to talk about the mayoral stuff. So I'm not sitting here trying to be entertained, not trying to do a talk show. You need to talk about these issues. These are important. Debates are boring, all the rest of that stuff, but these are things that you need to remember. You need to understand. I can't sit here and uh, yell and scream and get after everything that's happening, but I can point out the issues, right? I can point out the issues, and these are the issues. These are the issues and the marketing issues that they thought they could do, that they got nothing done. 550, 50, 500. Uh, nice job, Brian. Call you in the queue. Go ahead. Hey, Eddie, how you doing? It's Chris. Chris, what's up? How you doing? How you doing, brother? Yeah, you know, I listened to you. You said something earlier in the show, which made me laugh. You said something about the people that are that are running the city, and um, if they call that running, call this running the city, it would be into the ground. Would be my my evaluation of it. But when you look at how across the board, we've talked about this regularly, um, and you know. I knew that people would be coming out of the woodworks after you, and you knew that as well. When you get into the race, and you've got somebody that's going to compete with this this um, machine that they've had for so long, um, where you live has become a massive issue, right? And no, so, no, no, it hasn't. There's one person. There's only one person who could have filed that, and nobody cares. Uh, tell me where yeah, it's no. at, tell me where it's at on on social media, or tell me where anybody actually cares about it. It's not, and I'm not getting defensive. I'm just telling you that's just not a massive issue. Uh, the, for the media, they created it. But if you let the media, you know, uh, sort of run the dialogue for for everybody else out there, then I can tell you. Then it's if you let it be an issue, it is. And then you brought up the word machine, Chris. You know how to beat. Yeah. A, you know how to. You know how to uh, beat the machine. You build. A, I would have you, it. you build a better one. No, you build a better one. And we've done yeah. that. We've, we're on Roku, Amazon, uh, Fire. We're only on AM, but who cares? How many people are tuning in? Is it pretty incredible? I could show you the, the numbers. Podcasting, get all of our information out. We've got floods of armies that are out there continuing to get our message out. Have you been on social media? Has anybody dominated messaging better than my team and what we're doing out there? They are absolutely no. annihilating everybody out there. So it's yeah. pretty, pretty impossible uh, to outdo what we're doing. I'm proud of every single one. I think we're well-organized, well-oiled. Uh, we've raised a tremendous amount of, of money. And I can tell you right now that, uh, you know, that is going to be a huge difference. I'm not sitting there going to court. They're trying to put me in court, trying to lock me up and stall me out. So, you know, yeah. if, if, if for somebody, you know, whether or not I'm like a couch, a futon, where my kids are in, in here, I run into people all over when I uh, uh, go out and see them. You, I cannot tell you. Like, 100% of the people who pull me aside, they're like, I'm voting for you. I'm voting. I walked out today and I saw a guy that I thought would never vote for me. He says, you got my vote, period. Awesome. And I've been here. Awesome. I've been in this building seven years. He's been in this building seven years. That's the second time I've ever talked to him. And he says, you got my vote. And that's an important thing because, you know, this isn't a, a popularity contest about or, or, or saying, hey, to you, you're terrible and you cheated and you like nobody cares about that. What you care about is whether or not someone's going to take care of that Motel 76 and whether or not someone's going to stand in the way of Michelle Lohan Grisham from shutting your uh, your uh, property down. So that way you can't uh, enjoy uh, uh, being open, your consignment Absolutely. store being open. I mean, those, those are your issues. And you want to make sure that all that I literally just drove past Candelaria, came down Manal, jumped on the frontage road. That frontage road, you know which one I'm going, right in front, in the center oh, yeah. of town, 
And and, yep. and and stop right there, folks. Take a picture as you're driving by. Okay, you're you're taking University, which turns into you know that frontage road that that's uh, alongside the freeway, so you can get on. I think finally at what is that? I'm trying to think of the name Comanche, right? So you're trying to get on on yep. Comanche on that on ramp before you you cross over Montgomery, you cross through Montgomery, yep. and you look at that right there and you say, what is that giant pile of baskets? What's that giant pile of, of tents out of there? Like, it's disgusting. Yeah. Don't you just want to go out there and say, why doesn't someone take care of it? Instead, we're like, oh, well, that's fine. You can just go ahead and pitch up a tent uh, anywhere. My kids, who I bought tents for this year, uh, so we could, you know, sleep in the backyard, have a good time and at their at their grandparents, which we did, and, and they loved it. I'm sure at some point it's crossing their minds like, oh, hey, that's that same tent, uh, those, those tents that you we have for, you know, and they're putting them out right on the streets. That yeah, stuff's right going right. to stop. Yeah, that stuff's going to stop, Chris. No, it does. I know. We've, and, and we've talked about that. And, I, and what I meant when I said it earlier about, um, you know, people bringing up issues, look, I don't care where anyone resides. If they're going to do the job, I mean, and I believe you will do the job right. I've listened to you and talked to you now for a, a while about the issues that are going on in the city. Tim Keller and Michelle Grissom, they live in homes and they are, and, and they reside in a home, which is, you know, someone's issue. And they're not doing the job. The job is not getting done. And I called again just to let you know I'm dealing with it again. Had another guy just let out of prison, showed up at my, my store Wednesday night. Pretty sure he had a gun underneath his shirt. You'd had to call the cops, get him out here. It's, it's something in crime and corruption are the two that pop in my head the most of your five C's that bother me the most. Because if you cared about this city, like we talked about, you care about this city, you take care of the city and the businesses first. And then you can talk about raising gross receipts tax or do, doing gross receipts to build a stadium down the road when business is booming. Right now, you right. want to raise taxes and build a stadium when we've all gotten our short, you know, handed to us. Yep. Give me a break. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. I'm glad you're safe. Uh, how long did it take for them to respond? About an hour, about an hour. And so did he stay in your uh, place the entire time for about an hour? He was right out in front, of, right out in front of the store. He wouldn't leave, and so um, I had a neighboring business here who came over, and he said he called me and said, "Hey, this guy is getting aggressive, and I'm worried." And um, he, he, this guy wouldn't talk to us, but we asked him to leave, and and, and you could tell he had, it was almost like he was possessed. Man, he looked like he wanted to do something to harm harm us, and he, and I had this sense this guy's going to whip out a gun and, and go nuts. He he just looked. Insane, like out of his mind, tatted up, six foot Hispanic guy wearing an Allen Iverson shirt, um, tatted on his face, all down his arms, and just was mentally not well. When I, I thought it was going to end poorly. By the time the cops got here, he was already gone. When the cops leave, then he comes back and he starts pacing in front of our building and won't leave, and it's like staring us down. We this this guy looked like he had an intention to do something, and it wasn't wasn't robbing. I think he had an intent to do physical bodily harm to somebody and it was just, he was just trying to muster up the courage to actually commit a crime wow, wow. it's a daily thing yeah it's a daily thing that's that too you much know to put it. It. and you and you locked you locked it you locked your uh storefront right oh yeah yeah we had, and we had we were shutting the gate trying to leave and he was he just would not leave the, the property so he was trespassing i've got him on camera we actually videotaped the whole thing the guy's just you know this is a thing that we deal with on a regular basis and when it comes to like what you're pushing for and everybody out there listening to me, this is why we need to get Eddie in office is because this kind of stuff has got to stop. And when you say, like I was laughing when you said, yeah, they're running the city. They're not running the city. 
this kind of stuff should not be happening in our city, around our businesses, around our kids. It's too much. And at some point, it's got to stop or else we're, we live in a like a third war city. Like, there's nothing in here makes any sense anymore, Eddie. It's crazy. Did you see the uh, uh, story that uh, went viral about the salt yard? Did you did you see that whole thing about uh, the salt yard having a code? Did you see what what they what they did? And they, they put no, out yeah. So the salt yard, uh, I guess, put out some sort of um, uh, notice. That, yeah. So salt yard dress code. If you look that up, and uh, it says locals accuse bars dress code of racial discrimination. Now, you just described something, uh, and some, some, someone is going to say because you inserted the word Hispanic and tatted uh, that that somehow is um, racist, right? I mean, someone yeah. – is that, is that fair? But yeah, someone probably yeah, would say yeah. that, sure. So, so here it is. So it says, outrage over a popular Albuquerque bar's dress code, a sign posted at the Salt Yard, has people accusing the business of racial discrimination. The problem uh, with the crime here – Oh, um, front door open. I have to keep video cameras on everything. I have video cameras on everything, so like someone, just, someone just barged into my radio station just now. I'm like, uh, wow. we're not open, <laughs> so somebody locked that. So anyway, um, it says outrage over popular Albuquerque bars dress code. A sign posted at Sawyer has people accusing the business of racial discrimination. The problem with that whole statement. Are the people who are enabling the crime here or want to see it because they're so woke and they're so focused on political correctness that they're like, oh, well, they're racist. And we have a nickname for the salt yard. Do you know what the nickname is? No. Assault yard. <laughs> Do you know oh, the number of things that have happened at, at this uh, wide open places and the type of and, and the people who own it are great people and the business. I, I think I've been there one time. Uh, yeah, like back in the day, I think when it first like opened up and I, you know, checked, I was like, this is a good concept. You know, it's very, you know, um, uh, Arizona oriented, I guess it's a, that, that type of place where you can kind of go around and, you know, eat some food, but there was a lot of fights, people breaking out, all these types of things. And so it's like, we've forgotten this entire thing. And the salt yard put out, I, what I thought was a very good, uh, dress code sign, uh, for what they want to do. And you're welcome to run your establishment any way you want. And it says, attention dress code. The Salt Yard is implementing dress codes Friday and Saturday after 8 p.m. No jerseys, chains, no do-rags, sagging, plain white tees, club, belt, biker, no grills, gang signs, blah, 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 profanity. Okay. We are at a point in the city of Albuquerque where you are not allowed to walk into a business if you are not wearing a mask. Why can the salt yard not determine about how they want their dress code to be? And and unfortunately, these people are probably hurting for money. She's got things that she needs to pay, regardless of uh, the PPE or anything else. And now you're telling me that the owner of a business doesn't have a right to go ahead and enforce however they want to go ahead and enforce their own personal dress code? As far as I'm concerned, if somebody wants to enforce masking and the, and the state can do it and in my opinion i find that offensive what you want to see my face you walk in i was watching a guy walk into the bank big saggy pants okay he's got a hat kind of a, a gang hat he's carrying two bags of money in his right hand in a nice bank by the way okay he's got shorts he's got uh you know high tops or whatever and he's got a giant mask 
wrapped around his face like an outlaw. I don't, to me, that doesn't look like a, a, a N95 mask or something that, you know, something this important that it's going to get through. I think he almost enjoyed that kind of going through. He's part of that problem. He's part of the problem of the enabling group that's saying, well, you're racially discriminating. I want to get to dress however they want, I want. And if I want to look like I'm going to rob this bank because I get off, right? That's not like the biggest. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, and, the biggest joy that guy got all day is how he looked being able to walk into a bank. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, there is people who literally think. So So, in my opinion, what the Salt Yard did, I think, is an outrage to their their own business. After they've already created their own reputation of being this place where people get assaulted, physically assaulted. Okay. Yeah. And that's happened over and over. And so wh- what did they capitulate to? The very first thing that came to my mind was racial profiling says Nikki. It isn't Nikki Jackson. It isn't Nikki uh, Jenkins. It isn't Nikki whatever. It's Nikki Archuleta. And she is the BLM Albuquerque chapter founder. I rest my case. Wow. I rest my wow. case. Me, as your mayor, I will never capitulate to BLM, to Antifa, and I said that on the left. I ain't going to capitulate to people on the right either. I'm going to do what's best for the city. This is the most ridiculous type of story. And you know what? KRQE or any other news organization who decided to go ahead and stick a microphone in front of Nikki Archuleta and give her a little bit of power with the BLM Albuquerque chapter founder and say, okay, what do you think about this? And let her have control over a small business, to me, is complete and total BS. And you know it is. That's what the news media does because they are driving as hard left as they possibly can. Just like they're doing is like, hey, where does Eddie Aragon sleep? Where does Eddie Aragon sleep? I'm I'm a conservative. I'm conserving the money. (laughs) And then some. So anyway, Chris, I didn't mean to run you off with all that stuff, but uh, I'll let you finish. Wrap it up. Go ahead. No, you're good. And and the thing is, Eddie, that's 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 unfortunately the world that we live in right now. We're going to I'm going to turn it to something negative when all they're trying to do is clean things up, saving things up for a bit for families that are trying to come out or, or whatever, or groups that are coming out because that's exactly what this is. And every day for me, I never thought I'd get to a spot where every day I got to worry about my back, watch my back. And I have to worry about my employees, worry about my customers and my customers. I'm sure there's customers on both sides of the aisle that come in and shop with me. And I got to worry about them, worry about their safety. And I'm not at that point, I'm not worried about politics. I'm worried about people's safety. We live in a city that is very unsafe where, I mean, I listen to Murder Mike every day. You do too. The numbers are insane what's going uh, on here. And that's the part to yep. me. Class is probably the biggest issue, Eddie, because when you fix that, you'll help business and you'll help a lot of things will change. I so, will do that. On. Chris, we got to hit the news. Thanks for calling in today. Later. I appreciate Later, you guys. very much. You, Thank you. This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque. Visit GCNlive.com today. USA Radio News with Tim Berg. President Biden is giving a close-up view of devastating storm damage in the New Orleans area. We're working 24-7 with the energy companies who we met with the heads of today, and we're deploying more federal resources, including hundreds of generators, and there's more to come to restore power as fast as we possibly can. 
Biden touring a neighborhood in La Paz and saying the government is working hard with energy and cell phone companies to get service restored after Hurricane Ida roared through the Big Easy. The president also pleading with insurance companies to do the right thing. I'm calling on private insurance companies. Don't hide behind the fine print and technicality. Pay what you owe your customers. A new study from finance website Value Penguin is putting Florida as the top destination for many this holiday weekend. You're listening to USA Radio News. This report is brought to you by Amazon. Amazon Prime is known for bringing unparalleled speed and convenience to shoppers. But are you getting the most out of all Prime has to offer? In addition to fast, free delivery on millions of items, Prime membership also offers unlimited streaming of movies and series with Prime Video, including content you can't find anywhere else like Tomorrow War. Prime members also enjoy millions of ad-free songs and podcasts with Amazon Music, plus books, magazines, games, at no additional cost, and so much more. And with Prime's newest benefit, members in most areas can get free delivery on prescriptions from Amazon Pharmacy and other prescription savings at 60,000 pharmacies nationwide. Plus, members get ultra-fast grocery delivery and free pickup from Whole Foods Market and Amazon Fresh in select areas, along with exclusive deals and savings on everyday essentials, gifts, and more on Amazon.com. To learn more about how Prime is constantly evolving to offer more convenience, selection, entertainment, and savings every day, or sign up for your 30-day free trial, visit Amazon.com slash Prime. More than two dozen Senate Republicans are pressing President Biden to release the number of Americans, green card holders, and visa applicants stranded in Afghanistan. Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton is leading that charge of senators. He tells Fox News how the United States could evacuate those Americans still in Afghanistan. All it would take is for the United States government to tell uh, the third-party nations where those flights are ready to fly, to let them fly there, uh, that we support that decision, and we'll help you once our fellow citizens, once our green card holders, once those with valid visas get to your country, get back to the United States. Former President Trump is endorsing Herschel Walker in Georgia's U.S. Senate race. He officially backed the former Georgia Bulldog on Thursday, saying Walker embodies America first. Walker is looking to defeat Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. You're listening to USA Radio News. Hi, I'm Wayne Alaroof. If you like my radio show, you're going to love my podcast, War Raw. Each podcast, I present my top ten most outrageous, salacious, and controversial stories of the week. I break down the best of the best raw truth stories for conservatives, libertarians, patriots, taxpayers, Trumpers, and deplorables. Anyone who appreciates God, guns, gold, and tax cuts will stand up and cheer for War Raw. Check out this week's War Raw podcast right now. It's available to download at iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you listen to podcasts. War Raw. War Raw. As President Biden visits Louisiana, many people are still without power. Power outages continued in Louisiana and Mississippi for hundreds of thousands of people. Many days after Hurricane Ida roared through the region, Thursday outage tracker PowerOutage.us showed about 34,000 customers in Mississippi were without power and more than 904,000 in Louisiana were left in the dark. Entergy Louisiana CEO Philip May said power would be restored to most customers in the greater Baton Rouge area by September 8th. It should be noted Louisiana faces a critical shortage of fuel that's hampering recovery efforts, and the recovery process is expected to be quite a lengthy one. Governor John Bell Edwards said gas station outages are mounting in Louisiana's two biggest cities, with a staggering 68.5% of gas stations in Baton Rouge and 64.7% in New Orleans out of gas. 
From the West Coast of USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry. An Oregon McDonald's is now attempting to hire 14- and 15-year-olds to work due to staffing issues, according to the manager and operator. Heather Coleman, operator of the McDonald's in Medford, saying raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour at the restaurant didn't attract many new applicants. When the hiring age was lowered to 15, about 25 applicants came in two weeks, she said. Coleman adding they have great drive and work ethic. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg. All right. It is time to put things together and get this second hour started. Hi, everybody. I'm Rudy Grande. Uh, weather-wise, looks like it's going to be fairly decent. I know the clouds out there have a very slight chance of rain today. But I will tell you, it's 89 degrees at the Rock of Talk. All right, the worst hit drive this afternoon is going to be on the 550. As you're coming off the I-25 and heading northwestbound, in other words, out of town, it is wall-to-wall traffic from I-25 all the way up to the Santana Star. Today might not be a bad idea to take uh, Paseo del Norte and go in the back way using the 528 up to the 550. Uh, Probably save you a little bit more time. All right, as far as the drive on Coors Boulevard, a little slow coming out of Rio Rancho as you wind your way down the hill. Uh, looks like it's going to be about uh, 20 miles an hour over to Ellison. And if you're on Paseo del Norte, looking great between the I-25 and Coors. But before that, if you're westbound on uh, Paseo del Norte, it's going to be a little bit tight coming away from Barstow on over to San Pedro. All right, we are at Monty Cigar Shop, home of the Gurkha Cigar Club. These guys are having some fun up there today. And you need to come by the largest humidor in the southwest and some great cigars here as well. Uh, La Gloria Cubana is uh, one that people are talking about and Cohiba. So come by, you need to check, check these out. Monty Cigar Shop, it is on San Mateo, just north of Comanche. All right, we're up to date now. Let's dive back into the Rock of Talk. Albuquerque's macro aggression. The Rock of Talk. I'm Eric on the Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVABQ.FM, We love Albuquerque. I love Albuquerque. Everybody loves Albuquerque, right? Right. right. Maybe not everybody. Roku TV, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. Uh, don't forget, you can podcast us on Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, ABQ.FM has its own app. You can go to rockoftalk.com or rockoftalk.tv and watch if you're visual. You can see my Eddie Aragon bumper stickers. If you want to drop by uh, Tuesday, uh, wide open Tuesday. So uh, I'll be here, knock on the door, whatever. Come uh, pick up some bumper stickers so you can see them right there. And you guys can uh, lay down some uh, lay, uh, lay down some swag. If you want to register, uh, we are now at over 280 people who have registered at Fight for 505 to be volunteers. We have another 208 people on Telegram. Uh, we have uh, more than, uh, we haven't even blasted out to the 3,305 people who got us on the ballot. I mean, we're just like, okay, we'll wait for Labor Day and let everybody just settle in with all the BS and, you know, not create more noise. And there's so much noise. We are signal daily. We talk about the issues daily. You know what we believe, what we value daily. Okay. And we are here. Daily, I offer equal time to each of my competitors. They're welcome to go ahead and come in. Same style of show. I'll be happy to host it for them, drive their calls, and uh, they can get all of, and that's all I have to do. Just do this show and make sure it's a live call-in show, and, uh, and you can text in as well. 
If you want to go ahead and donate to the campaign, very easy. I can also raise money uh, according to FCC rules. Check your lawyers uh, and all you have to do. And I can raise votes, too. The other thing is, what were they going to try to get me for leveraging my radio station to uh, get on the ballot? I can do that. Huh? Nice, uh, nice to have a, a little bit of that. And maybe I helped a little bit. Maybe people like me just a little bit, enough to go ahead and change things around here in the city of Albuquerque. All right. Uh, call you're first in the Kiva. Go ahead. Yeah, Eddie, I'm, I'm wondering, is there any plan, is there any strategy if uh, uh, you get elected to get this DOJ out of the APD's hair? Great, um, yeah, great question. I mean, they're right in the middle of our hair, aren't they? They're just doing absolutely everything. So here's the facts, and this was this is what doesn't get reported, okay? And this question, and what's your name, sir? Bill. Bill. All right, Bill, Bill. Uh, so the agreement can't be modified or changed. You have to deal with it, all right, where it's at, it's installed. And the reason why is that the city of Albuquerque, the city of Albuquerque is the plaintiff, and we're also a party to the consent decree on this, okay? It's in federal court. We can't touch it. It just is. Now, the problem with Tim Keller is he has done nothing to advocate for a police department. He has not done absolutely zero to advocate or police department against the DOJ. He, he seems to be okay with things the way that they are. He's okay with rising crime. He's okay with rising homicide. He staffed one department. And that was the car theft department. Okay. And what we have to do as quickly as possible, the best way to do it is let's get these guys the hell out of Dodge, right? You got to engage these guys every single day. You have to let them know. We don't like your, you, you're like a gnat on our ass every day. I know you're getting a lot of money. Ginger, you're not even here, bro. You know, uh, as much as uh, as much as I'd love to hang with you and go to dinner and talk about what we can do, you're hardly here. You're kind of a hard ass. And I realize you're trying to get us compliant with whatever the federalities are doing. But let, let, let's, let me make it simple. We're going to accelerate, make sure you're happy. And we've got to fight on every single thing. There's things that we can control in all this and we can fight them on that. So the, the moral, morale of the officers is very low. Right. Ninety plus left. Things aren't doing well. Are you an officer by chance? I'm not. I'm not, but I interact with a number of them. Okay, good. Then you know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, the officers have been targeted. They've gone after them specifically. They said, okay, well, you have to fill out this paperwork and get compliant. Like, these guys are so tired of dealing with the BS of filling out all these paperwork because, like, they can't even believe, be police officers. That's part of the DOJ uh, decree, okay? And one of the things that we can do is help facilitate an easier entry for whatever reports or anything that they can do. And we've got to accelerate the compliance to make sure that we're above board and on time uh, with all this. Remember, this is all about the 30, you know, 43, 44, 45 criminals uh, that were shot and became the victims, right? That's how this whole thing. But remember, it was the city of Albuquerque that did it. They replayed the Boyd video and over and over again. They replayed, you know, Taurus's situation. I mean, this stuff got amplified by the likes of Jolene Kruger Gutierrez and the rest of these people who are running their stories on the front page and getting ample time. I mean, it is just a huge biased media and they wanted to see this whole entire thing. Now, if we don't improve the morale of the officers, we're going to lose our officers. I've got a plan to do that. I'm killing overtime, killing overtime and making sure every single one of our officers is rewarded day one because we can't afford to lose another officer. There's a way to do that and making sure that we stage their pay. So we've got to support them. It's in our control and we've got to be able to advocate for our officers and our police department so that way we can make sure that we have a safer city and do it on our own. Now, the ACLU sent me a question. 
Okay, and this is very uh, curious. Uh, I have it here, and I should go back to, to reading all of it because it's disgusting. The <laughs> you you want to know where our media is on all this? You want to know how how they 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 feel about uh, this stuff? They they want me to be compliant with all of these things. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go to. Do you commit to directing APD? To stop issuing citations and arresting people for low-level offenses, such as disor- this is from the ACLU, such as disorderly conduct and shoplifting that all result in bench warrants or failure to appear and pay. No, no, arrest them many times over. You commit to directing police to uh, chief to prioritize lead program in lieu of uh, arresting people for low-level offenses when appropriate. No, right? I subscribe to the whole entire thing. Arrest for every offense. And if we have to do it multiple times, we do it multiple times, okay? So we can strengthen our laws. Here's the big question, and it's the same one that you have. And this is how they lead you through three paragraphs before they even ask the question. The city, this is from the ACLU. The city of Albuquerque and APD have been under a federal consent decree for the past six years after the Justice Department found a pattern of excessive force by APD officers. The consent decree outlines a series of reforms designed to govern when APD officers use force, and how they interact with people living with mental health disability. You notice how, see, right away, they're the victims. Uh, Every single person who commits a crime must have a mental health disability, right? No, there's people, criminals out there that do it on purpose. The independent monitor, that is uh, Ginger, overseeing the implementation uh, of the implementation of the forms has concluded APD as backsliding in its efforts to comply with the court approved settlement agreement. Now, that's leading, right? We're backsliding. We're not doing enough. So ACLU wants us to be totally and completely federally compliant. And this is the CASA agreement, court-approved settlement agreement. An effective chief of police is crucial when it comes to creating a culture conducive to successful reforms, including bringing the end to APD's history of impunity. Oh, listen to that word. APD's history of impunity and using excessive force in the state-related number one in the country for deadly police force shootings per capita. The city's police chief must make clear that deadly force can be used as a last reward. Now, they've driven home that question, and they stated that crime is not a problem. All the other stuff, homicides are not a problem. The problem is, is we are state-ranked number one in the country for deadly police shootings per capita. Prove to me that point. Think about this. And they asked me these three questions, okay? Will you commit to keeping APD reforms in place permanently once the Department of Justice is no longer directly overseeing the department? No. Hell no. This would include advocating for the current use of force, de-escalation, and duty to intervene police policies to be codified in the city ordinances. We're not going to codify any of this stuff in the, in the city ordinances. We'll do certain things, but the bare minimum. We're going to empower our police and make the city a safer place. And disciplining officers who fail to adhere to these policies. Our police force is not the criminals. Do you commit to direct the police chief to adopt a policy that mandates APD officers use deadly force only when such force is necessary? Uh, sure. Uh, they use it. They already do that on their own. They're only going to use deadly force when it's necessary. We trust the police. We trust every single police officer. And finally, will you direct police chief to mandate that APD officers comply with the Bernalillo County district attorney's policy and aimed in identifying and traffic trafficking or tracking law enforcement officers with a proven history of misconduct? No, that's the problem. We are not going to target our police officers. So to answer your question, we're going to stand behind our police. I can't do anything about the DOJ, okay? The, it is what it is. The city of Albuquerque is a plaintiff and party to the consent decree. It's in federal court. We need to shut up about it, be compliant, and get them hell out of here. But your mayor needs to be advocating on behalf of the police 
and they need to be focused entirely on what the current crime rate is and how we can reduce it. And I'll do that and work on that tirelessly. Amen. That sounds good. We good, Bill? Anything else? No, sir. I, you know, we're behind you. I'm, I I'm appreciate it. Who's, who's weird? Oh, you got a family? Tell us about you. I got a family. I'm, I'm in the insurance business. You and I have uh, met once or twice um, okay. casually in crowds. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, and I've got a, I've got a kid that works at the local grocery store that was involved in a, you know, a guy wielding a knife uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, while he's trying to close the place up. And, you know, it took I'm sorry. an inordinate amount of time for 9-11 to pick up the phone. Yeah. It took 20 minutes, 25 minutes before, uh, all the customers who couldn't get out of the store armed themselves and were collectively ready to you know, to beat the guy up before he left and the police never did show up because, you know, they were overwhelmed with uh, nine other things. I think that was the night after that, that uh, shooting up there on Juan Tabo. So they were a little distracted, but yeah, yeah it, it's not good. If there's an emergency, it's not good. We just don't have enough cops. Let me know if there's any other questions and I'm sorry about your son and uh, take a concealed carry. Oh, he was carry. fine. He was fine. I know, but, but take uh, a concealed you know. carry course, uh, get all that stuff and, uh, Make sure that uh, you can defend yourself. We all love this city, but we'd love it if it's a little safer. We need to make sure the good guys have the guns. You got it. All right. Good stuff. Uh, 550-5500. Questions, texts, et cetera. 517 live here on a Friday. Caller, you're in the queue. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, Mr. Aragon. <clears throat> I've been listening to you for uh, quite some time, and uh, you've definitely got my vote. And uh, you mentioned uh, the biased media a little earlier, and um, I had something I wanted to share with you. Sure, go ahead. Earlier this afternoon, I happened to uh, tune into a program, and uh, you are more the, than you uh, are you are more than welcome to state which program. You can say exactly what happened. Uh, you you don't you be uh, okay. Please, please be explicit as possible. The market needs to be sure. aware of the market bias. Okay. It was the uh, 77 KOB. And uh, when I had tuned in, they uh, mentioned that it was one of those days where you call in and, and talk about anything you want to. And uh, I hadn't planned on talk, uh, calling in. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, this woman came on and she asked the, the host, "Why don't you ever? Why don't we ever hear anything about Eddie Aragon?" And then the host went on to dribble about how you're not a viable candidate. And so, after listening to his nonsense for a few minutes, I decided I need to call in and remind him of something. And what I was going to do, I was going to tell him uh, that's what a lot of people said about. Uh, uh, President Trump back in 2015 and 16. And so I call in and, um, of course, they grill you. They want to know exactly what you're going to ask. It's yeah, yeah, they right will here. not. That's right. You will, you cannot get on there without stating word for word, basically. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you're, you're wanting to ask the president questions or something. He's got right. the same setup, I guess. But anyhow, uh, he asked me what I wanted to talk about and I, said, well, um, I, I want to uh, talk about uh, the comment made earlier about Eddie Aragon. And he said, well, we're not talking about that today. And he hung up on me. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what a shit. So I, yeah, I, I have to dump back. that. So there you go. Uh, you want to keep that clean, by the way, just so you know. Okay. Yeah, you got to. Okay, sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah he, he, anyway, he was uh, acting uh, not very nice. And so I called back again. And I, I said, uh, I thought you guys said uh, we'd call in and talk, you know, uh, talk about whatever we want. And he said, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, you tell me what you're, uh, you know, what you want me to talk about. And and then he hung up on me again. Oh, there you go. That's awesome. And, and so I called back a third time uh-huh. and I told him I wanted to talk about gun control. So when I got on with the host, I, I told, you know, uh, gave my comment about what I thought about the uh, gun control here in the state. And then at the very end, I told him, and by the way, your uh, uh, call screener is a blank. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard him say, oh, I lost you. <laughs> yeah, so, I saw that. I, there, uh, there, I, I, I was, uh, there, I, somebody told me to, to tune in, and I, I did just for a moment uh, for that. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they are definitely biased, and uh, that that whole station. I mean, uh, I guess uh, they they uh, are having their strings operated by the puppeteers at corporate office, because I know some of those uh, people were uh, a little more conservative before, but now it seems like they're switching over and. And some things they don't want to hear, and they'll well, they're not switching over. I mean, they, they literally only feature Democrats now. Literally, in the mayor's race, all yeah. Democrats, all the people oh, yeah. that are there, and then uh, then they oh. throw then they'll throw in Mark Ronchetti or something like that. So uh, there yeah, you go. They, yeah, the the fake Republican that comes on at one o'clock, and then the uh, arrogant snot from ninety four Rock. I know they're all liberal. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, stay listening here and uh, get your voices heard and let them know that what they are doing is something called electioneering. So uh, look it up. Uh, yep. Electioneering. It's a very interesting thing. I appreciate your phone call. Okay. And uh, thanks for calling. You got, in. My, thank- you got my vote, buddy. Have All a right. great evening. Yeah, thanks for your efforts, too. Uh, I will. And uh, you do the same. And great Labor Day weekend. Call you're in the Kiva. Go ahead. Hi, Eddie. Rudy, Hi. This is Rick. Rick. What's happening, hey, Rick? Eddie. Yes. Is, is there a term limit on city manager? Uh, there isn't. Good. No, 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 no. We need you for 20 years. No, 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 no. Yeah, I actually have said this several times. My The thing that I'm afraid of is doing such a good job that I won't be able to leave the job. There's been several cases of this happening. No, I don't I don't like that at all. Yeah. So I do, you know, I already have a job. You know what my job, I mean, these two guys need a job. They're both government jobs. It's. As 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 you guys uh, and you know. got boys to raise. Uh, well, I sort of feel like they're raising me. I've got alpha males, and they're <laughs> they've uh, picked up everything I've told them, and now they're redirecting it towards me. They'll so. be good boys. They're really good. Um, but yeah, they they run the show now, and uh, they call me out and my stuff. Um, <laughs> everything, you know, all the stuff that I used to do and told them to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> the the thing that they do. So they they literally are alpha dogs, both of them, and and. Uh, they they run the show, so they run the Only show. Only they'll be city manager. Yeah, they'll. It, I'll be city manager, but I still won't hold a candle to whatever these guys tell me to do. So, uh, so I do want to share something with you uh, since you brought it up, uh, Rick. And okay. this came out today because I get the question oftentimes. 
is there's literally the one of the reasons why people tell me that they don't want me to run for elected office is they don't want me off the radio. So I try, oh. I, I try to tell them all the time. I said, well, we can amplify, you know, the, the city manager job has more to do with leadership and vision. And, you know, I, I said, I'm going to be attending the city council meetings. Every one of them, I'm going to be dragging my kids there, making and taking out their notebook and paper. They're going to learn about what's happening that way because we got to pass it on to the next generation. That's the right message to send out. So, and I still want to do the radio because I love doing, I like talking to you or whoever calls in and uh, talking about whatever we want to talk about. And, and I'm, I can sit here. I don't need to screen calls or anything, which is kind of an amazing thing for if, <laughs> unlike KKOB. Uh, so this came out this morning and this was a national story and it says it is not uncommon for longtime AM drive uh, local radio personalities to be dubbed the quote unquote morning mayor of the cities in which they broadcast. Now, um, I did talk to Mike Santulo uh, yesterday. I don't know that the man knows what he's talking about um, a- anymore, uh, but he is another broadcaster who ran for mayor. I think there was somebody else uh, as well. And uh, people were on the and, and they know about issues. This is generally what happens. They talk about them and they put their money where the mouth is. They show up and they say, well, I'm going to run for something and see if we can make what I'm talking about that you guys agree or behind or like uh, if, if we can actually affect change because all the rest of the disgusting politicians who are corrupt and egotistical and, and drive <laughs> haven't worked so far. So this guy by the name who we got a hold of today, uh, his name is Scott James Matheson. He is the morning host at Talk 92.1. WDDQ, Valdosta, Georgia. Uh-huh. He is actually mayor of the South Georgia city, in which he's heard. He is also the owner of the radio station. <laughs> and, his, we're gonna have and, it. and the parent company called Small Town Broadcasting, LLC. He is also the guest on the podcast one series called the Michael Harrison Rap. And uh, he was inaugurated mayor of the deep south city of 60,000 plus residents in early 2020. Has a very interesting story to tell, juggling and both demanding jobs. He continues to remain on the air while also being mayor of the city. Harrison and Matheson discuss small town America, politics, the view of today's national conversation from Valdosta's key geographic perspective located right near Florida, Georgia line. Beautiful area, by the way. Don't miss this. And uh, you can go ahead and see that on podcast one. So what I would say is that I'm going to continue doing uh, this. I'm going to have a, a mayor uh, van, uh, a, a city manager, a cruiser, if you will, uh, to go out and visit as many businesses and people and schools and uh, people out in the community all the time so that they can uh, feel in touch uh, and don't think that their mayors or their city manager or their elected officials are hanging out all day having, uh, you know, uh, a lot of fun uh, running a city. Know, I mean, our city is in desperate need of help. That's one of the other things that I plan on doing and, and possibly being able to broadcast from that as well. So there you go, Rick. Uh, that's, that's, that's where it stands. Anything else for you before we get to another phone call? Uh, no, sir. Thank you very much. I All appreciate right. everything you're doing and you've got a full plate. Yeah, let's and make I, the city a better place. How about that? I hope you can. I hope the rest of the city will agree with us. Well, if they and don't, you have if an they, opportunity to make this a better city. Well, I didn't even know I was going to be running for mayor a little bit more than a month and a week ago. And the reason why, uh, one of the reasons why I'm running for mayor is because I'm running, so you don't have to. How about that? Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go back and, uh, you know, enjoy your beer or whatever. I don't know. Dollar, you're in the Kiva. Go ahead. 
Hey, Eddie, couple things. You're the only person running for mayor that actually will get something done. Not once have I seen Manny Gonzalez on TV complaining about how weak our judges are. And Mayor Keller's just the publicity whore. The other thing is, do you realize we only have 320 police officers working the streets of Albuquerque? 368. That's the same number yeah. we had in 1980. Yeah. Uh, 368, uh, a lot of, uh, oh my gosh, Eric, I haven't talked to you in a while. How are you doing? Good. Well, I've talked to a guy that's been with the force for a long time, 13 years, and he said it was 320 and they're lying to us. Wow. Well, put me in touch but with them. But we've got to do something. I mean, you know, two-hour response time, it, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, hey, can you uh, do me a favor and uh, sign up at 5 for 505 and... You and I will reconnect, and I'd love to see you at RPNM headquarters next Thursday night, uh, where we're going to have okay. our uh, big well, lunch. Well, I went to the Republican meeting today, and I said something about Darren White. Yeah. And there's a guy running to try to become the Bernalillo County chairperson. And I said, you know, to get these rhinos out. You mean John? Was it John Rockwell? Yes. And what? So and explain it in an entirety. Don't leave anything out of context. Uh, tell me what was said. Well, we were talking, and I went up to him, and I said, we have got to get rid of the rhinos in the Republican Party, especially the Republican Party in New Mexico. They had that thing with the guns, Yeah. and you know, the news station says, oh, well, we called the Republican Party. Well, they went and got the most liberal rhino they could find to make a comment about the gun thing. Taking our guns away is not going to make the city safer. Right. The only thing that's going to make the city safer is if we start putting the scum in prison. That's true. But we're I not going to get that. that done with... And, and you're the only one that'll push that. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, were you surprised to hear that I'm running uh, for mayor? No, I was thrilled. <laughs> okay, good. All right, we'll see you next week. Uh, we'll see get you. Next you we'll get you some Bye -bye. t-shirts, and uh, we'll get going on that. Uh, Five fifty, fifty five hundred. Call you in the Kiva. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Uh, yes, what, sir. Uh, what's your name? I'm Alan. And, Hi, uh, Alan. Thanks for calling. Okay, Alan, have you listened to my program before? Uh, quite often. All right. But, there we go. Okay. So now we're on. Uh, uh, we've established that. So I got to you know so clear the you know funky uh, callers from here. So what do you got to say? Questions? Anything you want to talk about? Go ahead. Yeah. So I would just. I get static, but. Uh, Right now, you're I, getting static, like on the air, or are you talking about like at nighttime with your radio? No, just just now. When okay, it's not there now. Okay, so good. if you become mayor, uh huh, will will you do anything about the DMVs, DV, MD, MVDs problem? They, it's such a hassle, a mess. It is ridiculous. Okay, explain the problem. What's the problem? Let's start there. I don't know what, what's ridiculous, and let's establish what the problem is. What's, what is your issue with the MVD? There's probably a lot, but let's just, you know, the one that immediately comes to mind. Immediately, it is getting registration uh, taken care of. They sent me to Albertson store for... To go to a uh, little machine to put in the information and get my 
new new tag for my vehicle. Okay. And when I did all the everything that was requested on the machine, it comes up system error, and then a phone number to call, and I call that, and it it, it tells you nothing. It just says we'll we'll see what the problem is. And uh, another thing is. I think the city council council that we have is I think you need to change every one of them out of there and put some new people with better and more updated information and ideas and looking forward to what this city needs. It's this city is going so downhill since I've lived here since 1987, and, you know, it's it's a wreck. Did you get any of that? I got all of it, yeah. I got all of it. I know it's a wreck, uh, but one of the reasons why I'm running is exactly that. But, Alan, let's go back to, you know, just talking about, the MBD. I don't have control over the MBD. Right? That is not the yes, providence. But, wait, wait, just listen. And, but, and so let, let me just just listen for just a second, okay? But if we're getting okay. the, these we're getting these problems out there, and you're obviously very frustrated, uh, it's hard to be clear about all of the issues um, that you're you're going through. Um, but you're obviously very frustrated. There are certain things that I can and I can control. One of the things that I would be able to do is leverage what we're doing right here is getting your information, your problem out to everybody we got to be specific i say it's entirely impractical uh just by virtue of the way that the elections are run to get all of the guys out that can't happen so we do have several people on the ballot and uh, you would be good to go ahead and get behind a guy by the name of dan lewis who was running for mayor last time who should have been mayor uh and he is in district seven uh you'd be good to get behind a woman by the name of renee grout uh she's a republican district nine and then uh, Lori robertson i believe district five so, yeah, we definitely need people to go ahead and, and run for these positions. And I think we've got some good candidates uh, that are out there. Uh, we certainly don't like the Pat Davises of the world and the various other people who are really screwing things up and taking things more left. But uh, we'll probably just kind of leave it there. Uh, I have heard you loud and clear. I'll see what I can do. Do you have any other questions as well? Yes, I do. Go ahead. Once you are there, uh-huh. which I really hope that will happen uh is there anything you can do to help get rid of that witch up in santa fe well that's a a great question and the answer is yes yes and yes and absolutely and yes and one of the things that's happening right now politically is um michelle Lujan grisham has been helping manny gonzalez uh as much as she can with the judge by cheat or beach to make sure that he has another chance and another chance. And this is why Manny Gonzalez is trying to push it all the way to the Supreme court, because he is confident that Michelle Lujan Grisham will be able to get a favorable reward. You remember she had uh, some of her best friends, the new secretary, uh, secretary of education is a woman by the last name of Hill. She was uh, one of the people that was uh, uh, involved in the Supreme court. You know, if Manny can get it and there's no urgency to get it heard, uh, then they'll have $1.4 million to spend against me and my mayoral run. So what will I do? Well, we've already had the signatures for impeaching her. 
Uh, we can certainly push back against the essential, non-essential by having our local epidemiologists. Uh, in terms of crime, uh, we can do the crime the way that we want to do it, not just, you know, have her state police show up every so often. She's going to be running on a crime program. Uh, she's going to probably try to do it with a registered Democrat, which is my other two candidates. Uh, I can tell you neither of those approaches will work because New Mexico, the city of Albuquerque is in its worst shape in the history of this. We're on a record 90 murders uh, thus far. I believe we had another one uh, last night. So, yeah, there's a lot we can do. And pushing back, Tim Keller has not, neither has the sheriff against Michelle Lujan Grisham. Uh, not enforcing something is not pushing back against the governor. And that's definitely something that's uh, easy to do. I've been doing it since uh, last March and really since she's uh, taken office. Let's not forget, I also did it from the time that she announced for office. I was uh, after her as she announced that she was running for governor two months before the beginning of the year, before she had sworn in her last term, the last term as a U.S. Congresswoman. Alan, thank you for the phone call. I've got a board full of phone one, calls. One, one, more, one more yes or no question, sir. Okay. Okay. Um, should we not militialize and go attack, you know, get something done on this crime problem in Albuquerque. There are people I know, and they're ready to get out and go hunt down the criminal and, you know, do whatever is necessary to eliminate him so he doesn't even have to go to court and go to, you know, the bail bondsman. Yes or no? Uh, I don't really understand the question that you're asking, sir. I'm sorry. Can you be okay. more? Okay. Good night. Can you be more clear? Good night. Okay. Alan, thanks for the phone call. 550-5500. Caller, you're in the Kiva. Go ahead. That's you, caller. Hello. Hello. Is that me? That's Brad? you. What's up? Hey, um, What's okay. going on? What's your name? Randy. Can you hear me? Randy, I can hear you barely. I don't know where you're at. What you're doing, but okay, try, to, try to be clear. Go ahead. Me. Go ahead, sir. I'm going to say one thing. I think you're arrogant. Mm -hmm. I think you're. I can't stand anything you, but I also think you would be wait, the wait, best can you, we ever had. Can you repeat that last sentence? I didn't hear that before you. You said you think I'm arrogant, you think I'm a jerk, and then you said something that would got kind of covered up. Can you try that again? I think you'll be the best mayor we would ever have. Wow. You say what you. I, I don't I don't like you personally, but I, I love your <laughs> politics. Okay. Do what you say. All right. I, 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 that's a compliment, right? Is that is that a compliment? I would vote for you anyway. I I yeah. I would vote for you anyway, even though I don't like you. Is that a good thing? Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. I, Randy, I we probably get along. Honestly, I mean, actually, I'm a pretty nice guy, but I'd have to, you know. See you to, to for that to actually happen. I, I understand, but you know what? But I think you'd be a great mayor. But you, you know what I mean? You, you put people down sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Well, you gotta. You know, I'm sort of sitting on top of this mountain called the Kiva, and uh, a lot of people try to knock you off all the time. So I got a little chip on my shoulder on the air. That's for sure. So what you're asking me is to sort of like tone that down a little bit. 
is what you want. Is that is that correct? You think there might be a better way to I'm, handle that? I'm, I'm just saying personally, I think you're a jerk. People thought Trump was a jerk. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, yeah. Do you have a question, though? Like, How about a question? That, that's my thing. I think you're going to do a great job. I'm voting for you. I'm paying everyone to vote for you. You wow. are an a-hole, but you're going to... You will be a great mayor. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had a better call, a, a more honest call than that right there. Randy, Eddie, you're an a-hole, but I'm going to vote for you anyway. All right. That's good. All right. Randy, are you doing anything fun this uh, this weekend, Randy? Uh, I got a wedding to go to. Oh, wow. Is it uh, no masks or masks or what happens? Uh, I don't wear a mask. I know, but... <laughs> But I mean, for the the crowd that's there, did they, was there anything on the invitation? I mean, it's been like years since I've seen a wedding invitation. I mean, I don't even know how long, to be quite honest. But did they put that on the invitation? Uh, mask request upon request. We'll furnish the mask. Is there any like you know public notice to the people yeah. who are getting invited? No, it's happened after you sit outside. You don't have to wear a mask. So I would rather sit outside and burn rather than wear a mask. <laughs> there, you're my guy. Hey, hey, Randy, Randy, you're not an a hole. How about that? See? <laughs> you take care, my brother. Okay. <laughs> well, you're in the Kiva. Go ahead. It's Murder Mike. Who's this? Hello. All right, Murder Mike. You can go and call. We got to check on weather and traffic uh, here. Call in, Rudy. I have to do this. All right. So we got more stuff. Uh, Murder Mike, you ready? Go ahead and call in. I don't know who's uh, on. Eddie Arrogant. Yes, I've never heard that before. You're original. Eddie Arrogant. Yes. Please run with that. Literally, that's uh, they, the people would, would refer to me as Eddie Arrogant. I'm like, I'm not arrogant. If you actually know me, uh, I'm not that. Okay, is this Rudy or Mike? Mike or Rudy? Who is it? This is Mike. Oh, how are you, Mike? Murder Mike, go ahead. Hi, uh, Mr. Arrogant Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, Eddie Arrogant. Eddie Arrogant. Eddie Arrogant. Oh, okay. Uh, that's what they wanted to go with. <laughs> well, I tell you, you sure got it going on. A uh, little bit of ETOH on board there a couple of times, I'm sure, but uh, yeah. we're moving right along here. Right. I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to start with uh, last night. Uh, there was a pursuit by the New Mexico State Police and also the New Mexico State Police helicopter. Uh, it started on the freeway between I-40 and I-25. Uh Zigzag through the Gibson and Yale Airport area a couple of times around there, and then the pursuit ended about seven minutes later in the parking structure behind Pope Joy Hall. Speeds were in excess of 90 to 100 miles an hour. Uh, when they when the suspects entered the parking structure, they ditched a vehicle and fled on foot. And then uh, at 9:45 last night, there was an attempted carjacking. The offenders were described as a Hispanic male an Hispanic female, and they were driving a dark blue Saturn SUV. And then there was a fully involved structure fire in the 1400 block of Edith Northeast, smoke and flame showing, level one staging. There was an offensive attack on the fire. And then the Dirty Bourbon must have been rocking and rolling last night because they had four disturbance calls at the Dirty Bourbon. That's on Montgomery Northeast. Four persons were maced. Rescue and ambulance had responded. Wow, four macings at the Dirty Bourbon? Yeah, They're getting dirty. That's the Dirty Bourbon. Dirty, dirty. I guess, it, I guess they were having a good time Woo! and got a little carried away. When you're pent up that long, it's bound to get dirty at the Bourbon, right? There we go. <laughs> anyway. Maybe that's why they call it Dirty Bourbon. I, I'm not supposed to be entertaining. My uh, pol uh, political consultant tells me I'm not supposed to be entertaining. I'm supposed to be more uh, mayoral. Oh, okay. Well, I think yeah. I think you're very entertaining. Do you know who my political consultant is? Uh, 
Mike Santulo. Me, that. me. Oh. <laughs> no, you. Yeah, I no, you are the, yeah. I literally, my, I'm my own campaign manager. Should I? Uh, what, what are you going to do with my own campaign manager? What do you think about that? Well, I think you're doing a good job. I mean, I appreciate known you personally it. For, uh, there we go. Several years, and I think I, I know you personally. I think I think you're what's right for Albuquerque. It's the right time. And it's the right place for somebody to step in and say enough is enough and just tell it like it is. But uh, I know how you address things. You know, you you mean what you say and you say what you mean. So, uh, but anyway, moving along here uh, on to, now. Just today, there was a uh, officer involved shooting involving a Valencia County deputy. Uh, he was shot on New Mexico Highway Six. His he was shot in the leg know. two times. Same leg two times, by the way. Oh, and the, oh was he? Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you got that update. I didn't get yeah, that. Yeah, that started the show with that. So a lot of people texting in. Um, you know, there it is. Shot, oh, okay. shot twice to kick off the show. Let's see. Uh, Frank checks in with the Valencia County deputy. was shot twice in the leg. Suspect dead. High-speed chase started westbound Highway 6. Ended on 314 in Las Lunas. South Valley Heights. That's right. That's right. Suspect died on the scene by shot by New Mexico State Police. They mean business when they get out there. You do not mess with the state police. I'm telling you, if they tell you to stop, you better stop. Should I clap? Well, if I clap for that, do I get you know? I mean, that that lose votes, that win votes. Should I be happy about that, or should I say my condolences go to the family? Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, aren't at this point, aren't we just happy that the good guys got the bad guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, you I don't know. know. I mean, sometimes I wonder what what world we're living in there, Mike. Well, I kind of wonder about that, you know, myself, because it seems like uh, uh, when the cops do something, uh, you know, uh, if they stop somebody who just uh, like shot a little kid, we'll say, or maybe did a, a, ha- a home invasion, shot an entire family up, murdered them all, and then the state, and then the cop uses excessive force and taking them down. And then the, all of a sudden, the suspect cries, you know, foul. And, and I, I don't, I, I just can't understand it. I just, it, it, I don't know what to say about that. I just really don't. It just kind of baffles me. That's why I strongly say we support our police department. And I'm glad you're, you're behind them all the way. So. I am. Love those guys. You're my boy, well, Blue. I get back to Blue. What do you say? I'll go video. You You don't know that. Uh, yeah, you don't know that reference. You're my boy, Blue. I think it's from old school. Remember that? What's that? You don't remember old school? Did you? I, I doubt you ever watched that movie. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking to you about movies. <laughs> anyway, oh, continue. Well, I, about I murder, Mike. That's okay. Remember, I was. Yeah. I was, you know, brought up in the '60s. You know, peace, love, rock and roll, stick a daisy in the sh- in the down the barrel of a National Guard uh, oh, when they were here in Albuquerque. Yeah. You, yeah, the riots, you were part anyway. of the riots, uh, the crazy riots that were there after the Kent State stuff. I, I was, as a matter of fact, at, at both at Roosevelt Park and at Yale Park. And, mm, Roosevelt uh, Park. Okay. Yeah, it okay. all started with a with somebody had a cop with a frisbee and an all hell broke loose. The next thing you know, everybody's just going nuts. So, but all right. That's Anything else? Uh, can we have stats from last night? Statistic wise, we got we had one armed robbery last night. We had twelve assaults. Seven were simple assaults. Five aggravated. Seven intoxicated individuals. One was down and out. Domestic disputes. There were seven of them. Three of them were considered violent. There was five psychiatric calls. Ten shots fired. And one was uh, as a result of the shot spotter. And drug-related calls. There was four, two overdoses. Disturbance calls. General disturbance. There was ten. Four of them were bar-related. 
burglaries, there was two commercial, zero residential, and zero auto burglaries, three uh, auto thefts, and two property vandalism reports. And if you want to do a quick, we can, we can do a quick, we can review, it's up to you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, on Thursday night, New Mexico State Police helicopter started freeway to Gibson and Yale. Okay, that's, we did that. And then we did that. That was happened today. I'm going through my notes here because I got all, right. all stapled together. So Mike, get some rest. Come back uh, ready to fight on uh, Tuesday. We're not going to do anything on Monday. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm, I'm taking a long. I'm going to uh, to LA? Los Alamos. I'm going to monitor the station for you. You're going to go to L.A. Los Alamos. Yeah, I'm heading up there. Okay, good. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad you're going to do that. Uh, go and see my uh, good friends, wonderful people that own KRSN, David and. Uh, uh, his uh, beautiful wife, actually the license holder for the station, and go check by the flower shop and say hello. Buy your uh, buy your girlfriend a flower. How about that? Yeah, we always stop there every every time we go up there and get Cheryl's mom a set of flowers. So I always they uh, they know Cheryl and her mom by, uh, on a personal basis. So we always stop in there and say hi. All right, and I okay. like to always say hi to David. So good yeah. people up there, man. I love it. All right, there it is. There he is. Murder Mike. Thank go you, have, a, yeah. have a good day and be safe over the Labor Day weekend. There it is. All right, caller, is that you, Rudy? I know this is Edward. Hey, Edward. We have the same hey, name. This is, uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we uh, share more in common than just our first names. Um, no, please, I think please. so. Actually, this is, uh, this is Duke that I text you quite a bit. Um, oh, the Duke. I, but, All right. Very cool. How are you? Thanks for coming. Hey, I'm, yeah, I, it's the first time I've called in, um, but I agree with the caller. About being arrogant, I think all politicians have to be arrogant to some degree if they're going to be successful. Um, so I have no problem with that. And I also agree with it. Um, um, Rudy, or not Rudy, um, Murder Mike, uh, in his assessment of, of your candidacy, I think it's going to be great for the city when you win. Uh, one thing that I had an observation of when I first moved here, mm-hmm. uh, this is back in 2008. Okay. And it was straight up noticeable for me. I was not here, well, by the way, at that time, just so you know. Okay. I moved from Boise, Idaho, down to here. And in Boise, it's back then, I'm sure it's different now, of course. But um, you just didn't see cop cars all over the place. But the minute I drove into Albuquerque, it seemed like they were coming and going in every direction. There was plenty of police everywhere. And then now, if you look at it, you don't see cop cars anymore. Anywhere. They just don't seem to exist. I know that there's a police force, but there just doesn't seem to be the presence that a police force needs to have to say to somebody, hey, listen, we're here. We're watching you. Yeah, right, right. And and that's what I've noticed lately here in Albuquerque. So I'm sure that can be fixed. Well, um, it can be fixed. One of the things that mm -hmm. I talk a lot about is the overtime pay, ensuring that we can cut that and run across all the officers and making sure that that unscheduled overtime is is taken care of. Now, there's going to be some special, uh, you know, parts where we're going to have to uh, pay for additional officers, uh, and that'll be a, a different allocation. But if we can right. run that, so we can keep uh, retainage up, you got to keep them, then you got to grow them. Uh, my mm-hmm. opponent, Tim Keller, has not done that. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a Democrat. I'm a Republican, and we believe in law enforcement. We be uh, stand behind uh, backing the blue. That's not what he does. So as far as uh, Tim Keller is concerned, you know, the way that he's run the uh, department and the drama uh, between the chiefs, you had uh, Medina going out or Medina coming in, Geyer going out and passing the buck. You know, it's very unfortunate. 
you know, I, I met uh, Mike Geyer, hung out with him for four days. We did uh, some good broadcasting back and forth. I believe he's backing some other, uh, you know, uh, the, the other guy who's splitting the Democrat vote now, uh, Manny Gonzalez with no money. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's a, a good chance for me to consult a little bit with him, consult with Medina. I'm not going to walk in fire Medina. That is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to evaluate what he's doing. He's going to let me know. Um, he probably, I would say, a good chance, 99% of a uh, chance he will not be the police chief. I can tell you that right off the bat. Um, and if Manny is interested in, in doing anything, he can apply to go ahead and work for our Albuquerque Police Department. Um, he wanted to leave the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department uh, back in the day. If he did not win, uh, he ended up staying. So I know that he likes being a cop. So, you know, that's somebody else we can. I mean, re- retaining our police officers, growing the force, treating them right and letting them know that uh, we're going to stand behind them uh, with lawsuits as well. And, of course, you know about uh, how the they, they have been targeted under the DOJ and some of the other oh, things. I mean, we that went all have, the way back to uh, uh, Eric Holder. Right. They have, been, they have been pushed out and uh, we've got to do our best to keep our police officers. So I'm excited. You know, I think no, that, I think uh, I think you should have every right to be excited. I think I'm excited. I can I know tell, that Duke. I um, I'm yeah. appreciate you uh, jumping in here on a uh, Friday afternoon at uh, 5:53. Anything else? Any other questions I can no, ask for? I'll let other callers call in. Okay. Uh, I'll call you back. There's always going to be a few things that are going to be on my mind. Whatever you want, just call okay, uh, thanks, any Betty. subject. And, and by the way, you guys don't always have to call about crime. You can call about anything. Call you're in the key. Is that you, Rudy? Hi. No, it's not. Hi. Uh, right. uh, who's this? My name's Roger. Hey, uh, Roger. Thanks five, for calling in. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, five weeks ago, I was at a uh, gas station at Manal and Wyoming, and a homeless person was walking towards me. I told him to back off, and he immediately, in about two seconds, had a knife at my throat and said, give me the keys to your car, which I was uh, going to comply. Um, and as he got in the car, I have go. a Revelco, mm-hmm. and I... I pulled the Revelco out so he couldn't start the car, and I ran into the gas station, and the guy uh, the guy took off, uh, stole my phone and some things inside the car. Um, the people at the gas station were in back talking, so they didn't come out front immediately to help me. Finally, I got one of them to call the police. And long story short, so this is a man who put a knife to my throat. Two nights later, that uh, another carjacking attempt where the guy was dragged by the former by a uh, off-duty police officer mm-hmm. uh, and was in the hospital critical the the police have never gotten back with me yeah yeah there and you go that's the, that's a the store owner the store owner refused to turn over the video of course of course what's going on of course and um so there's another guy running around with a knife who's willing to uh steal your car and possibly kill you. That's right. No, and, and kill I've you. Not, I've, I've not received, and they will, I've not received the they phone will. call. Now yep. I know enough about a gun. Your number one thing is to get yourself to safety, which I did. Um, and he couldn't take, he couldn't take my car because I, I pulled the Revelco out, which means you, you can't start the card. Right. No, no matter Thank you. what. But Thanks for being a this, supporter of this them. This is a, uh, this is a dangerous, yes. dangerous. And every, every homeless person most every homeless person has a knife, and many of them carry guns. I, uh, I got to tell you, Roger, one, I'm glad you're safe. Two, I'm not surprised. Three, uh, I think it's important that we establish the name of the business owner who will not turn over 
the tape. Uh, please uh, state that uh, actively on the air and location. All right. So, so what it, what it was, I went in several times, gave the clerks that worked there my phone number, told the owner to call me. He never did. It's the Allon Gas Station. Where? Comanche. It's Allon Gas Station, A-L-O-N, at Comanche and Montgomery. Okay, let me pull this up right now. Okay, so that is uh, right there by uh, yeah Top Golf. Uh, I actually know that area very well. Um, that is an, just on the other side. An, you know, that's a tough area. You remember, there's a lot of racing, drag racing that goes up and down there. As you know, the apartments uh, in that area, and it, you're about a little less than a mile from Del Norte uh, uh, to the west. You're west of Del Norte uh, High School. Uh, amazing. That's happening right in the center of town, ladies and gentlemen. Take good so care Wyoming, of yourself. I would ask you. I would Wyoming, ask. Sure. Wyoming and Comanche, and right down there at Manal and Wyoming is the Walmart. Walmarts attract a lot of uh, not so pleasant people, although yeah. they try and do a good job to keep them away. And um, there's some low rent apartments in there. The guy was not didn't he didn't I, I want to say homeless just because he looked that way, but he wasn't like a uh, you know a psychotic looking homeless guy. He was. But I, you know, I gave the full description, gave a police report. They said they'd get back. Of course, never did. And that still means there's a really, really dangerous person, amongst others, running around the city of Albuquerque uh, on the loose still. Never heard back. Yeah, here's some of the uh, responses here from Google. Uh, let's see. Avoid this place. Unpleasant people. Change your hours. At least get rid of the service window. It's not 24-7 a front for drugs. No one shops right. at this location. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, so, I'm to do something here. So when I ran in the when I ran in the front door, I said I've just been carjacked, and there was nobody there. They were out in back talking. He finally came out, and the guy walked off. And I said he took my phone. I've got my I've got my starter. Can you get in my car with me, and we'll follow him and call the police? Oh yeah, and don't course, don't follow said, anybody. Yeah, the guy said no. Yeah, and I would have told you no too uh, on that part, but I would have definitely helped you. Uh, but I would have prevented you from getting yourself in more danger with someone who had nothing to lose. All right. Uh, so Roger, can I address this in a little bit differently? Yeah. Okay. So, so you're talking to me. I believe the onus is not only on the store owner, uh, but also us as a city and the man, the mayor here. Okay. This would right. be the, the perfect response for, for this would be for me to go to my city manager cruiser and go visit the, the owner of this place. Now, being a city manager of the mayor is going to carry a lot of weight. He is already responding because he's losing business because Ricky Reese says, once again, the worthless manager makes me ask a bag for buying four drinks. Y'all refuse to get it right. I see. I'm going to take this to Facebook. Maybe I'll get you all attention then. And then the owner responds. We're sorry to hear that you had that experience. We appreciate your feedback. Have passed along to the regional manager in your area. Thank you again. I so enjoyed their motto, DK makes your day a little easier, yet they didn't have a restroom I could use. They didn't understand this because of COVID. Uh, wait, wait, let me, let me finish. Let me, yeah, let me finish. Let me finish. So I'm looking at all these comments, and I'm immediately realizing, like, this particular business has 1.2 in terms of, like, Google reviews. Now, we don't want to damage this business any more than it is. We want to let them know that we're aware of the problems, and it's also becoming a, let's all say this word together, we need to get used to this nuisance. The place itself is a nuisance. You can't go there and actually get good gas. We can probably start looking in its business, its business licensing, uh, its compliance, et cetera, et cetera, from top to top to bottom, and actually penalize this business for not running a cleaner place. Now, there's a lot of small businesses here that choose to go ahead and have private security. If this is the place that has that, and we would have to actually 
hire them to do it because it costs the city of Albuquerque money for us to go ahead and send police officers down there to come and take care of this, investigate this, try to figure out, you know, what's what, right? Well, why not put it on the business, back on the business? And they did that some time ago with the 7-Elevens, right? You had the phone booth that was there. People were hanging outside and it became, quote unquote, a nuisance. So the idea would be to try and get this along a gas station because we need gas stations. We need places of business. You know, this place is bringing in revenue, uh, which means also revenue for the government. Uh, so uh, which is something that I would be a part of at that time. And we want to make sure that, you know, they are above board and on time with everything that they're doing. So, you know, we would work with them, but we'd also let them know that, hey, we had our friend Roger, a uh, citizen of the city of Albuquerque, who came to get gas and was accosted violently at your place. And you chose not to help him, not to acknowledge him. We are aware that you are emboldening and enabling the criminal element here in our city. And not only that, uh, there could be potential penalties uh, for you. Many of these businesses, as you know, are bonded and licensed. Uh, and, you know, they have to, if something happens on their property, believe it or not, you could actually sue the property uh, itself for enabling and emboldening uh, the criminal element uh, on their property. There are many places that do it. You've got to work with these businesses, though, and keep them up. Some of them aren't aware of these situations. We can't just say, well, the owner didn't do something or these didn't do it. It's all of our problem. And it's as much the mayor's problem as it is that business owners to make something happen. So I would literally take my cruiser over to go and visit, schedule something with him, get him on the calendar, go visit with him for 10 minutes, let him know that what, what we're going to do is help him get out of a situation. Yeah, can you hold on a sec? Thank you. My alpha dogs are here. So that's the way I would handle that, Roger. Uh, give me your uh, final comments on this. And the other thing, it's possible that the employees didn't give my phone number to the manager and say, call me, but that's still a management problem. Repeat that, Alan. Uh, my kids was talking. Uh, what, what did you say again? It, it's possible that when I gave my phone number to the employee and they have call me that the, man, that the employee didn't give the number to the manager, that's still a management problem. Yeah, but I can't run his business. I think they should go ahead and fire that particular employee. I guess we lost him. All right, uh, caller, one more time. All right, we're going to uh, come out. I'll be back at 6.02 here in the Kiva. Appreciate everybody tuning in. More texts, more calls. I've got so many texts. Um, maybe you guys are all hanging out at home and not deciding to uh, check out for the weekend, and that's certainly fine, too. So thanks, everybody, for listening here on a beautiful Friday afternoon, a little bit cloudy. And, uh, Rudy, go check out everybody over at uh, this weekend. I think uh, Monty's Cigar Shop is closed. Uh, we'll get uh, Rudy back uh, connected to his old ways. We appreciate everybody tuning in on AM 1600 KIV, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com. Looking for a full-service landscaping company that can design, build, and maintain your landscape? True West Landscape is the company for you. Whether you are a property manager or homeowner looking for that quality weekly service, True West is here to help. Contact the True West team of professionals today so we can show you our quality service options at 505-395-7770, 505-395-7770, or visit online at truewestgroup.com. Auto thieves make stealing your vehicle a priority. We make preventing your vehicle from being stolen ours. RevelcoNM.com. 505-550-4000. 
Hey, Grandpa and Stella, we need to get back to work. We are working, Eva. Yeah, all this cleaning and sanitizing is hard work if you do it right like we do. Exactly, Stella. Especially while serving all the yummy Monroe's food with a smile. Behind the mask. And in a safe, sanitized place. Hey, Hey, Eva, Eva, we we want to raise. I'll give you two a raise. Go and raise the flag and get back to work. We are going to Monroe's in Heights and downtown. Directions at chili.theplaceilike.com. This is why people from all over go to JJ's Premier Tire and Services. This is Josefo from Santa Fe. I just blew a tire in my trailer. I was on my way to Albuquerque and I stopped at JJ's. So glad I did. The manager came over right away, quoted me an amazing price, and they had it in stock. No waiting. Within minutes, I had a new tire. Ready to go. I have a fleet of trucks and I've never received this kind of service from anybody. I'll be back. JJ's is your complete automotive repair center. From oil changes, brakes, alignment, air conditioning, to repairs on your engine to keep you safe on the road. JJ can do it. Hi, I'm JJ, and we built our reputation on honest, fair-priced auto repair. And we can service any car, light truck, or SUV. When we service your vehicle, we'll do it right. Trust JJ's Premier Tire and Services on San Antonio, just west of Wyoming. Call 821-5771. That's 821-5771. Ready for some adventure? Then explore our new array of Lear's superior camper shelves and tonneau covers at Smith's Ultimate Linings. Fiberglass base rails, trimless edges, DuPont automotive finish. Enjoy safety and superior advantages Lear offers. We'll even take $100 off with a purchase of a shell and liner. Visit our website at smithsultimate.com or call us at 505-332-1403 to begin your journey today with Smith's Ultimate Lining. Albuquerque-based Pluma Construction Systems provides a full suite of commercial construction services and residential remodeling. Pluma Construction is a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. Former President Ronald Reagan said, To grasp and hold a vision, that is the very essence of successful leadership. Leaders set a destination. Leaders have a vision. They communicate that vision. They are passionate about their vision. They make sure everyone in their organization understands the vision. Their vision attracts and affects every employee in the workplace. Do you know your destination? Does your team know your destination? President Reagan also said, The challenge of statesmanship is to have the vision to dream of a better, safer world and the courage, persistence, and patience to turn that dream into reality. What is the vision for your company? This Leadership Minute was brought to you by Pluma Construction Systems. To discuss your construction project, call 505-345-0755 or visit plucys.com. Bad credit? Need it fixed? At Credit Rescue, Inc., our services have been used by mortgage companies, banks, and auto dealerships to help people who have been turned down for credit. Don't spend the next 7 to 10 years as a victim of high interest. Remember, knowledge is power, and you now have a way to get back your credit worthiness. Bad credit can haunt people for years. Let's rescue your credit at Credit Rescue, Inc. Call me, Mike Ramos, to set up an appointment today at 505-899-1448. That's 899-1448. Hi, I'm Kevin with Futons and Frames. We've been doing business in Albuquerque for over 30 years. We have the largest selection of futon frames in the state. Our futons are made right here in the USA. So if quality, service, and knowledge of product matter to you, then come on down to 4311 Manal or call us at 881-6863. 
I need something sweet. Chocolate, vanilla, fudge with fruit, nuts, cream jelly, mouth-watering, tingling, sensational, and I need it right now. Not just from anywhere. It must be the Candy Lady in Old Town, and they'll even deliver. Check out the Candy Lady at CandyLady.com. Six oh six in the five oh five with more forward one here for your third hour. I'm Eddie Oregon, the Rock of Talk, and your mayoral candidate on EM sixteen hundred KIVABQ.FM. Rockoftalk.com. Glad to be here with you. Kind of cruise into the last hour. I will be here tomorrow with uh, Liberty Lady Natalie. She's going to be joining in, so I'm uh, excited about that. So we'll be doing a uh, four-hour broadcast from 2 to 6. It'll be long, but it's going to be good, and uh, we're going to be ready to go. So I'll be here tomorrow uh, as well. I'd like for everybody to sign up for fightfor505.com. That's fightfor505.com. You can donate, you can get all the news, you can get absolutely everything. Yes, we have the positive, the negative news, everything that uh, you can possibly think of, we put out there uh, as well. You can sign up <clears throat> to be a volunteer, and then uh, you can get yourself a couple of t-shirts, all that stuff. I mean, a lot of people need to just go ahead and decompress. So I'm here for everybody else that's out there today that doesn't have a whole lot going on. So I'm here enjoying, and hopefully you guys are you know, having some some beers in the backyard, hanging out with your kids, uh, loving life and imagining a better Albuquerque uh, alongside uh, me. I'll get to more of the questions. Lots of questions coming in. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, some people calling me arrogant, a jerk. You know, that's good. And then saying they're still voting for me. That's even better. Um, you know, we don't want to change who people are. Uh, people think that their politicians need to be that way. I'm actually a pretty nice guy. Love to meet you. Uh, a lot of people like me once they meet me. Um, people who don't know me oftentimes are the harshest critics and then they, they build up this giant wall and I'm like, oh, I'm totally cool. I don't, I don't care about that either. Uh, the equal time thing, I'm not afforded uh, equal time on other uh, television stations insofar as, you know, either the sheriff or the mayor keep it to just their current jobs, which is still their current job. So um, I do offer the equal time here for them as candidates. Uh <laughs> Here, uh, my opponents can go ahead and come on and request that. They have to read, read, uh, request that in writing, actual physical writing, sending it, uh, send it to me uh, via envelope, and uh, we can go ahead and get them on. So 550-5500. Let me get through some uh, text as well. Eddie, do you think we should go back to the city manager form of government or some other form that has less taxing and lawmaking power? I was born here, have never seen Albuquerque as stifling and suffocating as it is right now. Uh, I can't answer your question because I don't have enough information. I like the way it sounds. I like less government in your life. I like government doing more of what it needs to do to get things right. Less marketing, less talking about stadiums. Like You don't want to hear from your mayor all the time about the, the, the great new swindle he's got going from buses to trains to stadiums and uh, you know it being like a sort of character. I'm not interested in that. Uh, I already have that established well on my radio. I don't need to find my identity and have people tell me how terrible I am or great I am. I'm wholly uninterested in that as you are. People have their lives uh, to live and between essential, essential and non-essential and between, you know, uh, the government telling you whether or not you can keep your business open or can't keep it open, you know, crime getting continually worse. I mean, we know that government can improve the lives 
of people if it's used right and if it's minimalized, but that has not happened. So uh, one of the things that I want to do on the healthcare front with COVID-19 is hire an epidemiologist, challenge the quote unquote science, uh, but also making sure that, and that I don't even know that that's a full-time job. Just getting a second opinion, that person can uh, get paid for each one of their opinions that they have to issue at the time that they it is issued. And then we can go ahead and consult with them or a panel. Um, and it can be every, anybody from, you know, someone who's done the job before to America's frontline doctors and uh, everything else uh, in between. So I'm certainly looking forward to adding a little bit more to the conversation. All right, calls, text, whatever you want, uh, 550-5500, unscreened in the Kiva. Go ahead, caller. It's Rudy. Rudy, do you want to do uh, weather or you just want to talk, Rudy? How are you, how are you feeling, well, buddy? I'm feeling great. Listen, uh, just two things I want to let people know about. Okay. Uh, if you're going to be heading out of town at uh, North uh, 550, the Northwest is going to be really tight. It has been all afternoon long, so just budget in a little extra time, or you may want to give it another hour, because uh, right now the worst of it seems to be from uh, Camino del Rey all the way out to the uh, 528. So maybe a little bit more time now that'll help you out there. But other than that, the 40 and the 25 are looking great this afternoon. All right, Rudy. How are you? How are you feeling? You know, not bad at all. You know, it was just a tough, uh, tough four days. But, you know, everything is, is fine now. And to be able to actually be out, I just love being out because I love the city. Oh, you and you love people, Rudy. Let's just face it. So. Uh, Rudy, do you have any questions for me? Uh, this isn't a setup, ladies and gentlemen. He literally is called. I, th- I thought you were done for the day. Is Monty's closed already? Uh, yes. The the main way to get in, the Gurkha Club's still open. But, okay. um, yeah, but the uh, shop's up. And Monty's, here's the great thing about Monty's. They're going to be open tomorrow. And going into the fall, this is the time you really want to think about coming to a place like this. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a sale, all right? It's just the way they are. Uh, they've got pipes. They've got tobacco. They've got accessories. And then they got 2,000 types of cigars. So this is the kind of thing as we get in the gift-giving season as we move towards the end of the year. You really want to think about this uh, for, uh, man, anyone on your list. This is just a great place to come. Uh, so I just wanted to let people know about that. And Matt, he is just such a great guy. Matt he is the a best. Really good place. Yes, just go buy cigars just so you can buy them as gifts, even if you don't get them from yourself. And whatever uh, you need to go ahead and do, uh, get it directly from Matt. Matt is Matt's the best. Matt, I love you. Yeah, I think I, you're an, an amazing guy. It's amazing family. Uh, he is one of the most. Would you say? Uh, uh, I would vote for if he wanted to be mayor. I would totally have voted for for Matt Monty. I mean, he's got he's that, very logical, right? He's very logical, very straight laced. I mean, uh, love, love the yep. guy, right? And he is like he's in in a certain in a different different way than you. He says what he means, and he doesn't back off that. Once I love he's him. made up his mind, there it is. And love having a cigar with that guy too. I mean, just you know, I don't know what he he knows. Matt knows how to converse with people, and that's a skill, by the way. That's not just something that you're that you're born with. I think. So. And part of part of that is because he's he's so well versed in his history. He understands where things have been. Well, he's a military he guy. He comes from yeah. a military background, so he knows about all that stuff. So. Yeah, very cool. All right, Rudy. Um, all right, so a full week next week, which will start Tuesday, not Monday. Um, right. And then we'll have a recorded uh, not live in and, and play in, and I'll do that for three hours on Thursday uh, during our broadcast, unless we have Jaybird in here uh, handling the board and doing all that stuff. So I'll see you out there Thursday for sure. I haven't seen you in weeks. You okay? 
Yeah, no, they're doing fine. You know, it was, like I said, a tough four days. But to be out, you have no idea how fun it is to get out. It is just a blast. You want to hear, you want to hear some answers here? Yeah. Okay, we'll do it. I'm going to keep you on the uh, – Dowd is hanging out uh, at home. He's got the – or he's dog-sitting. You could hire Love him. You, you can hire him, Rudy. You need to go ahead and do that. All right. <laughs> All right. And I, I, it's taken me two hours to get to this. One, one question. Under what circumstances, if any, would you support raising taxes? Under – so remember, the key is support. Right, you might have to. I will never support it, even against myself. Uh, my answer is one: under no circumstances. Two: not for a stadium. Three: not for a bus. Four: not for a spaceship. Five: not for a building. What do you think? I think that's spot on. <laughs> we All don't right. need to pay. For you don't it. have to we like have it. Plenty of buildings. I want you to be as critical as you can possibly be, Rudy. All right. What specific industry should the city target with economic development incentives? Number one, home builders. Acquire land, build neighborhoods, streamline approvals. Every one of my answers was 50 words, by the way. Two, industrial commercial real estate developers. We have 0% vacancy. We need industrial space. Three, doctors. We should provide property tax incentives for relocations, uh, relocation of physicians. Four, entrepreneurs. Students, right? People so we can keep them here. And five, close restaurants, build them a cloud kitchen. We need to build a cloud kitchen. Um, if you haven't seen one, well, I'll show it to you. All right, uh, what are your economic development, anything on that, Rudy? What do you like? Uh, you know what? I think the industrial is really important because we've got to get more businesses out here. We just do. What are your economic development strategies for boosting small and local businesses? Remove the art. Remove blight, number two. Remove blight, vagrancy, crime, and make the city of people a place where people want to do business. Three, compete against casinos for attractions, food, visitors, entertainment. We don't do that. We're just like, oh, they got it. Four, fight shutdowns from the state. No essential versus non-essential. Five, personally visit small businesses every day in the city manager cruiser. You, does that concept, uh, you like that concept that I'm talking about? Yeah, but the answer is six, all of the above. Oh, okay. There we go. Rudy's, uh, Rudy's making my answer even better. That's beyond 50 words. Not able to say that. Uh, let's see. 12. The city is establishing a new gateway center at Old Loveless Hospital in southeast Albuquerque, and some neighbors are concerned that it'll be too big of an operation. What is the maximum number of overnight shelter beds the facility should have? Number one, the gateway is unsuitable. Only 300 beds? Impractical. Number three, overnight shelters in cities need to be actively supported with care, pickup, and transit. Four, we should not invest in real estate or tiny homes. Five, we will help homeless find forever homes. 50% not from New Mexico. What do you think, Rudy? Wow, that last one's way too tough. How are we going to do that? Well, um, uh, we will help homeless find forever homes. you got to get them right. back to I, their I get, home. How do you uh, assess? That's exactly. Uh, I've got uh, the answer in the next the next answer. What is it the... Uh, what is the city's responsibility to neighborhoods around neighborhoods around the Gibson Gateway and future city-owned shelters? Number one, to maintain the safety of the neighborhood. Two, to improve the quality of life of its area residents. Three, to continue to support its active economic growth and gentrification. Four, to establish commerce for employees of our largest employers, Sandia Labs, Kirtland, and the UNM. Five, to increase property value. I think the city has 
an interesting and increasing property value, right? Amenities, etc. I do too. Yeah, yeah. infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the city. You pay in, you should get something out. We got to we got to do what we can to beautify the city, everywhere, right? All right. Uh, Fourteen. What should the city do for people living on the streets who do not want to stay in a shelter? Number one, determine the best care on a case by case basis. If mental, two, give care and transport to facility immediately. Three, if drug related, give care and transport to jail immediately. Four, if economic, give care and transport to shelter immediately. Five, if they refuse, transport out of city. There you go. What do you think? Not a bad idea. Yeah. We've got to do something about handling all the different problems and doing it tour really will work for people. All right. Here's my uh, answer here. Do you support sanctioned encampments, sometimes called safe outdoor spaces, in the city? Why or why not? Yes. Like this. This is actually a Diane Gibson can't believe I'm agreeing with her on anything. Two, as a temporary measure, less than 30 days, before we transport homeless to the forever homes or back to their hometown. Three, need to be actively managed with caseworkers towards suitable solutions for clients. Four, prevents organic camps from developing. And five, easier to track our homeless. So yes, 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 yes. That's the reasons why. And finally, yeah. a 2020 analysis showed the city needs 15,500 more affordable affordable housing units to meet demand for those with extremely low incomes. What is your plan to address that gap? One, grow jobs, create opportunity. I came from a low income start. Two, our real estate market suffers from a lack of supply. Current prices are making homes unattainable. Three, attract home builders and apartment developers to Albuquerque. Four, absorb infill and undeveloped land. Five, streamline Albuquerque's planning and and development apartment. There you go. All right, Rudy, what do you think? I've got. I, I think I, the last one. I've got one more for you here. Sorry, got excited okay. when I started reading this. All right, fewer than half of Albuquerque residents agree the city is responsive to community needs. According to the city's own survey, what would you do to improve responsiveness? Number one, personally visit small businesses daily in the city manager cruisers. Two, leverage the nine line five zero five nine six nine 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 nine. Three, continue to do radio show AM sixteen hundred KIVA from four to seven called the Rock of Time. Four, personally show up at every city council meeting. Five, inspire city employees. Morale is low. We'll leave it there. What do you think, Rudy? Good? I think that's all really good. You know what's really exciting to me? What? Is when you're elected mayor to still be able to be on the air because now people will have a chance to actually talk to the mayor, to reason with somebody, and you'll be able to send them to whatever department they need to go to and get answers. But all of a sudden, you'll be creating discussion amongst the citizenry of this city. I just think that's a great thing that's going to happen. Rudy, have you listened to the debate yet? Yes. Okay. One time, two times, how many? Uh, a couple of times. I The night that you did it, and then I've heard it two times since. Okay. Good. Um, all right. So, and you know that I, and you know that I live at the radio station. I've been here since yes. uh, pretty much the beginning of COVID. Mar- May of 2020. What do you think about that? Does it bother you? Does it bother bother you when you come into my my house slash radio? No. Do you like my fireplace? How about my new kitchen that I installed? What do you think about that? I love all of that stuff because it really is a very home, gives you a homey feeling. And when, you know, like we get there in the afternoon, when dad and I get there in the afternoon, when I used to go to the station instead of on the remotes that I do, I got to tell you, you're not walking into somebody's house. You're walking into a place that looks so livable and comfortable. But then we, you know, you, you open the door and you go into a studio and we do work. 
These guys not only want to chase me out of the mayor's race, they want to chase me out of my home. What do you think about that? I think that they're trying to find a way to marginalize anybody that's not them. I think I think that's one of Keller's. Well, what is big- them? Do you think the Keller's people and uh, the other guy? I mean, do you guys think these guys just want to keep uh, Albuquerque the same? I mean, they know that I won't. So, you think that's what's going on? Uh, you know on? what? I hate I hate to say that, but once somebody becomes a politician, and that's what what Keller is. Yeah, they just want to protect their job. Once I get into the position, they'll never let me lose a position because then I lose my power. That's how come you've had so many mayors run for other offices in the state, and they never get anywhere. You're a guy who's walking and saying, I just want a better city. I'm not trying to be a politician. I'm not going to make this a lifelong goal. I'm not going to make it a lifelong um, job for myself. What you're doing is you want to better the city, like you said earlier in the show today, to hand it off to the next generation. Maybe my kids might be uh, something someday, and they'll walk in my footsteps and do radio and maybe run for something someday. Who knows? So you I'm going to steal your uh, your answer, by the way. I think it's that good. Yeah, well, your oldest is, you know, well, both of them. They're very smart kids, but that oldest one, he just you can tell that he's always thinking, and he's <laughs> always putting things together. That, that kid is really smart. Yeah, he's good. And, you know, the best thing about him? Besides how he looks and uh, and all that stuff, his manners—they're both very well mannered. Yeah, so that's a, that. Believe it or not, that's what I uh, what I really care about: how they act and behave in public. And I think that's important. And that might be surprising coming from a guy like me. All right, Rudy, love you. Thanks for checking in here this afternoon. Call you in the Kiva. Go ahead. Anything you like. Oh, or nothing. You can do that too. Uh, read the last text, 625. I'll close out early if because I'm going to be here four hours tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> should we have a little bit of fun? I feel like we should have a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. This guy is a running joke from the top. Let's see. Light it, don't hide it, broody. Park it and spark it, bro. Dowd's in Kerala yanking silver ponytails where he should be. <laughs> I'm literally just going to sit here and read this stuff. This is so good. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to read all of these, but uh, all right. Uh, call you in the Kiva. Go ahead. Do you want to talk or you know, are you just playing with the pans in the kitchen? Go ahead. All right. Make Albuquerque great again. Absolutely. All right. Stop the blaming. Start the shaming. Democrats are extremely, extremely shameful. Did you say manufacture? Manufacture. <laughs> Manny fracture. <laughs> Just listen to the, the jokes here. This guy, uh, he is, he's got the best sense of humor, and I probably can't share it anywhere else, uh, but on Friday. Rudy feels better. Smoking some Irish setter, kind of like a Labrador. All right. Irish setter is a schedule Juan. That's funny. Of course, he's referring to, uh, uh, referring to Cheech and Chong, right, up in smoke. Doberman. Didn't ring any bells. All right. Labrador is scheduled to. <laughs> I got to read these for myself. I can't get through anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, the Chosen Juan. Uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on. There was Burki Tortilla Company in Sunny Slope. I didn't know that. Uh, let them uh, let those guys play at Milne. Not, wow, he wants the New Mexico United to play at Milne. 
We used to practice there when it was with the Lobos. It was funny. Every time we'd practice for a turf game, we'd go over there. Uh, free tuition, no fruition. Uh, I can't. Uh, you should fly a balloon over downtown and drop handfuls. <laughs> this guy is so, he's so anti-PC. It's amazing. All right, uh, here we go. Eddie, uh, we'll do more of the crime in and not a white issue back brown issue. It's a right to live free and state issue. There we go. Oh, wow. This is great. Uh, future voter for Eddie Aragon. Uh, hashtag Aragon 2036. Whoa. How, I don't even know how old I'll be then. Is that 61? Gosh, that is, that's beautiful. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Oh, uh, I wish we could just keep all of our, um, so the opposing attorney in my case uh, submitted a, uh, an email to the judge at 458 asking for a hearing. <laughs> Eddie, have you considered, uh, a tax break for purchasing a gun in the city? Huh? No, I would say no, I've definitely not done that. And that's a pretty cool idea. Hmm. I don't know if you could do that, but that is a, that's a great idea, actually. I love that idea. That is good. Sounds like the mayor of Albuquerque from The Simpsons really mirrors our own real mayor. Maybe. I don't, I've never watched The Simpsons. Honestly, of all the episodes, and as long as it's run, I've never watched The Simpsons. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, hi, Eddie. Uh, Backstreet Grill will have its uh, last day on Sunday. They, uh, they are, have been shut down. So, um, I can't talk anymore about that. So Sunday, if you want to go on over to Backstreet Grill, go show up, support Chris and his wife, the staff, the staff started leaving. I mean, it's just brutal. Is... Why isn't a grown ass man in Albuquerque carrying? Come on, man. Come on, man. Yes. Uh, you got to carry, uh, Eddie, do you think we, yeah, I got that. Let's see what else we got. I lost any reason to listen to KKOB when Rush Limbaugh passed away. They've gone seriously south even before the washed-out hippie trout man came on. Keep it up with the rock up talk. Appreciate that. That's uh, good. I appreciate that uh, very much. I'm glad uh, a place that uh, you can get your opinions validated and be heard, unscreened. Right. Uh, sorry, I'm not taking any more phone calls. I got to get through the rest of these. Backstreet Grill has, in order to immediately cease and desist operations due to a lack of a permit. Now, um, let's see what else we got. State police officer shot in Valencia County. Yes, I got that. Hundreds of Lanel employees calling out from work due to forced COVID-19 mandate. What do we know about the, uh, maybe. <laughs> All right. I want one person to call in anonymously from Los Alamos National Labs who's listening on 1490 KRSN. Before the end of this article, I want one person to call in. If you listen to this radio show and you are part of the hundreds of Los Alamos National Labs employees calling out, I want to hear from you. The phone number is 505-550-5500. That's 550-5500. And I want to hear you. Uh, do not give your name. The Los Alamos National Laboratory is now forcing all employees to take the COVID-19 inoculation, which is sparking extreme pushback from workers. According to the press release from Sarah Smith and New Mexico Freedoms Alliance, hundreds of workers will be calling out on Tuesday and will gather at the Freedom Assembly in Ashley Pond in Los Alamos from 11 to 1. The call out is a demonstration of how many Lanel workers could potentially leave the organization if the rulemakers do not rescind the vaccine mandate. 
thereby force many workers off the job permanently. Employees wrote the following question in an open letter to management. We believe in our inalienable constitutional rights as Americans to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, or civil rights pursuant under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 64, and our basic human rights is accepted under the codes of medical ethics, including the Nuremberg Code, Nuremberg Code and the Declaration of Helsinki. We believe that it is our God-given legal right to make our own health decision without fear of discrimination, harassment, bullying, or coercion. The existence of COVID-19 does not justify the numerous violations of fundamental individual, economic, and religious liberties. These include the rights of personal autonomy, bodily integrity, and the right to accept and reject the various COVID-19 vaccines based upon their religious belief or other grounds. If folks face discrimination, harassment, bullying, coercion from your management and other employees without any consideration for our rights. We ask you to stand by us in this way. We have stood by you in the hardest time we have seen in our careers. Support us in making the best choices for ourselves. Show us that we are valued as humans. Not only as employees, show us that we are appreciated as employees and for our dedication. We're asking you to uphold our rights to bodily autonomy without forced vaccination. We'll continue to accomplish our missions the same way we have for the last 20 months. No government institution can show can know what is best for any other human being in medical choices. People have diverse health care needs and one size fits all medical solutions are not appropriate. The group notes all who support the right to bodily autonomy are invited to join the Freedom Assembly in Los Alamos at Ashley Pond from 11 to 1 on September the 7th, which is going to be on Tuesday. Our best of luck to all of those people. And Lanel is having a walkout on Tuesday. Very exciting. And uh, congrats for standing up for yourselves. Uh, Eddie, I'm sick of corporate welfare, especially considering the personal and business connections between Gruesome Grisham, Gruesome Grisham and Trevesiani. Isn't he a multimillionaire anyway? Why doesn't Trevesiani seek the financial support of his pal Hunter Biden he wants the stadium that badly. Has it, have they hunted together? I don't know. Something I don't know. So There we go. Let's see. Uh, what happened to Peach MLG campaign? How will you address the voter integrity and ensure Republicans are watching the count? We have got probably a good 80 poll workers. Uh, uh, people have already signed up to be poll workers. So that's an important thing. We've got to make sure that we have our poll workers there. That's how we will do that. Um, I'll get the impeach MLG. I'll look at that. I have not looked at that. So we'll make sure that that is up and running. Boy, these people absolutely want that, and that's uh, awesome. And let's see. Eddie, you're doing a great job. Me and my wife support you. Let's see. Very cool. Okay. All right, so I'm going to see you tomorrow. Uh, just some housekeeping items in order. All right, so again, I just want to let you know that uh, my competitors have equal access. I do not get equal access to any of their media, the reason being is there something called bona fide? As long as they speak only as mayor and and uh, sheriff, then I do not have the opportunity to do it. So I'd love for you to vote for Eddie Aragon, and I'd love for you to get behind me. Sign, sign up to support uh, me in the campaign, fightfor505.com. That's fightfor505.com. You can go to the number one, abq.com, saveabq.com. You can go to grassrootsabq.com. We want to support this city. We want to do what we can to help it along. In so many ways, I uh, aim to absolutely make the city a better place in my five C's, as I oftentimes talk about city, crime, COVID, right? Commerce, that is uh, so, so important to talk about commerce and, and business. And we've got to get that out. We've got to communicate our message. We've got to care about the city of Albuquerque. That's what our campaign is, uh, is all about, folks. So we got to make sure that we do it. And the biggest one of all is corruption. Got to focus on corruption. Got an exciting article that is coming out next week. Um, let's see. Ada, Eddie, how have them put support Lanel on their mass? That's perfect. I like that. So 
we'll do that. Any other calls? Any other texts? Anything else? I don't think so. Uh, total number of uh, total amount of money that has uh, been received fifty six thousand. We sh- we slowed up a lot in the last couple of days. Uh, been dealing with a lot of stuff. Have not been soliciting much money. So whatever you guys can possibly do, uh, please donate. We have a number of fundraisers that are coming up. Uh, 13 lined up at uh, 5,000. If you want to sign up for one of those, text me directly, 550-5500. Let's see what else we got. Um, Liney, okay. Hey, Eddie, uh, how about when you're mayor, you do something about all these people that just run these red lights? Not yellow. It's red. It's going to kill somebody, and it's bad. I've never seen police giving tickets. I have not either. One thing I do not believe in, I'm sorry to say, uh, 505 caller, I do not believe in um, photographs at red light intersections. I think that's a terrible idea in every way. I don't care how much revenue it brings in or what it is. I don't like it. I don't like it because I don't want it done to me. And I know you don't want it done to you. So there it is. So, Sandy, that's my answer on that. Let's see. CDC advisors. Let's see. Raise concerns about over-vaccination and ask the White House for more data to show boosters are needed. That's interesting. So, oh, a couple of calls. Caller, you're in the Kiva. Go ahead. Run out the clock. 637. Anything you want. I just want to know if you got the check that I slid under the door with the note asking you to put a, um, a yard sign on my property. Are you Phyllis? Yes. Phyllis, yes. I got it right there. Look at it. See that? Okay, got, uh, what is this owl? Yeah, what is this owl that you have? Uh, what is this? Oh, don't forget. That's just note paper I had in my purse. Okay. It says, I was here and I hope to meet you. I took some bumper stickers. Thank you. Did, yeah, you, put, I did. did you put them on? Did you give them to people? Yes, I have. Please put a yard sign at my house and I won't say where you're at, but Phyllis, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, have you been, has your car been keyed, scratched, anything like that? No. All right. Good. No. All right. Uh, Eddie for mayor, fight for 505, right? That's what we want. All okay, right, I just want to make sure you got the checklist. I got it. Thank you, yeah. Phyllis. All right. I'm, I'm glad. All right. There's nobody there, so. Wait, right. wait. Okay. I'm, I'm here. You. I'm just busy. Sorry. <laughs> well, right. nobody opened the door. Well, you got to. Okay. Yeah, right. I, I know it says don't knock, but you can call and I'll pop right out. Yeah, okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. All right, Phyllis. Peace. Ah. I came over and you weren't there. Okay. She wasn't saying that. I'm just saying. A lot of people get after you for a lot of different things. That's the that's the good getting after you because she wanted to make sure I got it checked. Uh, I don't believe in those red light cameras, Sandy says, uh, but it's pretty blatant when you have to wait double check before you go on a green. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we can change the timing or something. We can do something. Absolutely. Look into it. Uh, when you donate, Eddie, remind Brave users, shields down to donate. Shields down. Shields high. I miss uh, Buck saying that, right? Miss him uh, saying that. I did too. All right, uh, right. I can't win. Eddie's not going to win the election. He's not a viable candidate. All these things. He'll never win. He'll never win. That's all the stuff that they would just want to keep coming to me with, right? Folks, sign up for my campaign, fightfor505.com. I'll be here tomorrow from two to six for our tour uh, with the Liberty Lady, uh, Miss Natalie, and uh, looking forward to uh, doing that. And we appreciate everybody tuning in this afternoon into the Chuck, I mean, as you know, I'm ahead in Ohio. (laughs) So, Jenny, 
could he actually win? No freaking way! <laughs> he will be tempted to run, be predictably shellacked. Do not tell me that Donald Trump is in this to win this, okay? He's a sideshow. This is going to turn a three-ring circus into a freak show. He's not running for president. He's running for keep me famous. I thought this was maybe some strategy for a new reality show. How should Republicans handle Donald Trump? Uh, ignore him. And Donald Trump is not going to be the nominee of this party. Well, I don't think it's likely that Donald Trump will be the nominee. Well, I, I do, based on your theme, believe that he's here to stay for a while, maybe through a few primaries, but he is not going to be the nominee. Well, I'm going to support the Republican nominee, and I'm comfortable that it's not going to be Donald Trump. There's not going to be a President Donald Trump. <laughs> um, that's not going to happen. Donald Trump will not become president! He's not going to be president. He is not, Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Okay. I guarantee it. All right, all right. I think if he becomes the president, he'll make, make it great. The state is already great. I think that man will be president of the United States right about the time that spaceships come down filled with dinosaurs and red capes. I'm not like, Tom. <laughs> Take it Thank from me. How about that? Yes, and then, of course, there's Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. Donald Trump, just last week, he confirmed to the National Review that he is again considering a run in 2016. Do it. Do it. Look, look at me. Do it. I will personally write you a campaign check now on behalf of this country, which does not want you to be president, but which badly wants you to run. So when you stand and deliver that State of the Union address, in no part of your mind or brain can you imagine Donald Trump standing up one day and delivering a State of the Union address? Well, I can imagine it uh, in a Saturday night skit. I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. He will never be president of the United States. And uh, we better be ready for the fact that he might be leading the Republican ticket next. <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but I want to go on. <laughs> okay, here we are. And which Republican candidate has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. <laughs> And so, right now, Mr. Trump, to answer your call for political honesty, I just want to say, you're not going to be president, all right? But, but, but come on, come on, buddy. All, let's say, cow poo-poo aside, there is zero chance we'll be seeing you being sworn in on the Capitol steps with your hand on a giant golden Bible. I'll make a prediction, though, for you. I, I don't really get into predictions much. But this one, I'll go way out on a limb. Donald Trump will never, ever be president okay. of the United States. That Trump should not be in this race. He's an absurdity. He is a travesty. Donald Trump will never be elected president of the United States. Donald Trump is a here today, gone tomorrow candidate for president of the United States. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Uh, ever respectful of the fact that the people have not voted, he's not going to be president of the United States. Let's be clear. Donald Trump will lose the election. I mean, he had a really good chance to be different and really have a chance to change things, but yeah. he, he doesn't do the work. He's lazy. 
We talk about him every day, and we continuously bash him. He's not going to be the president. Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly. It's be a wake-up call to the Republican Party. Uh, despite Boris thinking that Donald Trump could win New York, like this, the, the presidential race is over. It just, just, could I just cut through? I have one thing to say, one thing only, and that is that this race is over. Tomorrow morning, the money will dry up. The Republicans will start to hide. Trump has no place to go. This race, effectively, as of tonight, is no longer a presidential race. I will get. I mean, everything I know about presidential politics, and I've been through five of them. I've never seen one like this. This race is over. You might as well accept it. And the question now is, how do you minimize damage? And the only way you can do that, it seems to me, is to try to grab hold of some old conservative value things and do what Mondale did in 84, which is try to save a few people down ballot. But as far as Donald Trump's concerned, it will never, ever, ever happen. President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point at real Donald Trump. Well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. Our new NBC News survey monkey poll is out today. It puts Hillary Clinton up by 10 points over Donald Trump. And this is not the first poll since the conventions to give Clinton a double-digit lead. This is actually the fourth. Four polls that have Clinton up by more than 10 points, or at least 10 points. Staying the kind of lead she has leaped out into in, into this race, you could see other states that suddenly get crazy. States you wouldn't have even imagined, like a South Carolina, even a Texas, they could at least become competitive. And what it would mean doesn't mean Hillary Clinton's going to win all of these. It means we could have more competitive states than we ever imagined. That's the way the lay of the land right now at this low moment for Donald Trump. We'll be back right after this. We are back with David Undo P. Club, man who says Hillary Clinton has a 100% chance of winning. So that means that, means that no scenario that we could lay out to get Donald Trump to 270 electoral votes is something he would buy. So we thought we'd get David in here to look at those scenarios that the Republicans are talking about, citing them as a potential path to victory, and explain to us why they are not just implausible, but impossible. If you look at Wisconsin, the Marquette poll came out yesterday. She's up six points. She's up four points in our polling in Pennsylvania. If she keeps those together, all she needs is New Hampshire, and she puts the race away, and she's up there. Well, so for, again, them, that's the whole Colorado. for them to look at fortune, uh, to, and it is true, fortune favors the bold. Yeah. If the Comey bomb didn't get them where well, they that's, need that's to be. That really is the question. It's, um, it'll be interesting uh, tomorrow night, I think, when Hillary Clinton... Uh, wins that Donald Trump will have lost this election from the very first day he announced. If the numbers bear out what we're seeing thus far, Hillary Clinton will win Florida. And the delicious irony in this is that Donald Trump will have been kept from the White House by a big, beautiful brown wall. And CNN projects Donald Trump will carry the state of Florida. Kentucky, Indiana, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Mississippi, South Carolina, Alabama, Kansas with its six electoral votes, Nebraska with its five electoral votes, and Wyoming with its three electoral votes, North Dakota uh, with its three electoral votes, and South Dakota, Texas, Arkansas, he has now taken the lead. Donald Trump has 128 electoral votes, Louisiana. The state of Montana, Missouri, Ohio. He has 167 
electoral votes compared to Hillary Clinton's 109. Idaho, North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, Utah, Wisconsin, Arizona. Uh, but we should really just take a moment here and look at this. Pollsters predicted that Hillary Clinton was going to have not just a victory, uh, but that she was going to win uh, an electoral landslide. Not only is that not happening, it is entirely possible that Donald Trump is truly redrawing the map the way that he said he was going to. It was Donald Trump versus almost all the experts, and as of right now, it looks like Donald Trump was right. Donald Trump has defeated Hillary Clinton to become president-elect of the United States. Sorry to keep you waiting. Complicated business. Complicated. This is not the outcome we wanted or we worked so hard for. And I'm sorry that we did not win this election. I love this country. The shockwave from Donald Trump's victory continued to be felt across America and around the world. Donald Trump wird der 45. Donald Trump, President elect Donald Trump. Everyone was wrong. The backlash begins. Some magazines are facing big embarrassments today. Newsweek had already shipped out this cover, Madam Secretary, but quickly had to change it to this, President Trump. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. The office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability. And will, to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque. The following pre-recorded political program is sponsored by TV for Goldwater Miller on behalf of Barry Goldwater, Republican candidate for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in presenting a thoughtful address by Ronald Reagan. Mr. Reagan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used. We've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. 
Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's old, old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this boat harvesting time, they use terms like the great society. Or, as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past. And among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print, these are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says, the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. 
And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I, for one, resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government, this was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those Founding Fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Now, we have no better example of this than government's involvement in the farm economy over the last 30 years. Since 1955, the cost of this program has nearly doubled. One-fourth of farming in America is responsible for 85% of the farm surplus. Three-fourths of farming is out on the free market and has known a 21% increase in the per capita consumption of all its produce. You see that one-fourth of farming, that's regulated and controlled by the federal government. In the last three years, we've spent $43 in the feed grain program for every dollar bushel of corn we don't grow. Senator Humphrey last week charged that Barry Goldwater as president would seek to eliminate farmers. He should do his homework a little better because he'll find out that we've had a decline of 5 million in the farm population under these government programs. He'll also find that the Democratic administration has sought to get from Congress extension of the farm program to include that three-fourths that is now free. He'll find that they've also asked for the right to imprison farmers who wouldn't keep books as prescribed by the federal government. The Secretary of Agriculture asked for the right to seize farms through condemnation and resell them to other individuals. And contained in that same program was a provision that would have allowed the federal government to remove two million farmers from the soil. At the same time, there's been an increase in the Department of Agriculture employees. There's now one for every 30 farms in the United States. And still, they can't tell us how 66 shiploads of grain headed for Austria disappeared without a trace, and Billy Solestis never left shore. <laughs> Every responsible farmer and farm organization has repeatedly asked the government to free the farm economy. But how, who are farmers to know what's best for them? The wheat farmers voted against a wheat program. The government passed it anyway. Now the price of bread goes up, the price of wheat to the farmer goes down. Meanwhile, back in the city, under urban renewal, the assault on freedom carries on. Private property rights so diluted that public interest is almost anything a few government planners decide it should be. In a program that takes from the needy and gives to the greedy, we see such spectacles as in Cleveland, Ohio, a million-and-a-half-dollar building completed only three years ago must be destroyed to make way for what government officials call a more compatible use of the land. The president tells us he's now going to start building public housing units in the thousands, where heretofore we've only built them in the hundreds. But FHA and the Veterans Administration tell us they have 120,000 housing units they've taken back through mortgage foreclosure. For three decades, we've sought to solve the problems of unemployment through government planning. And the more the plans fail, the more the planners plan. The latest is the Area Redevelopment Agency. They've just declared Rice County, Kansas, a depressed area. 
Rice County, Kansas has 200 oil wells, and the 14,000 people there have over $30 million on deposit in personal savings in their banks. <laughs> when the government tells you you're depressed, lie down and be depressed. We have so many people who can't see a fat man standing beside a thin one without coming to the conclusion the fat man got that way by taking advantage of the thin one. So they're going to solve all the problems of human misery through government and government planning. Well, now, if government planning and welfare had the answer, and they've had almost 30 years of it, shouldn't we expect government to read the score to us once in a while? Shouldn't they be telling us about the decline each year in the number of people needing help? The reduction in the need for public housing? But the reverse is true. Each year, the need grows greater. The program grows greater. We were told four years ago that 17 million people went to bed hungry each night. Well, that was probably true. They were all on a diet. <laughs> but now we're told that 9.3 million families in this country are poverty-stricken on the basis of earning less than $3,000 a year. Welfare spending 10 times greater than it was in the dark depths of the Depression. We're spending $45 billion on welfare. Now, do a little arithmetic, and you'll find that if we divided the $45 billion up equally among those 9 million poor families, we'd be able to give each family $4,600 a year. And this, added to their present income, should eliminate poverty. <laughs> Direct aid to the poor, however, is only running about $600 per family. It would seem that someplace there must be some overhead. Now, so now we declare war on poverty Or you too can be a Bobby Baker Now do they honestly expect us to believe That if we add one billion dollars to the 45 billion we're spending One more program to the 30 odd we have And remember this new program doesn't replace any It just duplicates existing programs do they believe that poverty is suddenly going to disappear by magic? Well, in all fairness, I should explain there is one part of the new program that isn't duplicated. This is the youth feature. We're now going to solve the dropout problem, juvenile delinquency, by reinstituting something like the old CCC camps. And we're going to put our young people in these camps. But again, we do some arithmetic and we find that we're going to spend each year just on room and board for each young person we help $4,700 a year. We can send them to Harvard for $2,700. Of course, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting Harvard is the answer to juvenile delinquency. But seriously, what are we doing to those we seek to help? Not too long ago, a judge called me here in Los Angeles. He told me that a young woman who'd come before him for a divorce. She had six children, was pregnant with her seventh. Under his questioning, she revealed her husband was a laborer earning $250 a month. She wanted the divorce to get an $80 raise. She's eligible for $330 a month in the Aid to Dependent Children program. She got the idea from two women in her neighborhood who'd already done that very thing. Yet any time you and I question the schemes of the do-gooders, we're denounced as being against their humanitarian goals. They say we're always against things. We're never for anything. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. 
Now... Wherefore, a provision that destitution should not follow unemployment by reason of old age. And to that end, we have accepted Social Security as a step toward meeting the problem. But we're against those entrusted with this program when they practice deception regarding its fiscal shortcomings. When they charge that any criticism of the program means that we want to end payments to those people who depend on them for a livelihood. They've called it insurance to us in a hundred million pieces of literature. But then they appeared before the Supreme Court and they testified it was a welfare program. They only used the term insurance to sell it to the people. And they said Social Security dues are a tax for the general use of the government. And the government has used that tax. There is no fund. Because Robert Byers, the actuarial head, appeared before a congressional committee and admitted that Social Security as of this moment is $298 billion in the hole. But he said there should be no cause for worry. Because as long as they had the power to tax, they could always take away from the people whatever they needed to bail them out of trouble. And they're doing just that. A young man, 21 years of age, working at an average salary, his Social Security contribution would, in the open market, buy him an insurance policy that would guarantee $220 a month at age 65. The government promises 127 he could live it up until he's 31 and then take out a policy that would pay more than Social Security. Now, are we so lacking in business sense that we can't put this program on a sound basis so that people who do require those payments will find they can get them when they're due, that the cupboard isn't bare? Barry Goldwater thinks we can. At the same time, can't we introduce voluntary features that would permit a citizen who can do better on his own to be excused upon presentation of evidence that he had made provision for the non-earning years? Should we not allow a widow with children to work and not lose the benefits supposedly paid for by her deceased husband? Shouldn't you and I be allowed to declare who our beneficiaries will be under this program, which we cannot do? I think we're foretelling our senior citizens that no one in this country should be denied medical care because of a lack of funds. But I think we're against forcing all citizens regardless of need, into a compulsory government program, especially when we have such examples as was announced last week when France admitted that their Medicare program is now bankrupt. They've come to the end of the road. In addition, was Barry Goldwater so irresponsible when he suggested that our government give up its program of deliberate planned inflation so that when you do get your Social Security pension, a dollar will buy a dollar's worth and not 45 cents worth? I think we're for an international organization where the nations of the world can seek peace. But I think we're against subordinating American interests to an organization that has become so structurally unsound that today you can muster a two-thirds vote on the floor of the General Assembly among nations that represent less than 10% of the world's population. I think we're against the hypocrisy of assailing our allies because here and there they cling to a colony while we engage in a conspiracy of silence and never open our mouths about the millions of people enslaved in the Soviet colonies in the satellite nations. I think we're forating our allies by sharing of our material blessings with those nations which share in our fundamental beliefs. But we're against doling out money government to government, creating bureaucracy, if not socialism, all over the world. We set out to help 19 countries. We're helping 107. 
we've spent $146 billion. With that money, we've bought a $2 million yacht for Haile Selassie. We bought dress suits for Greek undertakers, extra wives for Kenya government officials. We bought a thousand TV sets for a place where they have no electricity. In the last six years, 52 nations have bought $7 billion worth of our gold, and all 52 are receiving foreign aid from this country. No government ever voluntarily reduces itself in size. So government programs once launched never disappear. Actually, a government bureau is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. <laughs> federal employees. Federal employees number two and a half million. And federal, state, and local, one out of six of the nation's workforce employed by government. These proliferating bureaus with their thousands of regulations have cost us many of our constitutional safeguards. How many of us realize that today federal agents can invade a man's property without a warrant? They can impose a fine without a formal hearing, let alone a trial by jury. And they can seize and sell his property at auction to enforce the payment of that fine. In Chico County, Arkansas, James Weir overplanted his rice allotment. The government obtained a $17,000 judgment and a U.S. Marshal sold his 960-acre farm at auction. The government said it was necessary as a warning to others to make the system work. <laughs> Last February 19th at the University of Minnesota, Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said if Barry Goldwater became president, he would stop the advance of socialism in the United States. I think that's exactly what he will do. But as a former Democrat, I can tell you Norman Thomas isn't the only man who has drawn this parallel to socialism with the present administration. Because back in 1936, Mr. Democrat himself, Al Smith, the great American, came before the American people and charged that the leadership of his party was taking the party of Jefferson, Jackson, and Cleveland down the road under the banners of Marx, Lenin, and Stalin. And he walked away from his party and he never returned till the day he died. Because to this day, the leadership of that party has been taking that party, that honorable party, down the road in the image of the Labor Socialist Party of England. Now, it doesn't require expropriation or confiscation of private property or business to impose socialism on a people. What does it mean whether you hold the deed to the, or the title to your business or property if the government holds the power of life and death over that business or property? And such machinery already exists. The government can find some charge to bring against any concern it chooses to prosecute. Every businessman has his own tale of harassment. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. And freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Our democratic opponents seem unwilling to debate these issues. They want to make you and I believe that this is a contest between two men, that we're to choose just between two personalities. Well, what of this man that they would destroy? And in destroying, they would destroy that which he represents, the ideas that you and I hold dear. Is he the brash and shallow and trigger-happy man they say he is? Well, I've been privileged to know him when. I knew him long before he ever dreamed of trying for high office. And I can tell you personally 
I've never known a man in my life I believed so incapable of doing a dishonest or dishonorable thing. This is a man who, in his own business, before he entered politics, instituted a profit-sharing plan before unions had ever thought of it. He put in health and medical insurance for all his employees. He took 50% of the profits before taxes and set up a retirement program, a pension plan for all his employees. He sent monthly checks for life to an employee who was ill and couldn't work. He provides nursing care for the children of mothers who work in the stores. When Mexico was ravaged by the floods in the Rio Grande, he climbed in his airplane and flew, me flew medicine and supplies down there. An ex-GI told me how he met him. It was the week before Christmas during the Korean War, and he was at the Los Angeles airport trying to get a ride home to Arizona for Christmas. And he said that a lot of servicemen there and no seats available on the planes. And then a voice came over the loudspeaker and said, any men in uniform wanting a ride to Arizona, go to runway such and such. And they went down there. There was a fellow named Barry Goldwater sitting in his plane. Every day in those weeks before Christmas, all day long, he'd load up the plane, fly it to Arizona, fly them to their homes, fly back over to get another load. During the hectic split-second timing of a campaign, this is a man who took time out to sit beside an old friend who was dying of cancer. His campaign managers were understandably impatient, but he said there aren't many left who care what happens to her. I'd like her to know I care. This is a man who said to his 19-year-old son, there is no foundation like the rock of honesty and fairness. And when you begin to build your life on that rock, with the cement of the faith in God that you have, then you have a real start. This is not a man who could carelessly send other people's sons to war. And that is the issue of this campaign that makes all the other problems I've discussed academic, unless we realize we're in a war that must be won. Those who would trade our freedom for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. And they say if we'll only avoid any direct confrontation with the enemy, he'll forget his evil ways and learn to love us. All who oppose them are indicted as warmongers. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. Well, perhaps there is a simple answer. Not an easy answer, but simple. If you and I have the courage to tell our elected officials that we want our national policy based on what we know in our hearts is morally right, we cannot buy our security, our freedom from the threat of the bomb by committing an immorality so great as saying to a billion human beings now enslaved behind the Iron Curtain, give up your dreams of freedom because to save our own skins, we're willing to make a deal with your slave masters. Alexander Hamilton said, a nation which can prefer disgrace to danger is prepared for a master and deserves one. Now, let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war, but there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When Nikita Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be.
He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War and someday when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because by that time we will have been weakened from within spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better read than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This, this is the meaning in the phrase of Barry Goldwater, peace through strength. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will keep in mind and remember that Barry Goldwater has faith in us. He has faith that you and I have the ability and the dignity and the right to make our own decisions and determine our own destiny. Thank you very much. Ronnie, for this very stirring speech. I am John Kilroy, National Chairman, TV for Goldwater Miller. I want to ask each of you... I want to ask each of you to take part in this important presidential campaign by contributing what you can to keep the Goldwater Crusade on the air. Send one, ten, $50 or any amount to TV for Goldwater Miller, Box 80, Los Angeles 51. I repeat, TV Goldwater Miller, Box 80, Los Angeles 51. Preceding pre-recorded political program was paid and for. And that's what we want you to do with our campaign. All you have to do is uh, go directly to fightfor505.com. That's fightfor505. Dot com. Uh, uh, jump in there. Get involved. We've got some more stuff that we're going to be playing 
uh, tonight that I want you guys to all uh, tune in, listen to. And uh, I, I got to tell you, it, it's a, a very inspiring uh, opportunity for us to go ahead and move the needle, uh, certainly here in our city. So we're going to do a couple of quick breaks, uh, very, excuse me, very quickly, and then we're going to bring back Dr. Michael Eden. This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque. Want the honesty, affordability, and reliability of a household plumber without the crack? Call Rogers Plumbing and Heating. Family owned and operated since 1973 for all your plumbing needs. Reaching Albuquerque, Baylor, Moriarty, Santa Fe, New Laguna, Pueblo, and anywhere in between. Rogers Plumbing and Heating is not only fast and reliable service, being family owned and operated since 1973 means they always put their customers first and hold each of their employees to the highest moral, professional, and ethical standards. So when you need a fix without the crack, call Rogers Plumbing and Heating at 243-9703. Albuquerque based Pluma Construction Systems provides a full suite of commercial construction services and residential remodeling. Pluma Construction is a service disabled, veteran owned small business. Visionary Tony Robbins said, Setting goals is the first step in turning the invisible into the visible. Whether you are training to run a marathon, starting a new business, or training soldiers, you need to be committed to making that vision a reality. Set clear goals, be determined and purposeful in achieving them. Back it all up with unshakable self confidence. If you radiate enthusiasm and are truly excited about what you're doing, people will be naturally drawn to you. The other final ingredient is humility. Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In the grand plan of life, if you are spiritually grounded, you will have success because you know who you are and that there is a God and you are not Him. This Leadership Minute was brought to you by Pluma Construction Systems. To discuss your construction project, call 505-345-0755 or visit plucys.com. Music is the great communicator on MakeUsGodlyAgain.com. Sometimes we just need a pick-me-up. MakeUsGodlyAgain.com. Maintaining your cutting equipment is essential to the longevity of your tools and the quality of your product. Whether you're a woodworking professional, metalworking professional, hobbyist, or you just need a new edge on your kitchen knives or gardening tools, trust the sharpening experts at Precision Sharpening to help keep your tools in excellent condition. 884-8229. 884-8229. Don't get caught unprepared to defend yourself. I'm Keith Cope with VigilantFirearms.com. We provide calm, safe, and effective training for concealed carry or any other gun training classes. VigilantFirearms.com, 312-0065. 312-0065. Chris Napier here with Loan Depot, the mortgage guy. As you look for the best ways to provide and protect for your family, the structure of your loans is critical. Your mortgage payment and its terms could be behind the curve. Let's ensure that when you're buying or refinancing your home, you have the best total cost. Call me at 505-710-2499 and MLS number 330093. Hi, I'm Walt Arnold with Sperry Van Ness Commercial Real Estate. Are you currently leasing but have always wanted to own a building? Looking to take advantage of all-time historically low interest rates? Call my direct line now at 256-1255 or visit waltarnold.com. Alarms are ignored, kill switches are easily detected and reconnected. RFIDs are hacked using a basic code grabber. And GPS tracking systems, well, they're good at locating your vehicle after it's been taken. Give us a call, 505-550-4994. Amazing Grace Personal Care Services is companion care at a reasonable rate, including mobile assistance, meal preparation, household services, cognitive assistance, and support services, and more. 505-796-4900. That's 505-796-4900. 
723 here in the Kiva. Uh, we'll continue with more Dr. Yeadon for our special sort of after hours uh, program here and uh, more by uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon. This does not count against my time. It has nothing to do with me, my campaign, or anything else uh, that I'm doing. So let's continue now. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, download the app directly at rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com or rockoftalk.chat. Dr. Michael Yeadon, final warning to humanity. Yes, hi, my name is uh, Dr. Mike Yeadon. Um, I'm a qualified life science researcher, really. I have a first degree uh, in biochemistry and toxicology and have a research-based PhD in respiratory pharmacology. And then I've worked for 32 years, mostly in big pharmaceutical companies and uh, 10 years in the biotechnology sector. So my last job in Big Pharma, I was the vice president and chief scientist of allergen respiratory research. I left Pfizer in, in 2011. Uh, and then after that, I founded, grew and sold a biotech company called Ziarco to Novartis. That was 2017. Um, and so before that and afterwards, an independent um, advisor to over 30 startup biotechnology companies. So uh, you would expect from that that I am pro uh, new medicines of all kind. Our goals always were to address unmet medical need and to do so with acceptable safety given the, the medical context. Um, and I'm in favor of all modes of new medical treatments, whether they're biologicals or vaccines, small molecules, creams, sprays, ointments, whatever. But I'm fervently against um, unsafe medicines or medicines used in an inappropriate context. And so some of the things I'm going to say are not favorable to the current crop of gene-based uh, vaccines. And it's for that reason that they're being inappropriately used. And I don't think they have a sufficient safety profile to be used as a sort of wide spectrum uh, public health prophylactic. As a result of that background in uh, pharmaceutical industry and biotechnology, I am pro new medical entities that treat unmet need and do so safely. And that's true whether the entity is a vaccine or a biological, like an antibody, or if it's what I would call a small molecule therapeutic, you know, a pill or a tablet. But I'm anti unsafe medicines, regardless of what format they are. And so my criticisms sometimes fall onto unsafe small molecule substances and sometimes on unsafe vaccines. So I'm generally pro new medicines as long as they are safe and effective and used appropriately. And I'm, I'm anti the opposite of those things. A few things have allowed me, I think, to, to spot what's going on in the world at the moment. I do have, I would say, two, two big advances. One, I've loved biology since I was little. And this year marks the 40th year I've been studying, continuing to learn and to apply biology broadly, whether it's pharmacology, biochemistry, molecular biology, uh, toxicology. And so I've got a very broad grounding in all things to do with life science in terms of health and disease. Um, but one of my former supervisors said that I had a, a remarkable facility that stood out above the sort of ordinary things you'd have to do to be a vice president or a CEO. And he said that uh, 
I was able to spot patterns in sparse data earlier than the, my peers did. So when there was not enough data for most people to judge what was going on, I, I would often be able to see it. I could see a pattern forming when there wasn't quite enough information. And really, I guess I was running a lot of simulations in my head and trying to work out what could these small bits of information mean rather than waiting for more data. It's my word, I, I think I know what's happening here. And that would sometimes be applied to, say, target selection in industry or how we should prosecute a program or what the competition was doing. But on this occasion, it allowed me quite quickly to work out that what were we, what we were being told about this virus and what we needed to do in order to stay safe was simply not true. Um, for example, early on in the UK, um, there were enormous changes made in attribution of causes of death. So we've never had anything as absurd as the rule that is now used. So if you should die within 28 days of having a positive result in a, you know, an inappropriate test using molecular biology, then you would be declared to have died of COVID-19. That's just wrong. It's, it's not just a matter of disagreeing professionally. It's just complete nonsense. And we can certainly talk about the unreliability, untrustworthy nature of PCR testing, uh, but also uh, things like things like lockdown. I mean, just the whole phrase of it, the fact that it was completely unprecedented uh, and that we basically were to minimise contact one with another and that that was going to save us. I, I, I knew quite early on that that was rubbish. And the reason is simple, that only people who are ill and have symptoms are really strong infectious risks to other people and those people are not people who are walking around in the community because if you're full of virus and symptomatic you are also ill and ill people tend to stay at home or in bed and or if they're very serious they end up in hospital or die and so the idea that if you cut normal contacts at work and you know, just civic society and your normal economy that that would slow epidemic spreading i, I was fairly sure fairly on that that was bunk um, and unfortunately, it took several months before that was clear, by which time the idea that lockdown uh, is what you need to do had been pretty much cemented in most of, most of the world. So basically, everything your government has told you about this virus, everything you need to do to stay safe is a lie, every, every part of it. And I'll be challenged on that. Literally, there are no, no none of the key themes that you hear talked about from asymptomatic transmission to top up vaccines. Not one of those things is supported by the science. Every piece is a cleverly chosen adjacency to something that probably is true, but is itself a lie and has led people uh, to, to where I believe we are right now. And um, I don't normally use phrases like this, but I think we are standing at the very gates of hell. Yeah, when I first heard the phrase lockdown, for example, I, I hope, like most people, I thought this is a phrase you use in relation to controlling unruly prisoners. Um, it's a control measure. Um, and I think pretty much all that has happened since is to do with control. Um, this myth of asymptomatic transmission, which is simply not true, as I mentioned earlier, in order to transmit a virus to be a good, efficient source of infection, you have to have a lot of virus. And if you have a lot of virus in you, the virus is attacking you and you are fighting back that process produces symptoms inevitably. It's not, not just occasionally, it must always happen. And so all people who are very good sources of infection are ill. 
So the whole idea of asymptomatic transmission, I would think if it occurs at all, it's like 1% or 0.1% as good as a strong infectious case. So by the time we got to about the third main theme of this pandemic and how to control it, I knew I was being lighted all the time by, by government scientists, their advisors, by ministers, people on the TV. And I'm afraid that impression has, has simply firmed up as time's gone on. Um, and so it's all about, it's all about control. Um, obviously I have my own thoughts about what that control is going to be used for. And, uh, I certainly want to communicate that to your, your listeners and viewers. I remember one of the things I started doing early on because I understood it quite well was to publicly criticize, uh, the PCR or polymerase chain reaction test because I, I knew enough about it. Uh, I'm not a molecular biology expert, but I've hired people who are. And, uh, you know, I understand how PCR works, this idea of uh, developing primers, uh, bait, as it were, for the thing you're trying to detect, and then to amplify it repeatedly, potentially up to a trillion fold. People will be pretty familiar, I think, with the, the idea of DNA testing that would be used for forensic purposes. Uh, and I point out to them that the PCR test uh, uses most of the same technology. And imagine if you were preparing for a trial and you were able with your attorney to show the judge the conditions under which PCR testing was being done. Relatively inexperienced lab staff doing hundreds of thousands of pipetting actions a day in the same laboratory. And you said, look, your honor, um, you know, my client's sample is one of those on the bench there. You know, there might be cross contamination. In fact, I suspect it's inevitable, but, but you'll get the result shortly. I mean, the judge would just throw the entire evidence set out of court, and rightly so. But it's the same technology that's being used to work out whether your sample or that of a, a family member or someone in your community is or is not positive for this virus. It's completely fraudulent the way it's being done. You simply cannot run a technique like that at industrial scale and expect the results to be meaningful. And they're not. I don't think they've ever been meaningful. One of the frauds our government uh, and the people they hired to run the testing have done is they refused to entertain the idea that there is something, something called a false positive rate. I assure you, if you run any diagnostic test repeatedly, sometimes there'll be a positive result when there's nothing in the sample. That's called a false positive. False negatives also occur, but let's focus on false positives. We don't really know whether that's going to occur half a percent of the time, four percent of the time. This is enormously material to telling you whether there's lots of infection in your community or pretty much not at all. But you will find nowhere in the world has anyone measured and released often this what's called operational false positive rate. You should disregard all announcements about case rates in your community because they're completely fraudulent. You cannot run a medical diagnostic test without those checks being run in situ every time. And so I argued repeatedly, and what I was finding I was getting was censorship, uh, insults, um, I mean, really quite unpleasant stuff on things like Twitter. Pe people would be assigned to come and write up insulting and bad and hateful things about you. There was no way people were willing to engaged scientifically. And I'll tell you what that did. Very quickly, it caused less confident and less angry people to stop commenting. And I think that was the point of it. So as time went on, 
I found when I talked to fellow scientists, often retired scientists or uh, academics, people I, I grew up with who are now now hold chairs in immunology, uh, they would agree with me privately that you know PCR testing as it was being done was completely nonsense and fraudulence, that the attribution of deaths in the way we've done it is completely stupid. Lockdown clearly was irrational and probably killing lots of people. But the difference was they were not willing to say anything in public because they said it's been we've been it's been intimated that the the authorities in the university don't want us to challenge the government narrative or that of its advisors. So we're not. And, and that's what happened. We ended up with people looking the other way. And the more they looked the other way, the fewer uh, people who were like me. And so eventually I became noteworthy for that bloke that keeps saying things, that scientist that keeps challenging. Uh, and then it was quite easy for them to write smear stories about me, call me an anti-vaxxer, um, you know, suggest I'd lost my mind or gone off the rails because, you know, if you're a viewer, you don't have to listen to me if I'm any of those things. But I assure you, I'm none of those things. And the reason I'm commenting is because I believe it's not just my life, but more importantly, that of my children and grandchildren that is being stolen from us uh, by a systematic process of fear and control uh, that's going to culminate in, I think, some some very horrible times. And I'm I'm desperate to wake you up. So when your government lies to you once or twice, we're probably quite used to politicians occasionally telling white lies and we kind of let them. But when they lie to you about something technical, something that you can check, and they do so repeatedly over months, and they do it over many, many elements of the whole, of the same event, please, you've got to believe me in not telling the truth. And if they're not telling the truth, that means there's something else afoot. And I'm here today to tell you that there is something very, very bad happening. Uh, and if you don't pay attention, you will soon lose any chance to do anything about it. Don't say you weren't warned, because I've been warning people as long as I can and as hard as I can, that you can still right now take your normal society back. You can take it back tomorrow. You don't need masks. They don't work. Forget lockdowns. They never slowed transmission, which took place mostly in institutions like hospitals and care homes. You don't need to be vaccinated by uh, inadequately tested and somewhat dangerous gene based spike protein inducing proteins. Uh, and you don't need to do what you're told by corrupt scientists who are apparently advising our, our government. If you don't do that in the next few weeks, it will be over. I believe if we get to a point of a so-called vaccine passport, I think you will have lost the chance to take it back and you will regret it. Government policy from the beginning, before even the virus arrived in our country, uh, has turned decades of understanding of how to uh, protect people from infectious diseases on its head. So we've never used lockdown before. Uh, and the good reason for that is it's not effective. I've just explained that you need to be symptomatic in order to be infectious. So what we do is we quarantine the sick. We've always done that. You know, uh, we've quarantined the sick because that's how you avoid infecting you know, the wider population. So the idea of quarantining the well, this so-called lockdown, is a new invention and it has no foundations whatsoever, either in science or in the history of uh, controlling epidemics. Uh, also, mass testing of people without symptoms has, has no underpinning science at all. Um, 
and uh, you know, it, it's just a way of frightening people. And this idea, for example, that you can be ill even though you have no symptoms and you can be a, a respiratory virus threat to someone else even though you have no symptoms, th that's also invented in 2020. There's, there's simply no history of it and, and it defies common sense as well. So most people probably are aware when I tell them, you've got an incredibly good facility for noticing as you walk towards somebody, whether they represent a health threat to you. Uh, you can tell just from the way their posture, how they're moving, uh, you know, are, are, have they got symptoms, eyes, nose and so on. And, and if they do, you instinctively move around them. And if you think about it, that goes right back to prehistory where one of the things that could kill you in wintertime would be catching a respiratory virus, perhaps being disabled for a few days. That might be enough to kill you. Even if you are fit and well, that might be enough to kill you. And so it's a strong evolutionary advantage for us to be highly aware of whether or not someone represented a threat to us. And the fact that we're very good at that, I think should tell you that they are, they are reliable guides as to whether someone is a threat to you. So if, it, if they're not symptomatic, they're not going to infect you with flu. They might stab you uh, or hit you on the head, but they're not going to give you a chest infection that could kill you. And yet time and time again, you know, lockdown, asymptomatic transmission, use of high multiplication molecular biology tools, uh, just over and over again, wearing masks. Um, all of these things have either never been used before or we already knew that they didn't work. And so I'm just, just piecing them together. You can go and check these things in five minutes if you haven't done already. But when the government lies to you for a few weeks and then it extends to a few months and then for over a year, you know, come on, this is a respiratory virus, they say, that's slightly worse in the elderly and already ill than is flu. It's definitely less serious to those who are younger and fit than is influenza. That's clear from the published literature of COVID-19. So why is it you're still hiding from a threat to your health as a say working age population? It's less of a threat to you than influenza. And you're still being told to run away and hide uh, after, I don't know, 15 months or 14 months, something like that. You must know that this is completely inappropriate um, and something else is happening. And the point is, I am a scientist. Uh, I'm not any good at what I'm doing right now. You know, I have no training whatsoever. Uh, about how to talk to people who are not scientists. But I would say uh, I'm a professional scientist. I've done very well. I've been, you know, really enjoyed my career and I've done well. Um, I, you know, no one is paying me to do this. I'm receiving absolutely nothing except criticism, you know, social isolation from my peers. You know, so what I would tell you, the reason I think you can trust what I'm saying is sincere is that I'm getting, uh, I'm paying to do this, right? I have lost work. Uh, you know, I have had people I've known for decades no longer want to speak to me. Um, so I'm very sincere in what I'm doing. I'm warning you that governments around the world and certainly yours locally is lying to you in various ways that are easy for you to establish. If you choose not to do that, there's nothing someone like me can do about it, okay? You've been subject to propaganda and lies by people who are very well trained in how they do that. And I'm a complete amateur. So I'm simply telling you that if you want to check any one of the things I have said, you will find it to be true. And I would point out to you that if you find 
one thing your government has said, which is clearly not true, I ask you this. Why would you believe anything else they've told you? Don't you think that retired ex-Pfizer guy might have something after all? You know, if I can show you, and I'm going to show you a few things that you can go and check. And if, if I'm right, and I am, then I, I beg of you to no longer assume what you're being told is true. That's the best I can do for you. I can't overwhelm. I can't sweep away a year of highly accurately done propaganda by people who are lying to you. But I, all I can do is point out that they're lying to you and we will go through a number of examples. And it's, it's really in the end, it's up to you. If you would like to stand behind the desk called Comfortable Lies, there's absolutely nothing I can do to stop you. But if you would like to go to the desk called Uncomfortable Truths, which is the one I'm sitting behind, then welcome. I'd like to help you. One of the reasons I went into the commercial sector early on uh, was I wanted to do applied research. I wanted to, find, to be part of teams that would find, hopefully find new cures. Very much. I've always liked applied research, um, how things work, why they sometimes don't, what we could do about that. That's, that's the love of my life. Um, but I had uh, some peers of mine who wanted to do blue sky research. And back in the 80s, I guess they could do that. They could maybe get a position to university and apply for, for grants. And then they could literally pursue things they thought were interesting. Um, and if they made good progress, that would often attract more funding. So they were driving the research. Pharmaceutical industry uh, now, as much as it ever was, uh, still wants to pursue applied research. So some of the methods have changed. But the, but the objective is pretty much as it was when I joined it in the 80s. But my academic friends report things are very different for them in universities. These days, the major funding bodies are uh, still governments, but they tend to decide uh, sort of directional themes, often agreed internationally. And basically, if your research falls into one of those themes, you might get funded. And if it doesn't, you, you, you literally will be starved out because the only other source of funding are large private institutions. So in, in Britain, for example, biggest one is the Medical Research Council, which is basically public money. And the next one is the, the Wellcome Trust, which is a very large uh, endowment and is used to, to drive research that's of interest to its, to, it, to its management. And so, you know, basically over time and more recently, academic researchers pretty much have to toe the line. So if there are certain, you know, thematic areas that are being pursued by uh, private funding or, or endowments and um, scholarships and so on that comes from private foundations. Those are the areas you have to work in. And it becomes quite difficult. Independent research is not only not supported, it's often not tolerated. Uh, and that makes, I think it has made them um, very easily persuaded, should we say, over the last year to do what they are told. And most importantly, um, I've spotted this many times, they won't contest the COVID narrative. So over the last three months, I've spoken to eight professors at UK universities whose discipline includes immunology. And I've discussed with them what I'm going to tell you about uh, virus variants. And they've all agreed with my interpretation. None of them will say anything. And it's because I won't get a grant from the Wellcome Trust or the Medical Research Council has suggested I won't get grants if I speak about this stuff. So I want you to know that the academics in your country um, are, are easily pushed around, frankly, by both politicians 
uh, and people with lots of money. Then in summary, the main change I've noticed over the last probably 40 years really is that university research has moved away from being uh, directed mostly by the head of a department and individual researchers uh, and to be now much more directed from the centre, from, from governments and from those that provide most of the, uh, the grant funding. And uh, it's, it's, to, it's to be regretted, I think. There are obviously some advantages. It, it means that the resources of a country do get focused in certain areas and who, who's to say that they're not the right ones. But I think the key thing to note is that the academics are no longer independent. So if you expect a university professor to be knowledgeable, yeah, they probably are. But if you expect them to be honest and independent, then you're naive because they've got to pay attention to where they're, uh, who's buttering the bread, who's providing their funding, and they're not able to be independent anymore. Um, probably the only people you're going to find who are in, truly independent are uh, former biotechnology CEOs, people like me. So I'm not a member of any club. Nobody pays me. Uh, and maybe some retired academics, most of them still won't speak out because they still have connections to their old departments. They might be have an emeritus position. So there are very, very few truly independent people. And the rest are um, you know, subject to the influences you would expect if money comes from a very small number of sources. And it's quite it's quite different from a few years, from a few decades ago. So one of the really seriously and upsettingly misleading kind of themes that you hear very often uh, is the, the implication, uh, perhaps even the statement that what gives you immunity to something, some infectious disease is whether you've got antibodies to that thing. And, and I think they, they have done that because most people think that antibodies are what confers immunity. And certainly antibodies are quite important uh, against certain infections, certainly bacterial infections. If you don't have antibodies, uh, it can be very difficult. Uh, but that's not the only part of your immunity. And importantly, immunity to viruses uh, doesn't really rely on antibodies at all. And I'll just explain why that is. Viruses are really tiny thing, really tiny. And their business is to get as quickly as they can inside your cells. So they bind to a receptor on the surface and inject themselves into your cell. They're inside. Antibodies are big molecules and they're generally outside your cells. So just think about that for a moment. Antibodies and viruses are in separate compartments. The virus is inside the cell. The antibodies are outside the cell. So I'm not saying antibodies have no role but they're really not very important. And there have been, this has been proven. There are some people in whom a natural experiment has occurred. They have a defect and actually don't make antibodies, but they're able to fight off COVID-19, the virus SARS-CoV-2 quite well. And the way they do that is they have what's called T-cell immunity, cellular immunity. And there are uh, cells that are, that are trained, as it were, to detect virus-infected cells and to kill those cells. And that's how you defend yourself against a virus. So all of these um, mentions of antibody levels, it's just bunk. It, it, it is not a good measure of whether or not you're immune. Uh, it, it does give the idea that you, it does give evidence that you've been infected, but their, their persistence is not important to whether you've got immunity. Um, and so I feel I've noticed uh, the emphasis on antibodies, I think, is, is, is really a psychological operation to convince you, member of the public, uh, that you do know that it's antibodies that confer immunity. And so when they fall away, well, you must be 
losing immunity. I'm sorry, it's not true. Uh, there are multiple arms of your immune system and what's almost never talked about is T-cell or cellular immunity. It's not a new thing either. We've known this for decades. So it's not like uh, maybe there's something about T-cells. You know, it's being implied that um, you know, T-cells are a kind of recently come on the scene and, and maybe there are questions about how important it is. Absolute rot. We've known about T-cells for decades. They were clearly in my undergraduate textbooks and we've known about their importance in defending you against respiratory viruses since probably the 1970s, certainly the 1980s. So don't believe anything where people suggest to you that their role is uncertain. That's just bullshit. We've known for a very long time that they're absolutely central. Um, and you know, I would like to explain why um, the, the virus variant story is, is just yet another lie and it involves T cells. Your immune system has multiple components to it because you are susceptible to infectious threats of various kinds, parasites, fungi, bacteria, viruses. Those will be the main categories. Well, obviously they invade and threaten you in completely different ways. It would not be surprising then to learn you've got you know, four or five different arms of the immune system, innate immunity, mucosal, antibody, T cells, and, and complement. There are all of these different wonderful systems that are integrated one with another because you, you, it needs to defend you against all sorts of different threats in the environment. And what I'm telling you is that the emphasis on antibodies in respect of respiratory viral infections is, is wrong. And you, could, you can establish that quite easily by doing some searching. Uh, and therefore, once you've established that for yourself, then you'll probably realize, well, why do they keep telling us about antibodies when they're probably not very important at all? Uh, and why aren't they talking about T cells that are well established to be that which maintains uh, you know, the defense of your tissues? When this virus uh, was first being talked about before it kind of landed in each of our countries, I think we were given, we were given exaggerated suggestions of exaggerated risks. You know, early on, people were talking about maybe 3% of people who were infected would die, which is truly awful. Um, something like influenza, uh, it's normally thought to be about 0.1%, one in a thousand. But even that doesn't give you any idea of, the, of your relative risks. And let me just tell you, um, you know this anyway. The older you get, the lower the chance that you'll make your next birthday. So if you're 60, as I am, uh, statistically, I've got about a 99% chance of making my next birthday. But by the time I reach my mid 80s, you know, it's uh, maybe maybe only got about a 50% chance of making my next birthday. And inevitably, you reach a point where you, where you, you know, you don't turn the cards over. And if you think of the, the risk of dying for having been infected by influenza, um, frankly, the older you get and the iller you already are, uh, the greater the risk that that will be what carries you off. You know, something has to. And this virus that causes COVID-19 is pretty much like that. It's just, it's a slightly bigger risk for you. If you're above 70 and already ill, it is a bigger risk to you than flu. Not a great deal more, but it's, wor it's slightly worse. But the corollary is also true. If you're younger than 70 and you don't have prior illnesses, it's less of a risk to your health than is influenza. So it's just absurd that you should be happy or willing to let your economy and civil society be smashed 
for something which represents for almost everyone who's working a lower risk than influenza, but that's true. Given this virus represents at worst a slightly bigger risk to the old and ill than does influenza and a less risk, a smaller risk to almost everyone else who's younger and fit. Uh, it was never necessary for us to have done anything. We didn't need to do anything. Lockdowns, masks, mass testing, vaccines even. Um, there are multiple uh, therapeutic drugs that are at least as effective as vaccines are. Uh, that are, They're already available and cheap. So inhaled corticosteroids that are used in asthma uh, reduce symptomatology by about 90%. A study that's published this week. Um, an off-patent drug called ivermectin. Uh, it's one of the most widely used drugs in the world. Uh, is also able to reduce uh, symptoms at any stage of the disease, including lethality, by about 90%. So you don't need vaccines and you don't need any of the measures that have been introduced at all. So it's not just a shade of opinion here. I would say objectively, none of those things were ever required. And yet governments and their scientific advisors have lied to us for a year. And I think they've just produced you know, mayhem, potentially sort of fatal damage to our economies and civil societies. So of the things that your governments and advisors have misled you about, I think most severely and honestly frightens me and is, is the catalyst for me making these recordings is the issue of virus variants and the following issue, the related issue of uh, top up vaccines or variant vaccines. So let me just quickly explain. This is really, really critical to your very survival. It's quite normal for RNA viruses like SARS-CoV-2, when it replicates to make typographical errors, that's what it does, typos. Um, it's got a very good error detection, error correction system, so it doesn't make too many typos, but it does make some. And those are called variants. But it's really important to know that if you find a variant that's most different, sequence identified in Wuhan, uh, that that variant, the most distance, is only 0.3% different from the original sequence. So I'll say it another way. You find the most different variant, it's 99.7% identical to the original one. And I can assure you, and I'm going to explain why I'm sure, that that amount of difference is absolutely not, not possibly, able to represent itself to you as a different virus. That's what people are leading you to think, that maybe variants will escape your immunity, either caused by a vaccine or by natural infection. Absolutely. So why do I know that? Well, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, there was a virus called SARS, uh, which is actually very similar to SARS-CoV-2. It's 80% similar to SARS-CoV-2. And there were some experiments done last year where they found people who'd been infected by SARS 17 years earlier and asked them to donate blood, and they did. And there were tests done on their cells in that blood, and they wanted to know were the circulating immune cells still able to recognize SARS 17 years later, and they were. They all still had memory T cells circulating around their body. That's great. That's what I would have expected. They also did a really important experiment. They showed those same people's T cells, the new virus, SARS-CoV-2. And unsurprisingly to me, they recognize that new virus. And that's because the new virus is 80% similar to the old one. 
20% difference. So just to say again, a 20% difference was not enough to kid these people's immune system that it was a new virus. They easily recognized it as a sibling, a brother, a cousin of something they'd conquered already. So when your government scientists tell you that a variant that's 0.3% different from SARS could masquerade as a new virus and be a threat to your health, you should know, and I'm telling you, they are lying. If they're lying, and they are, why is the pharmaceutical industry making top-up vaccines? They are making them. You should be terrified at this point, as I am, because there's absolutely no possible justification for their manufacture. But they're being made, and the world's medicines regulators have said, because they're quite similar to the original vaccines, the ones that are being given now, uh, we won't be asking them to do any clinical safety studies. So let me just say again, the variants are not different enough to represent a threat to you. So you do not need to top up vaccines, yet they are being made and the regulators have more or less waved them through. I'm very frightened of that. There's no possible benign interpretation of this. Um, I believe that they're going to be used to damage your health and possibly kill you. Seriously, I, I can see no sensible interpretation other than a serious attempt at mass depopulation. This will provide the tools to do it and plausible deniability because they'll create another story about some sort of biological threat and you'll line up and get your top up vaccines in a few months or a year or so later, you'll die of some you know, peculiar explicable syndrome and they won't be able to associate it with the top up vaccine. That's my belief that they're lying variants so they can make uh, damaging top up vaccines that, that you don't need at all. And I think they'll be used for malign purposes. And if you don't wake up, that's what's going to happen, I think, during next year. I have heard a lot of people worry about uh, the origins of this SARS-CoV-2. Um, I don't have a particularly strong opinion about it because the evidence you know, looks both ways and so on. But it's very important that you know that uh, it's not true that we don't know a lot about it. We know an enormous about it, enormous amount about it. Um, it's very similar to a virus that people have been infected uh, and survived before. In fact, it's a lot less lethal than SARS. It spreads more easily, but it's a lot less lethal. And we know that the people it injures and kills are only people who are elderly and or ill, usually both. Um, and so we're talking about less than 0.1%. It's been moving through our communities now for well over a year. You know, it's not some mysterious thing that's going to just leap out from behind the cupboard. It's a straightforward respiratory virus. Most people have completely ample immunity to repel it. Uh, and I'll tell you a few things about it. Once you've been infected, you're immune. There's no uncertainty about it. It's been studied hundreds of times now. Lots of literature has been published. So once you've been infected, often you'll have no symptoms. Uh, you are now immune probably for decades. That would be my default expectation for decades. It's simply not true that the variants that it throws off as it replicates are sufficiently different from each other to represent any threat at all. It's not even unlikely. It's impossible based on uh, the thousands and thousands of variants that have been formed. They're all very, very similar to the original. In fact, I joke about them and call them samients because they're so similar, you might as well see them as the same. Um, so you've been infected, you'll mostly survive unless you're very close to death anyway. 
you're then immune probably for decades, possibly for life. It's not true that, that uh, the variants represent any kind of threat. It's not true that you need a top up vaccine. Most of you don't need a vaccine at all. Most of you would be well advised to stay away from experimental uh, uh, vaccines, unfortunately, that do come with a, a blood clot risk. Why would you take a risk with your health for something that's not a threat to you? So I'm, I'm particularly troubled at the moment by uh, the repeated mention in the media and by all sorts of people of so-called vaccine passports. Now, um, the only reason we've ever had uh, passports for certain for immunizations previously been immunized against certain diseases uh, are those when the disease is extremely lethal, something like yellow fever, and when you might otherwise bring back to a community that has no immunity whatsoever a really dangerous pathogen. So if you want to go to certain parts of the world where yellow fever is present, you need to be vaccinated, one, to protect you from a disease that might kill you, and two, to make sure you don't bring it home to people uh, in a community where there's no yellow fever, and so of course there's, there's no immunity to it. You might have a little card that says you were immunized once for life for yellow fever. That doesn't tell you you need a passport against a common and garden respiratory virus. Let me just explain why. If you're an elderly and vulnerable person, you've chosen to be vaccinated, you are now protected against that virus. It doesn't matter what anyone around you is doing, whether they've got the virus or not got the virus, you've got your armor on. You don't need to see anyone else's vaccine status. You don't need to know anything about them. If you're a younger and fit person, you've looked at the literature and decided rightly, you don't need to take uh, a vaccine because you've got perfectly good immunity of your own. You too don't care what the immune status of anybody around you is. So you don't need to know vaccine passport status. So I've just explained someone who's been vaccinated doesn't need to see someone else's vaccine passport and someone not vaccinated doesn't need to see anyone else's vaccine passport. They don't provide you with any safety at all. They're not required at all. What they provide though is complete control over your movements to whoever controls the database that your vaccination status is connected to. Let me just quickly explain it. I hope you grasp this because this is not optional. This is what's going to take over your life in a way that uh, George Orwell in 1984 didn't even dream of. Imagine you've been vaccinated and you've been awarded a vaccine passport on an app. It's going to be the world's first database that contains your name, a unique digital ID in the same format as absolutely everybody else on the planet, on the same database, and it'll have like an editable health related flag that will say thumb up that you've got you've been vaccinated or maybe a red flag if you haven't been. Now, the algorithm that the rules that works out what you can do with or without your vaccine passport, that's what's going to control the rest of your lives until you die. So you might think, oh, that's an exaggeration. They're only going to need vaccine passports perhaps to enter a sports ground or, or a big public building like a museum. That's, that might be true initially. But imagine if they say, um, now you need your valid vaccine passport to enter any large um, you know, shopping complex. Uh, and then every large store, that's going to provide a coercive, a coercive pressure 
on people who've chosen not to be vaccinated. They'll have to get vaccinated. Now, it's an illegal thing for your government to coerce you to accept any medical treatment. And it's against the Nuremberg Code that was put in place after the Nazi doctors were convicted of performing experiments on, on people, including lethal experiments. That prevents you coercing people to take experimental therapies because then now they're taking part in a medical experiment against their will. But if this vaccine passport system is up and running and you're told, say, that you can't enter any shop at all without beeping your vaccine passport, now you can't enter any retail establishment. You can't control what those rules are. You've no idea who's setting those rules. Don't allow this system to come into force. It's going to be used to coerce you. And let me just give you another example. You know those variants and the top-up vaccines I spoke about? I believe if you allow vaccine passports to come into force, you'll be pinged one day and it'll advise you to go to the medical centre to have your top-up vaccine. And if you choose not to, your vaccine passport validity will expire, which means you won't be able to enter a shop. You may not eventually be able to use your bank card or somebody needs to do is set a rule that says as after a given date before any bank card can be used a vaccine passport has to be beeped onto the card reader so just take it from me you don't need vaccine passports they provide nothing whatsoever to you or anybody else in relation to safety but it will give away to whoever controls that database and the rules complete control over everything you do. Let me give you one last example. You're owning this vaccine passport and it pings. And in addition to advising you, you need to come to the health center for your top up vaccine, perhaps your second one in, in a year. Uh, it also advises you that you need to bring your small grandchild down because your daughter hasn't brought the little lad in yet. And they say, if you don't bring that grandchild down, your vaccine passport will expire and that of your daughter as well. Now try resisting that. Simply think. This system is being put in place using lies and it's being put in place using lies for some purpose and I believe that purpose is complete totalitarian control and I think the purpose of that is going to be mass depopulation. I can't think of a, a single benign interpretation for the simple creation of these top-up vaccines, let alone the lies that surround them. And I'm absolutely terrified that the combination of vaccine passports and top-up vaccines is going to lead to you know, mass depopulation, deliberate execution, potentially of billions of people. You can stop it once you've heard what I'm saying, even if you like the idea of vaccine passports, put the damn thing in place using written records or something. Something that'll, you know, allow you, you know, to 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 show you've been vaccinated, but do not allow it to be on an interoperable, global, fixed format database, because that will be the end of human freedoms. And it's I just see no way of recovering from that once the system's up and running. The frustration I feel is that we simply can't get this information to very many people, and a very few of the people who will even hear this will do anything with it. That's why I'm literally at the end of my tether. Um, I've tried and tried and tried, and I can see that the, the people running this have played an absolute blinder. They've, they must have thought about it for some time. Uh, and they basically, they've used a relatively small number of lies, which they've chosen to be quite 
close to something that's plausible. Um, and then they've just, you know, pounded this script of half a dozen points relentlessly. And the only other thing they've needed is to frighten people to death and then censor everybody else. That's all they've needed to do, really. Simple story, repeated censorship and fear. Uh, and here we are. So it's just remember, we're subject to censorship. So, of course, I'd been busy as hell. And of course, you'd never have heard of me. This is the problem now. Almost no one has heard of me or anyone speaking similarly. Almost nobody. You know, I'm it's just amazing that uh, but it's, it just shows how. In fact, one of the reasons I'm very disappointed um, is I've, I've had a sort of realization over recent weeks that it really doesn't matter what we do. If we, if we do the things that those operating this uh, global fraud expect, we will lose. They already know we'll do these things. They've They've mapped it out. And they've worked out what are the things that are most likely to happen. It'll be, well, there'll be some noisy individuals. Well, as long as we can control the amount of the share of voice they get, then we don't need to be worried about them. And I, I'm worried that I've done absolutely nothing that differs from what they have already modeled and wargamed. And that did not work or they wouldn't have moved off with this plan. So unfortunately, the conclusion I've got is uh, collectively, we need to do something unexpected. And if we do expected things we will lose um, that's a bit pessimistic but forgive me i've been a research scientist in my life not a propagandist it's only recently i've realized that i'm you know in a trap really, that i'm doing i'm playing my role as a almost like an icon in their game i'm a representative of a tiny number of people who'll be noisy and they're fine with that government knows who i am i know people in the government um and i've been advised they knew who i am uh, but they won't do anything because I'm ineffective. They haven't left me alone because I've, I'm off target. They've left me alone because they know I can't reach anybody. Uh, I, I briefly worked with the uh, the UK chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Balance, when he was, uh, as I was, uh, researchers in the Wellcome Research Labs in about um, late 1980s. You know, um, I know who he is. He knows who I am. But they leave me alone because I'm ineffective. If I become effective, that would be different. But I think they're not worried because they have complete control of the mass media, TV, radio, newspapers, Internet. And the only people who will see me are really people already looking for information. So I, I doubt I'll convert very many people because people who need to be converted are not looking. They're, they're looking at main media and that message is completely controlled and hermetically sealed. So if we carry on doing the same things, we're just playing out our expected role in a simulation that whoever's running this has, has already thought about. So I don't want to worry you, but it's probably true, isn't it? My hope is that, for example, um, I think the United States, uh, God bless its uh, uh, federal system, you've, you've shown diversity. Some states have done different things from others. And so I think it's quite useful because the people, not just in the US, but uh, outside it can see that it hasn't, hasn't made any difference. You know, if you're South Dakota or Florida or California, it's all pretty much turned out to be the same. So the measures that have been put in place are unnecessary and have made no difference except to worsen the outcome for the people who live in those states. It's destroyed the economy and civil society and probably cost people their lives by depriving them of ready access to normal health care, which has been kind of smashed by our responses to this virus. 
But in the European countries, unfortunately, in every country, whatever set of measures they chose, they were uniform, north, south, east and west. And so we never had any opportunity to see what would have been the counterfactual. And so each country is pretty much hermetically sealed. And, you know, whoever's running this has com complete control of the message and the medium. Something very important for you to know. The vaccines uh, that based vaccines are they're not approved by any medical authority like the FDA, European Medical uh, Agency, Medicines Agency. They are available only what's called an emergency use authorization. So if there wasn't an emergency, they simply couldn't be administered at all. But it's very important that you know that they are emergency use authorized only. That is, we don't know very much about them. We don't know anything at all about the potential for long term side effects. So if it turns out, for example, um, that they induce cancer in one in 10 people, I don't think that's likely. But since we don't know anything, anything's possible. Right. So. It's inappropriate to be giving these uh, to more than the most vulnerable people. So when they first were emergency use authorized and they were to be used only in the elderly and already ill, I, I could understand why they were doing that. But when in the UK, the government said, now we've got the list of everybody else all the way down to the age of 18, that we want all of them to be offered the vaccine. And it's clearly more than an offer. Uh, and now uh, they're even running studies in children who don't suffer from COVID-19. Not a single child in the UK who was well caught this virus and died. Not one. But there are 10 million children, 10, who I'm confident they're going to be wanting to vaccinate. Now, this is completely wrong. You know, there's simply no basis for doing this. It will result in injury and death of some people. Every medicine has some side effects. So you would never use it on scale unless the people receiving it were at risk of the of the illness and they're not. So uh, you'll notice if you ask some friends who've been vaccinated, ask them, were they informed in writing that these are experimental medicines that have not yet been approved? If you weren't, you were administered an experimental agent without your consent. That is contrary to the Nuremberg Code, a code put in place after World War Two recognizing the foul human experiments performed by Nazi doctors. Uh, the Nazi doctors, by the way, were pretty much all hanged for their crimes against humanity. And I'm sorry to say that uh, NHS doctors who are administering these agents to people who are not at risk from the virus and are not telling them that they're experimental are also breaching the Nuremberg Code. And I believe they're doing it knowingly. And I think there should be a Nuremberg too. And I think those physicians should be tried on those charges and appropriate sentences handed down. So if you're one of those physicians, I hope to be around to see you in the court. This is certainly a time for people who know or suspect that what is being said to you by our politicians and scientific advisors is wrong. It's time to stand up and say, no, withdraw your consent. There's something awful happening. You know it. Those people of you who are listening to me that you've suspected for some time that, that this isn't right, don't look away.
don't look away. It's time now to find other people like you who are not quite sure, but really suspicious. Find somebody else and talk to them. Because if you find someone else who thinks, God, I'm glad you said that because I've thought this is lies as well. Then the two of you can go and find a third person. And just ne once you've woken up and realized you're being lied to, it's very, very frightening. You don't have to do anything with that at first, except don't forget that realization. Find someone else who also feels the same. Don't be afraid to be a little bit wrong. The people around you don't know any better, do they? If they're experts, well, they're probably not going to be, uh, then they would be able to tell you what I'm saying is true. And if they're like you, suspicious, but they're not really experts, then they're not really going to be able to tell you you're wrong. So if you think something's wrong, you're right. Go and find someone else who feels the same. Never look back and accept what the government's telling you. Um, it's your last chance to rescue your own liberty and that of your children and grandchildren. It's going to vanish. So if you're suspicious, if you're frightened, if you think something's up, you're absolutely right. This is our last chance. I think we're in the last few weeks in the UK of liberal democracy and vanish forever. So, you know, take your courage in your hand. The worst that will happen is someone will laugh at you. It's not a big deal, is it? Find someone else who's also suspicious. And if you find that person, go and find yet other people. You don't need to do anything violent. You just need to say, do you know, stop. I'm withdrawing my consent. This is a stupid experiment. We've had enough now. End of story. Go back to normal life. That's all you need to do at the moment. It's so astonishingly simple. Normality is literally at arm's length, but it won't be soon if the vaccine passport system is voted in by our corrupt people in Westminster, who are also stupid, that will be the end of liberal democracy. And I don't think there's any way out of that will be standing at the gates of hell. All right, Dr. Yeadon, more good stuff. PlanetLockdownFilm.com, that's PlanetLockdownFilm.com. Take a quick break. I've got some more video here for you. If you guys want to uh, go ahead and uh, join into all of this, you can do so. Just share the app, rockoftalk.tv. That's rockoftalk.tv. And uh, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, um, you can download our great app at rockoftalk.com as well. 821 here in the Kiva. We're going to take a little break from, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro, I think, at this point. Uh, but uh, back in about five minutes, more great talk when we return here in the Kiva. AM 1600KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Want the honesty, affordability, and reliability of a household plumber without the crack? Call Rogers Plumbing and Heating, family-owned and operated since 1973, for all your plumbing needs. Reaching Albuquerque, Baylor, Moriarty, Santa Fe, New Laguna, Pueblo, and anywhere in between. Rogers Plumbing and Heating is not only fast and reliable service, being family-owned and operated since 1973 means they always put their customers first and hold each of their employees to the highest moral, professional, and ethical standards. So when you need a fix without the crack, call Rogers Plumbing and Heating at 243-9703. Music is the great communicator on MakeUsGodlyAgain.com. Sometimes we pick me up. MakeUsGodlyAgain.com. Bad credit? 
Fixed at Credit Rescue, Inc., our services have been used by mortgage companies, banks, and auto dealerships to help people who have been turned down for credit. Don't spend the next 7 to 10 years as a victim of high interest. Remember, knowledge is power, and you now have a way to get back your credit worthiness. Bad credit can haunt people for years. Let's rescue your credit at Credit Rescue, Inc. Call me, Mike Ramos, to set up an appointment today at 505-899-1448. That's 899-1448. Pet Food Gone Wild, located in Rio Rancho. Pampering your pets with a full-service dog wash. Pet Food Gone Wild, two stations for one to three dogs at a time. Cats, too. I'm Susanna, owner of Pet Food Gone Wild, ready to solve pet anxiety from summer thunderstorms. Come into Pet Food Gone Wild for calming treats. 10% off. Pets.theplaceilike.com. Get your mobile coupon and tap to call Pet Food Gone Wild at Pets.theplaceilike.com. No matter where your journey starts, it will end at Ann Matthews Bridal, where you will get to say yes to the dress. The Ann Matthews selection from nine top designers, including the Disney collection to 18 different lines, brings the shopping experience of New York and Dallas right here to Albuquerque. Call 890-3736 for your own personal shopping experience. Ann Matthews Bridal, 890-3736. Located across the street from Coronado Center at 6121 Manal Boulevard. The Rock of Talk TV is now available on your computer or for Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire. To download your version, just visit rockoftalk.tv and go to the app section to get the download link for Rock of Talk TV. All right, 824 here on a Friday evening on this Labor Day. For those of you not going anywhere, I'm right here with you. And I am Eddie Aragon running for mayor, so just letting you know a little bit of information, uh, certainly there. And uh, each and every person out there, you're welcome to go ahead and text me directly, 550-5500. I'll be able to go, uh, bounce you back some information. So uh, several people have requested the the uh, debate that we had last month. Nobody has talked about a debate whatsoever. Apparently, we're getting blocked absolutely everywhere um, with the uh, campaign, and that's fine. You know, it, there's only things that we can actually do, and people are going to continue to dump my name uh, everywhere they can, but uh, you're going to let people know it, uh, and I can tell you we've got a tremendous amount of support out there. We appreciate everybody who is uh, helping uh, our campaign. So... Without further ado, we're going to play the one-hour-long campaign event, uh, which uh, happened uh, from the Near North Valley Neighborhood Association, and this is the debate. So we're going to go ahead and uh, go directly to that, and this was a debate that took place, uh, I don't know what, August uh, 20th, I believe, roughly right around there. So uh, here it is. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Back in one hour and uh, more great talk. If you have any requests, things that you want to play, Go ahead and let me know. 550 Donate directly at fightfor505.com. That's fightfor505.com. Candidate Eddie Aragon. He's the owner of a radio station and a talk show host. Welcome, and how are you doing this evening, sir? Good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm Eddie Aragon. I am the owner of the Rock of Talk, which is an AM radio station here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm 11th generation New Mexican. 
father hey, of two. We're going to get to your opening statements in just a okay. sec. I, I, I just wanted to do a sound check. Uh, here. Okay, I didn't know. I thought we'd start right off. Thank you. There, but uh, we'll get back to you in just a sec. Candidate Manny Gonzalez is the Bernalillo County Sheriff. Welcome this evening, sir. And how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and we can hear you just fine. Thank you so much. And finally, candidate Tim Keller is the mayor of Albuquerque. How are you this evening? Good evening. Good to see everybody. All right. Thank you so much, and we can hear you as well. So to start our discussion tonight, we would like each of you to make an opening statement, introducing yourselves and your campaigns. We will do so in alphabetical order uh, one more time before we start switching things up. You each have two minutes, and we will begin with Mr. Aragon. Take it away. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mr. Rice. I appreciate it. Uh, I am Eddie Aragon, as I stated before, 11th generation Mexican. Care deeply, as uh, do all of our candidates, about uh, this great city, which is why we're all running for mayor. And uh, I'm excited about the opportunity. And uh, I'm the father of two, a graduate of St. Pius X High School, uh, a student of both uh, public and private school, and a graduate of the University of New Mexico with degrees in uh, political science and economics. And I got to tell you, uh, looking at the state of our city, the state of our state, but particularly the largest population in the entire state, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, we have suffered. And I know that we are all going through this, uh, both uh, due to the uh, corona pandemic, uh, as well as the lack of economic growth that that is not just brought on, but th that has been induced uh, even before that lost decade that we have all uh, inherited. I'm just going to make a brief statement about my candidacy and what I'm doing. And uh, we are all about going from failure to first. It's going to take generations. Uh, we're not even an average city at this point. Uh, Albuquerque is a place that I am certainly proud to be from, proud of. But this is a very difficult time to for many people to go ahead and be proud of Albuquerque because a lot of people are picking up and leaving. You know people. I do as well. We have the five C's that we're focused on in terms of our, and of course, we're running the city of Albuquerque. Uh, the two gentlemen who are my opponents uh, are already doing so, and I'd like the opportunity to express my vision on behalf of the city of Albuquerque. The second C, of course, is crime. That's one of the things, I appreciate that, that one of the things that we have talked about uh, at length, uh, record homicides at 86. Commerce, business, as a business person, as a business owner, you've seen that suffer. Uh, and of course, corruption. That has been a huge deal here in the city of Albuquerque. And so when I express my point very simply, the five points, uh, that's what I'm running on here in the city of Albuquerque. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Aragon. Mr. Gonzalez, your opening statements, two minutes. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Sheriff Manuel Gonzalez III. I was born and raised in Albuquerque. Uh, shortly after I graduated from high school, I went to the United States Marine Corps and served there honor honorably and meritoriously. Uh, I have a beautiful family. Uh, in my upbringing, I was raised to have uh, work hard and, and, and serve people. Uh, through that time, uh, after I came back from the United States Marine Corps, I happened to pursue a career in law, and I've been serving there for 30 years. But I've also had the opportunity to spend 20 years. And I'm bringing these two different things I've been very successful in to to the candidacy of mayor. But that's not the way it always was. When I first took office on January 1st, 2015, this very demoralized, second-rate, uh, very poli uh, politically polarized department. And also, the county was facing a major deficit. But I didn't run away from those challenges. 
what I did is we did more with less. And I had a vision and a plan for the sheriff's office. More importantly, I have the success of doing that that no other candidate has had. And I want to be able to transfer those skills to those two ma- or those three major things that my platform's about. One being first and foremost is crime, it's homelessness, and the third is jobs in the economy. That thing would bode more well for this for the citizens who I put first and not politics, unlike other candidates. The leadership that Albuquerque needs to be successful because we need to take this opportunity for everybody to thrive and re- restore Albuquerque to the crown jewel of the Southwest. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. And a quick note, I've noticed a couple of people in the chat saying that they can only see my face on their Zoom feed. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize for that. Uh, you, you, could, you could do better on this Zoom call. Uh, but second, if, if any of the other hosts know if that's a problem we can handle or if that's a problem on, on, on an individual's uh, Zoom uh, you've, you've been given an FYI there. All right, uh, we conclude the opening statements with Mr. Keller. You have two minutes. Thanks so much, Peter, and good evening, everyone. Uh, it's been my honor uh, to serve as your mayor the last four years, and I think folks are pretty familiar with my background, but was born and raised in Albuquerque as well, and uh, have young children uh, attending EPS schools. And when I look back about four years ago, you know, I asked trust me to lead and I pledged that we would face our toughest head on and that we would keep and address root causes on crime, homelessness, jobs and security and that we wouldn't shy away from tough decisions and I think we've honored that commitment and respected the magnitude of those challenges with resolve and dedication not with one-liners and sound bites about how easy it is to address any of this because none of these are easy problems to fix. Now, last year, COVID-19 pandemic also presented a crisis like no other. And we worked hard to make decisions that saved lives and livelihoods and to keep us safe. We're starting to do that again as the pandemic comes back. So we've changed our city's approach to policing with the the, the new uh, community safety department. We also continue our commitment to adding resources, whether it's for diversion or whether it's everyday officers on the street. We stepped up and we have put out a vision and purchased the Gateway Center to find meaningful answers for homelessness. And we also know that we have announced thousands of good paying jobs coming to Albuquerque's working families, more than have been announced in the last decade combined. So with revitalized public safety efforts and what we're doing with homelessness and jobs, I believe this is on top of our nationally leading sustainability efforts. And so now is the time to continue going in the right direction to keep moving forward and hit the accelerator and not move backwards. That's why I'm running for re-election. All right, thank you very much. Uh, question one for the lot of you here tonight is about homelessness, uh, homeless encampments rather, that have become endemic in our area. Uh, they are a problem on several different levels, whether the goal is public safety, clean and walkable environments, appealing parks, a friendly business climate, or indeed a safe place for people without homes to be, the encampments are not helping us get there. What are your plans for dealing with homelessness throughout our, our area? Do those, in plan, do those plans include of officially sanctioned camps, which are sometimes known as safe outdoor spaces? You have two minutes, and we will begin with Mr. Keller. Thank you for that question, and um, 
Let me make sure I know you guys can hear me. Okay. So I support an all the above approach, and I think that's what you need. We have over 5,000 homeless people unsheltered in our streets. And I know that to try and help all of those 5,000 people, you have to do different things based on their unique situation. And so there's several things that we've been doing is number one, you have to reach out and offer help. And that's why we've been increasing our community outreach officers. And that's part of even the new community safety department that we're building. And eventually, though, we still do enforce things like you can't have people camping in dangerous areas. And so we do have folks doing that, but there's a huge backlog. So against this backdrop, though, is, I think, a national situation coming out of the pandemic where homelessness is growing everywhere. And that's why what we have to do is we have to provide somewhere where they can go and where people can take them. And that's the idea behind the Gateway Center. The idea is you've got to have somewhere that's open 24-7 where folks can go voluntarily or our service outreach providers can take them and they can get shelter and then they can be triaged in terms of do they need to have behavioral health services, do they need mental health services, do they need a housing voucher, job training. These are the kinds of things that we know we can offer, but we cannot do that until we have this 24-7 center. And that's why I stepped up after the voters approved it and purchased the old Gibson Medical Center so that we could build that facility. And I will tell you, until we have that, we are not going to make a major dent in our unsheltered population. All right, thank you. Mr. Gallen, Mr. Gonzalez, you are next with two minutes. Can you repeat the question just so I'm clear on it? I'm sure homeless encampments have become endemic in our area. Uh, what are your plans for dealing with them? Uh, and do those include officially sanctioned uh, camps, sometimes known as safe outdoor spaces? Okay, thank you for repeating that question. So we live in a checkerboard community, and I just want to make it very clear that this isn't a national epidemic. We do not have the same issue in Bernalillo County and the unincorporated areas because we have a re very robust plan and service to provide help for those people that are in crisis. I don't necessarily uh, label them as people in as homeless, but there are people in crisis. I happen to sit on the President's Commission for Homelessness, Mental Illness, and Substance Abuse. And you have to be able to screen these people and provide them with the wraparound services that they need in order to identify their diagnosis on their issues. And so you're going to find out through screening and proactive mobilization of resources to include law enforcement, public health, behavioral health, to screen these people to identify the help they need. Because sometimes some of these individuals are choosing to either ingest, smoke, uh, shoot up, uh, fentanyl, and other illicit drugs in our community. And nobody is enforcing public forces to be enforced. Literally, there's thousands of needles at the metro area on a daily basis, and it's a public health issue that nobody's addressed on the state or city level. We will remedy that by staffing and find the services and resources those people need to be successful. All right, thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Mr. Aragon, two minutes. Thank you for the uh, question. We have 1,534 people or 84 people that are out on the streets. Uh, we've become a destination and a haven for homeless people. 
we have catered and coddled the homeless people. And I could tell you right now, at, at this point, the approach that we've taken isn't working, whether it's building tiny houses, eight of 40 that are actually filled uh, due to the uh, fact that they can't get clean. There are certain requirements to get in. We spend an extreme amount of money, and I know construction pretty well from a small business and uh, the son of a contractor, at $950 a square foot. Housing them and uh, taking these guys on and keeping them here isn't helping us. Uh, You certainly have seen the number of people and temporary homeless uh, people generally find themselves in hotels. We've had 11 murders that have taken place uh, here in hotels here across uh, our, our great city. Unfortunately, as we continue this approach where we uh, set up competition by creating more government solutions for homelessness rather than enable the nonprofit organizations and especially the churches out there who are willing to do anything and everything they possibly can to go ahead and bring them in. Uh, most homeless people, and I will tell you, as the uh, grandson of a, a homeless grandmother uh, who was uh, mentally ill, she did not get satisfied and get taken care of until we brought her in. And one of the things that we need more in our city is more love and more caring. Churches are a great place for that, uh, not to mention lots of nonprofit uh, organizations. But when the government and our mayor is setting up competition for them, uh, they won't go there. And he's deferred. My great friend, uh, Jeremy Reynolds, had a lot of problems when uh, Mayor Keller decided to go ahead and step in and start competing with them. So we need to help these nonprofit organizations. Uh, to Mandy Gonzalez's point, they don't need to be audited. Uh, these are organizations that are willing to take them on. And when people have uh, passion, uh, they can ha- actually have purpose in their life and they need to do that for themselves. And we can certainly aid that, but we can't take on the entirety of that problem. We need to stop bringing them into the city of Albuquerque. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Aragon. Right, uh, right on time there. Uh, for our next question, I want to first give a quick note of orientation. We will be asking you all about crime as a general topic in a little bit, but right now we'd like to focus on an extremely local criminal justice matter. Uh, because we understand that the city has made a commitment to create a special public safety district in the area around the new homeless facility planned for the Gibson Medical Center property. This would apparently be modeled after the downtown public safety district, which is a group of several officers who work at dedicated beat in the central business area. What is your position on public safety districts generally, and would you put such a district in the 4th Street from roughly Mountain to Manal, where prominent homeless services have been located for years. You have one minute for this question, and we'll begin with Mr. Gonzalez. So that was in reference to the Gateway Center, correct? And and, and special public safety districts uh, around the Gateway Center and, and potentially for Sure. Uh, after several conversations, I'm fully aware that the tiny village and there's other uh, facilities that aren't being utilized. I, I think we need to be a lot more aware, a lot more uh, responsible when we're making decisions and spending uh, taxpayers' money uh, when there's other facilities that aren't being adequately used. And so I think the strategy moving forward was to make sure that we develop a plan where you get compliance from the people that choose to live out in the streets versus that. So you have to have a very balanced carrot and a stick approach to getting people the services they need in some of those special districts, and then consider maybe repurposing the uh, the Gateway Center as not such a good idea until we can fill and not waste taxpaying dollars on facilities, and again, screen those people for their needs and not just recklessly spend money. 
Thank you. All right, thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Okay, a public safety district for Fourth Street, uh, roughly between Mountain and Manal. Mr. Keller, you have one minute. Very well. These uh, public safety districts have been, uh, they were an idea that I had coming in, and I think the downtown one has really shown how helpful they are. So I think they're a very good idea. I believe in going back to that kind of beak, beat cop model, which is similar to community policing. It's just uh, a notion of a dedicated officers that get to know their community. And so uh, that gets to know their community. And so I think this is a very good idea. And we should do it as much as we can where uh, resources are available. Uh, I'd like to have them all over the city. I would mention that we have 5,000 homeless people unsheltered on our streets. So there is no you know, one particular thing that is going to help them. That's why we need an all the above approach. And you know, I would also mention we already pay nonprofits $20 million to take care of homeless folks, and they are totally maxed out, and they are asking for more help every day. And that's why we've got to do this together as a community. All right. Thank you, Mr. Keller. Mr. Aragon, one minute. I, I don't really understand the response there with regard to the public safety uh, measures or the reference to homeless uh, in terms of the nonprofit. I don't know if we're addressing the previous Here's what I could tell you is that this approach for Mayor Keller has ceased to work. It has not worked at all. Uh, I've seen a number of my videos that have been on Facebook. We've seen the uh, piling up of the homeless people that has happened downtown. Uh, we're, uh, all three of us at this point, are almost addressing it as a blight in the level of criminal element. Um, I don't know that anybody can actually uh, establish uh, or any uh, Burqueño here in the city of Albuquerque can say what a uh, public safety uh, zone actually is or what it even means. It has no meaning whatsoever. Uh, the whole idea of the uh, beat, or as we heard from this morning in the last report, uh by Mayor Keller, put a cop on every corner. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there's no penalties for the criminals, as we know. It's a judicial system. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, be really nice to the criminals. And I got to tell you, approach has uh, Thank you, sir. Um, we've come to question three, and this will be the individual round where we ask each of you a separate question. Um, and this is, this is, you know, if this is a job interview, then this is the time when we uh, ask about your weaknesses, uh, possibly throwing a little chin music in here while we're at it. We will begin with Mr. Aragon. Okay. Uh, nobody would deny your talent as a communicator, but there is much more to city government than making a concise and entertaining point. So far as we can tell, you have never managed a bureaucracy, never held even a minor elected office, and never been extensively involved with the kind of neighborhood issues that so often serve as a training ground for our future leaders. Shouldn't this lack of experience disqualify you from being mayor of Albuquerque? You have one and a half minutes. Well, if you didn't uh, know any about my ground, you'd know that I was the number one real estate for transactions in the city of Albuquerque. I mean, city of Northwest Nevada. I was a top performer uh, in terms of NAOP, working with neighborhoods, working with commercial real estate developers, working with tenants, working with private businesses. These are the people that are the feet on the streets. Uh, working our bureaucracy is about lead manage what we need to lead. I've heard from so many people in the city of Albuquerque who are completely and totally dispirited with the way that they have uh, been trained. I'm a leader. Uh, I don't manage. I uh, teach. I lead giving people ideas and I help people see a vision. Uh, that's what I've always been given. And uh, I can tell you what I've always done, but I can tell you 
And each and every day, I address each of these issues on my radio show. And I carefully consider the, the solutions that are brought to me. What's happening right now in City Hall? No one's listening. Uh, what's happening uh, in our police departments? No one's listening. Everyone thinks that they come in with this remedy about how they're going to take everything or a or a formula. It's not about it. We fail to listen to each other and everybody seems to have the right answer. I never claim I have the right answer, but what I do is I always listen to, uh, to go and make sure that we can execute together. We're all in this together. There's no doubt that my experience both as a business person in this community is well established, and I'm willing to go ahead and take the responsibility uh, for the decisions that I make on behalf of the community, which is something that neither of my two opponents have done. Okay, Mr. Aragon, next we go to Mr. Keller. Crime is, of course, top of mind in our city. Homicides are at a record high, and just last week we saw the horrific shooting at Washington Middle School. Meanwhile, our jail is running below capacity. Drug dealers and thieves seem to be operating with impunity. And calling 911 can sometimes result in spending several minutes on hold. For four years, you have had countless millions of dollars and hundreds of law enforcement officers under your command, yet these problems persist and even grow. Shouldn't this state of affairs disqualify you from being mayor of Albuquerque? You have one and a half minutes. Thank you, Peter. Well, there's no doubt crime is our biggest challenge, and it is exactly what I said when I was in this forum four years ago. And so I think the measure of my leadership is how I've been able to deal with that. Number one is I've been able to continue my commitment to hire 100 officers each year. And that's really important because when I came in, the department had been decimated. And so when you talk about some of the outcomes that you outlined, whether it's response times or whether it's what's happening on our streets, a big section of that is because of our lack of resources. Now, unfortunately, we've had lots of retirements, especially coming out of the pandemic. So we still face that backlog. But I also know that you have to address crime at a root cause. And you can't do that with just a talking point, saying you're going to be tough on crime or saying that you want to fix crime. Real leadership means addressing the problem with the respect for how difficult it is. And that means doing things like the Gateway Center to get people behavioral and mental health treatment. It means creating new departments like the Community Safety Department. And it also means continuing our efforts for reform. It is not a choice. And community trust is also what keeps us safer. And we need a mayor who is committed to all of those aspects, not just one thing. And I think that's what my administration is. Thank you, Mr. Keller and Mr. Gonzalez. Government is all about getting the details right. And yet, two separate investigations have now concluded that members of your campaign including allegedly yourself, submitted fraudulent paperwork as part of an effort to obtain taxpayer-supported campaign financing through the city's clean election system. As sheriff, you swore an oath to, uh, oath to uphold the law. Shouldn't this situation disqualify you from being mayor of Albuquerque? You have one and a half minutes. Thank you for the question. Absolutely not, because ne neither of those complaints have been substantiated. Uh, there's a rule of law we live by. Uh, we trust the process. We're still going through the process. We're still waiting. But here's what's going on. With overwhelming support, why would I need to bother to afford signatures and donations? I could easily get 10 times the number of signatures to qualify. Here's why the incumbent is using his privilege and position of power to disenfranchise a minority candidate from running to replace him because of his political agenda. So for me, I always go first. I have an impeccable career, and 
United States Marine Corps. I have an honorable family. I have an oath to the Constitution. I, I pledge my loyalty to the people of this, this community, and I would never breach that. Mr. Gonzalez, we will return to questions that each of you gets to field in turn. As mentioned before, crime is, of course, a big problem in Albuquerque, so big that it basically requires no further explanation. Uh, but we want to know what you're going to do to turn around if given during the next four years. You have two, and we'll start with Mr. Sure. Well, when it comes to crime, I, I think it's important that we continue the things that I mentioned a moment ago. But, um, you know, I, I think one thing that would help crime is, frankly, if the sheriff would just help us with crime. Uh, the situation is on his watch for the last 12 years, seven years, we've seen the same thing. Crime's just as bad in the county. And so I think we need to work together. And that's why I formed the Metro Crime Initiative. It has every single law enforcement agency in the metro area at its table every two weeks coming up with real answers for violent crime. The only person that doesn't show is our sheriff. And here's what we're talking about. We're talking about fixing and adjusting things like how we deal with diversion, but also how we deal with grand juries and with the CMO order, which we can talk about more if people have questions. But how do we stop that revolving door? How do we fund parole officers, which we desperately need? Because the system needs help, not just APD. And it takes a leader who's willing to take responsibility for our problems, and that's what I do. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to blame anyone else. But I am going to ask for help because there is no way a single person can do this by themselves. And that's why I'm asking the governor and our legislatures and our DA and our AG for help, and they are responding. And so I know for low-level offenders, we've got to bolster diversion programs. But for violent offenders, we have to stop the revolving door. And to do that, you have to work with other people. And I also want to mention that we have a, a large technology investment coming online that's very important. I've invested over $38 million in crime fighting in Albuquerque, and all of those programs, including gunshot detection, are coming online this winter. So we are in a much, much better place as a department than we were four years ago. And most importantly, I'm leading our community together to fight crime. And that's what it's going to take to get us out of this very difficult situation. All right, thank you, Mr. Keller. Mr. Aragon, you are next. You have two minutes. I'm disappointed in the mayor at the very same time that he's saying, uh, you know, we're working together, we're doing what we can. He's uh, bagging on uh, uh, Manny Gonzalez, and there's no way to tell whether or not he is or isn't cooperating. And, you know, what these guys are playing politics. We need to be focused first on crime. This is everyone's problem, no matter who it is. What I can tell you is I can tell you what I'm going to do not going to play politics. I'm not going to let these guys go ahead and fight it out in terms of uh, who's getting the better thing. I'll reduce every category of crime going forward. Assaults, murders, car theft. I mean, how easy is that to do if you just care enough and communicate to enough people? I'm going to force longer detainment of criminals. Jails are empty. There's no bail bondsmen. I'm going to stop making officers do their job over and over. The same criminals every 48 hours. I talk to the APOA three, four times weekly with, uh, with uh, uh, Sean. Uh, I'm going to force longer detainment of drivers with THC in their system. That's something that we can actually do because it's a Schedule One drug. You know, remember, politics transcends culture. People need to understand that. Stage officer pay. Remove overtime. That's $20 million right now. These guys need to have balanced lives. There's over 160 uh, 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 officers who are making over $100,000. That's crazy in, in a lot of this uh, chief's overtime. 
I'll have a no settlement policy. It's something we should have got a long time ago with attorneys. We'll have the city of Albuquerque protect its officers. We'll block qualified immunity from being operational uh, here in the city of Albuquerque. I will make that happen. We need to support our police. That's job one. We've got to improve the morale of our Albuquerque Police Department. Instead, what you've seen is the outgoing guy, Chief Geyer, and then the incoming guy, Medina. Nobody cares about that drama. While they're fighting and more politics all under Tim's watch, we're sitting here, you know, dealing with the worst uh, crime crisis. I'm going to increase the average salary of APD officers to number one in New Mexico, currently number six. Uh, Tim didn't do that. And I'm going to make every effort to work around the non-cooperation of ICE detainers. I'm going to work with federal agencies behind the scenes to feed them information, to help them crack down on crime and cartel. Thank you. Uh, we conclude this question with Mr. Gonzalez. You have two minutes. Thank you. Crime is the number one problem. It's impacting businesses. It's impacting tourism. It's impacting economic development. We have to wrap our arms around crime and get a handle on it. Nobody has a, a more extensive and comprehensive understanding of this. Nobody's more committed and has fought this, this, this crime for longer than us. And first and foremost, nobody's smarter about it. Nobody's collaborated more. And nobody has reached across the aisle more than I have, even in the attacks politically that I received, even by my own party. But this is my point. I always put people first, not politics. And what we're going to do is we're going to fleece out all the unconstitutional uh, policies that are out there to include sanctuary cities. And we already do cooperate with the federal agencies because nobody has collaborated more and has strategized and has a better relationship, which take decades than I have established with our federal partners. And we are taking people off the streets, the most dangerous and we're taking off literally hundreds of guns and, and tons of, of drugs and breaking up criminal networks, cartels, organized gangs, all these things that we don't bolster about, but we do them on behalf of the city because that's where the problem lies. We've mitigated crime and we have fought crime in the, in the county. We've mitigated to the point where we've been able to jump in and help the city out because People are begging us in the city because the crime's so bad and we've gone to the most marginalized areas, not to the places that would benefit anybody politically, but what was right for the people. And I'll continue to do the same as a mayor. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. And now let us turn to other uh, hopefully less grim matters. As you all know, the city of Albuquerque provides a wide variety of public services and programs, for everything from airports to roads to community centers and even a zoo. Please tell us about three priorities you have for improving city government that have nothing to do with crime or homelessness. You have two minutes, and we will begin with Mr. Aragon. How about just removing art, for starters? It's a bad idea, um, and we've seen that commerce, uh, first and foremost, I think. Go ahead and evaluate what the cost would be rather than uh, be told the propaganda. Uh, that has absolutely been, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Gonzalez talks about the crown jewel. I remember growing up on Knob Hill. I remember going to the pit. I remember going to all these places uh, where we'd go back and forth. The art has absolutely decimated businesses. And I think the costs of that uh, do not outweigh the benefits of uh, raising the, uh, the big flag of Knob Hill and downtown and uh, opening things up. Uh, this newfangled thing that they've uh, tried to establish 
uh, with the uh, Albuquerque Rabbit Transit and $120 million. Um, that That's uh, first and foremost. We've got to look at that. We've got to get rid of that and open things back up. Second, I mean, and this is a huge one, uh, no more public-private partnerships. You know, that's taxpayer money. There's so many things that we could be using that money for, yet we go ahead and we want to hand it to uh, the owner of a soccer team. We want to hand it to Netflix or hand it to those. Uh, no one's done a cost-benefit analysis of what's happening uh, in terms of the economic benefit for the city of Albuquerque. Certainly, we have seen all that uh, everywhere. But a big thing that we could really do is do the third thing, is reuse that for to create better venues. We are a absolute destination. People love the weather, both in the spring and in the fall. And when they come... They want to see great things, not just the balloon fiesta, the music festivals. Um, you know, I'm the rock of talk. You've got the metal mayor. What are the things that we haven't done is really utilize what we have as a city. Our occupancies uh, there at the convention center and the other places, they're lower than 30 percent. That's job one. you got to make that pitch and bring in more money with more things that people want to see. Remember, we have a lot of rural areas around the uh, around Albuquerque. Why not attract people to the city of Albuquerque uh, throughout the rest of the state by really uh, pushing that for more? More live venues, live opportunities here in the and not spending seventy million. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Aragon. Uh, Mr. Gonzalez, you are next. Uh, three priorities for city government that have to do with crime or homelessness. You have two minutes. Absolutely. But first and foremost, outside the mayor's office, I would replace a lot of the political appointees that have high salaries with competent professionals that understand the role of government and understand the action and the positive direction Albuquerque deserves. I would create staffing to provide the services that the people are lacking in any department. So I would increase sales, especially on the business side, with inspectors, licensing. And, and then I would also have policies that make it so to do business, build a house, or develop a, a uh, subdivision. I would review all those type of things aside from it, and then actually use the money when we audit certain programs and fly into beautifying the city because the state of the city from what is in the worst condition it's ever been in the history of Albuquerque. That's gotten worse and, and continues to get worse over the last several years. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, Mr. Keller, to close this question, you have two minutes. All right. Well, thank you. And I, I think um, I want to honor this question the same way uh, Eddie did with some talk about the future and the vision. Uh, but look, I, I just have to say the city is not in the worst condition it's ever been in. Anyone who grew up here in the 90s knows that. Uh, and also, um, just to defend the professionals of the city, I mean, it's okay if you don't like me, that's fine. But uh, Lawrence Rail, Sarita Nair, we have incredible people running the city. And uh, I hope any mayor candidate would uh, continue that tradition. So here's what I would do. I think we need uh, more things for families and kids, number one. And this is something I wanted to do. The pandemic kind of got in the way. But I want to make sure that literally every single person in Albuquerque knows what they can do after school and on the weekend and during the summer with their kids or in some cases without their kids because maybe they have to work or do other things. And we do that now for about half the kids in Albuquerque, but I want to do it for every single kid. The second thing I want to do is uh, I do think we need to lean in and finish the gateway. 
And I will tell you that I'm just telling you, we can't actually fix a lot of these other problems until we commit as a city, regardless of who's mayor, to actually delivering services. And that's just a building to do it in. We've got to do that. The second thing is the stadium is a good debate. You know, my vision of the stadium is another isotope stadium. It will bring people from other areas, as Eddie mentioned. It can be a way to facilitate arts and culture when there isn't a game going on. I view it as a giant outdoor museum and performance space. And I think the city, I know the city, if it happens, will own it. So uh, the team's just going to rent it for their games. And so I do think that will lift us up uh, to a real pride point in Southwest region. All right, thank you, Mr. Keller and Stayon. You're coming up next uh, for the for first for the next question, rather, uh, which is about the pandemic. COVID-19 is, of course, a global problem, uh, and much of the public policy surrounding it is managed out of Washington and Santa Fe. Still, what role, if any, do you think the city has in managing the pandemic? You have one and a half minutes, and Mr. Keller to start. Well, managing the pandemic is a summary of, you know, at least half of everything, if not more, that I've been doing for the last 18 months. And Albuquerque took a very different strategy than many cities, and it was a leadership strategy. It said, number one, we are going to do everything we can to help people during the pandemic. So we fought to bolster the safety net, whether it was issues around eviction, whether it was literally uh, supporting small businesses that would have gone out of business, to rolling out 20 million plus in economic development programs that even included artists and entrepreneurs. It also meant pushing out $300 million in capital investment. That's why you see two new community centers being built on Route 66. It's why you see a giant library on Route 66. It's why you see cranes up for the first time in many years in our city building things, and you see working families being employed. These were all as a result of actions that we were able to take during the pandemic. But also we kept our parks open. We said we have to have places for our families to go. We kept open space open. And we also enforced the public health order, but we did it with compliance. We said, just do the right thing, follow the law, you'll be fine. Uh, we didn't punish people. We didn't shame people. We said we're all in this together. And that's what we're prepared to do again this fall if we need to. Mr. Aragon. As you know, I've been a uh, huge proponent of uh, medical choice and allowing people to make their own decisions based upon what they choose to do. My body, my choice uh, has applied for other things as the abortion uh, capital of the world uh, versus it doesn't apply when it comes to uh, injecting yourself uh, with a needle. Uh, there's plenty of people who are vaxxed uh, and they have made that decision to go ahead and do it. It's not an actual vaccination. So these uh, state health orders that come in, our mayor has not stood up uh, to the governor uh, and neither has our uh, our sheriff. I was thrown out of a a business uh, as they were enfor enforcing mask orders from the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office. Somebody has to stand up and say enough is enough. We've been, quote unquote, leading the charge, but on the bleeding edge of shutting things down. Our local economy has been decimated. We have the highest unemployment rate in the entire country. Uh, Albuquerque itself is not a place for commerce. Uh, at this point, this is what COVID has had on it. But, you know, there is a, a, a public safety component that uh, does have to go ahead and keep people safe. But it also is uh, people's individual responsibility to go ahead and make that decision on their own. We can provide the opportunity. We can you know, certainly provide the opportunity for these people to get tested and vaxxed and everything else. But again, it's their choice and we can enforce certain things that make sense. 
But none of what we've done for the last 18 months here in the city of Albuquerque uh, has made sense. We have shut down our city. Uh, there was no need to comply with many of those orders that have come down. They have seemed absolutely insane. And, and I, for one, uh, can tell you uh, what an ounce prevention is much better than what we've been doing with this uh, COVID of cure. Mr. Thank you. Um, and to close out the question, Mr. Gonzalez, the city's role in managing the pandemic. Well, I, I work for the people, and this is the government of the people. I never have put a political party or political agendas in front of the people's needs. Those are individual rights by each and every person. And so for us, we support those rights. Uh, it's up to parents to decide whether their, their kids need masks. Obviously, in public places, that's another issue. Uh, we didn't uh, get caught up in administrative orders. What was most pressing for people, and we listened to them, and we followed through, is was crime. And I fought crime, and, and our staff fought crime smartly to the point where it got the attention of the Attorney General of the United States and the President. And they, we needed help, and the people needed help. And when they needed help, that's where we delivered it. The pandemic can't have a one-size-fits-all. You need to tailor it for the needs of the people. You can't shut down their businesses. Where This state is already economically the worst in the country. And why would you infringe on people's rights to open up their private businesses, which were ruled in the Supreme Court, at, to adhere to party politics? You have to put people before politics, and I always will. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Our next question is, if elected, will you retain the chief of police? And if not, who would you appoint? We have one minute. We'll start with Mr. Aragon. Uh, great question. And I want to go back and, and, and say, um, without answering it uh, directly yet, that we have to evaluate. A lot of people would look at a guy like me and say, oh, he's just going to clean house and get rid of everybody. I know lots of people who work for the city of Albuquerque. They're big supporters of me you know, my radio station, what I talk about. And uh, I would want to talk to each and every person, uh, police officers. I have a great relationship with the Albuquerque Police Officers Association, you know, the Economic Development Group, the Planning Group. These are all people that I know. And I can tell you very quickly, uh, I'd want to know what their vision. These people have 10, 15, 20, 30 years invested, people who don't want to retire. They care about what they want to do. So I'd love to sit down with uh, Chief Medina, and I'd first want to understand, oh, what has he learned in his long time with the Albuquerque Police Department before just dismissing him outright? We're going to approach everybody as if they care about the city of Albuquerque. We're going to understand their vision. They'll hear my vision. And together, we're going to come up with a solution. But as it currently stands, given the drama between Medina and Geyer, I would probably Mr. have leave. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Gonzalez, you are next. One minute. Yes. In, in my current understanding of the way they've organized this structure of the mayor's office to the police chief, there's another person in between, which is the CEO of the city. Not only would I replace the chief of police, but also would replace that person that's in charge, because those are the exact issues that over politicize a police department, which is supposed to be the neutral body of the government to provide the services that protect people's most sacred things, those are three things, their rights, their lives, and their property. And there can be no, there has to be a direct accountability from the chief to the mayor, and that would be done day one. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Mr. Keller, one minute. 
Sure. Well, um, a couple of things. I think first, um, look, I, I, I really respect and appreciate the concept that these officers have been trying hard to keep our city safe for much of their career. And so I would hope anyone would certainly talk to them, and listen to them. And also, you know, there there are laws that govern our city that the mayor can't control. So the CAO is by charter in charge of all the uh, police officers. So you, can, you can't just eliminate that because you want to. And so I think the long story short is if our crew and aggregate all of the brass and all of the leaders are making progress on crime that's real, are making progress on reform that's real, and they're increasing confidence in the community and in the department, then I will absolutely keep them. All right, thank you, Mr. Kelly. Um, let's move on to our next question here. Uh, and this is, uh, and as you can probably tell, we're, we're getting from, we're going from the questions that were submitted ahead of time uh, to the questions that were uh, submitted during this forum. So it's a, a bit more on the fly right now. Uh, your position on sanctuary cities, we'll give you one minute for that and start with Mr. Keller. Peter, was that? Yes, that was that was for your, your position on sanctuary cities. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, this is another good example. I, I understand if people have different opinions, that's fine. This is a city ordinance. So once again, a mayor can't just wave a magic wand and change everything. But I support our city ordinance. Uh, we're an immigrant-friendly city. I have supported immigrants regardless of documentation uh, since I was a state senator and since I was a state auditor. I take an oath to uh, protect and help everyone in my community. There is nothing in that oath that speaks to any kind of formal documentation. And that's why I honor that oath. And I think it's very important that we have trust between our uh, police officers and the immigrant community. And you cannot have that if you are using anti-immigrant rhetoric, if you're supporting deportations, and frankly, if you're buying into Donald Trump and Attorney General Barr's agenda. That makes our city even less safe. Thank you, Mr. Conner. Mr. Paragon, Sanctuary Cities. I am absolutely in total disagreement with the city ordinance. I would uh, use the bully pulpit of the mayor's office to put the Albuquerque, uh, uh, the people of Albuquerque first. I'm dead set against Sanctuary Cities. Uh, I will continue to repeat that. Uh, we don't need to be one. And I can tell you that Mayor Keller did not cash a $10 million check uh, because he was more focused on playing the politics in, in an election year and was speaking out directly to Donald Trump with the ridiculousness of, of making signs that, you know, we, we nothing's good here from Donald Trump. Uh, let me tell you something. As a Hispanic 11th generation and somebody who knows many people who were legal immigrants who come in, the biggest people who are opposed to illegal immigration and becoming a sanctuary city are legal immigrants. These are people who have worked hard. They've worked through the system. They paid the price because they love this country. And I can tell you right now, putting the citizens of Albuquerque first ahead of the legal immigrants who come in, and you know how they pay their way to get here, uh, we'll be putting... Thank you, Mr. Aragon. Your time is expired. Thank you. Sir. Uh, Mr. Gonzalez, uh, to close out the question on sanctuary cities, one minute. And you're, you're muted, sir. I would go through a legal review and and examine to see if that 
sanctuary city policy is deemed constitutional. If it is not, I would use my executive office and power to remove that through a legal review. And if you want to really look at it from a basic standpoint, a community standpoint, and a people standpoint, this is a minority majority state. And that is a very divisive policy because it pits immigrants against minorities. And anything that pits people against each other is bad. And so I would, I would say we already have United States immigration laws. We should adhere to them, especially as elected officials, because we took a constitutional oath and I've never breached that. So I would make sure that those policies are deemed constitutional. And then if not, we don't enforce them and, or we don't honor them because they would be deemed null and void. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. And our, our lightning round continues. Uh, if voters approve, one of you will begin your term later this year with a standing order to construct a new soccer stadium and at least $50 million with which to do it. Where should such a stadium be constructed and why? You have one minute. Mr. Aragon goes first. It shouldn't. We have uh, other priorities. Uh, there isn't a bond that we don't like here in the city of Albuquerque. Uh, I'm willing to challenge, and I'm glad that it's on the ballot and it made the ballot uh, two nights ago on city council. You will find that the voters are going to be dead set against it, especially in this COVID crisis. There wasn't one game, not one game that was played in front of a crowd in all of 2020. I understand the need for a different venue at a different time. This is not the time to go ahead and construct a new stadium. Uh, if the uh, if we get there, and I don't think that we will, uh, and we're thinking about a place to put a, a brand new stadium as uh, being a former resident of downtown. We'll evaluate that. But as a commercial real estate guy, we'll look at traffic counts. We'll look at everything else. If that's something that they wanted, I can tell you there's nobody better to have a better understanding of what's happening in terms of the attraction. I worked at the First Baptist Church, the Metro Center. I was a commercial real estate broker. I'm going to tell you where the best place to put it. But I can tell you the voters come November are going to turn out in mass to turn down the new soccer stadium at a cost of $50 million to the taxpayers. Thank you, Mr. Aragon. Mr. Gonzalez, one minute. Can you repeat? Uh, yes. Uh, what, where would you uh, construct a new soccer stadium uh, and why in that place? And you're, you're muted right now. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, Mr. Rice. So are you asking me if it's approved or, or if it's, or, or my position on it? I'm confused. Uh, if, if, if voters approve, you will begin your term uh, with more or less a standing order okay. to the soccer stadium. So I'm wondering okay, so where we're going and why. Okay, Mr. Rice. So if it's approved, I would go through into research of where it's, we're going to get the most economic bang for our buck and identify that location for commerce and ensure that it's in the best interest of, of, everybody that's in the metro area, and I would take that approach. So I have people and identify that area, uh, the economic developers of this community, to identify that, that place in Albuquerque. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Mr. Oh, you have one minute. Well, you know, number one is I want to make sure it's a multi-U stadium. I want to make sure that uh, the city owns it just like we do isotopes. Uh, and, you know, I want to make sure that we've got partners putting in real funding, just like we did for the ISOP Stadium. And we did fund a giant study that said it should go 
uh, downtown. And it doesn't mean that's right. I'm actually open to putting it anywhere. But how to understand a little bit of logic about cities. And, you know, most uh, great cities, big and small, even minor league and AAA teams, uh, they have successful stadiums downtown. But I think Eddie raises a good point. This is a real estate transaction. And so if we can't find the available property, people won't sell us that land and get it like elsewhere. Also, I want to make sure the neighborhoods uh, are okay with it and that it lifts up neighborhoods. And so uh, I'm going to be very sensitive uh, to that aspect as well. Hi, thanks, Mr. Keller. Um, next question. The Albuquerque Police Department is in the middle of a court-approved settlement agreement. This topic is of particular importance to the uh, person who submitted this question. Being an impacted individual that has lost a loved one in the middle of a mental health crisis who was shot by the responding department. What are your plans to see APD through the CASA process? Uh, you have one minute and we'll begin with Mr. Gonzalez. So I would work with the leadership of the Albuquerque Police Department and work with the with the monitor and, and, and get compliance. So there's been so many setbacks and so many excuses made is figure out if the monitor is actually complying through a legal review and then set the goalposts because oftentimes we're saying they're being moved. But more importantly is change the leadership, which has been very distracting for the the direction of the police department and the services of the people and hold people accountable there. And make sure that the, the chief of police that we select is competent enough to to support and select the staff and surround themselves with the legal staff and the administrative police staff he needs to get that job done and without any com compromises to public safety. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Mr. Keller, one minute. <clears throat> well, I, I just have to, I, I can't not uh, express that our chief is competent and so is the chief before him. And I, I just wouldn't say that about anyone in law enforcement. You may not agree with them, but they're competent. And uh, I know clearly the sheriff said he's the smartest person on law enforcement. So um, I just disagree. And so, look, here's the deal with reform. Number one is we created the superintendent position to drive that reform and make sure that we had a chief who could focus on crime. I think it's really important to keep that structure. It's innovative and both the officers like it, the reform folks like it. This is the kind of innovation that we need to keep going forward with. And also, none of this is easy. I mean, I would just tell you, you know, I'm the second mayor of this, whoever it is next time, we're the third mayor. To just say that you can wash this away by saying things is <clears throat> a disjustice to the family you mentioned. If this was that easy, we wouldn't have those problems. And so to honor the memory of those who have been victims. You Thank you, Mr. Aragon. Your time has expired. Uh, Mr. Aragon, to close out this question, you have one minute. Thank you. Um, well, uh, Manny does have another year on his term, and he certainly has talked about uh, converging APD with uh, BCSO to alleviate, you know, using cameras, non-compliance, or what have you. Uh, we have seen the hem and hawing that's coming from a lot of people complaining about the DOJ. Look, we've got to accelerate our compliance as quickly as possible. If we're going to complain about it, let's just shut up about it, get fully compliant. But the ACLU sent me a question about this entire thing and said, 
would you continue to do everything uh, that is in place that has been set by the uh, DOJ? And the fact is, no, we're going to run our own police department. So we're going to accelerate, get everything above board. I think we have another five years, maybe four years left on this thing. We need to be fully compliant. That way we can push the DOJ out of here. We can run our own uh, city of Albuquerque police department because it's not being run right. And it really puts an undue stress, handcuffs our officers, handcuffs uh, our ability to have law, law enforcement uh, here in the city of Albuquerque. And look what's happened. Our police officers have been afraid. Sure, to I'm running time is expiring. Thank, Thank you, sir. You. Uh, and we've... Uh I'm afraid we are just about uh, out of time here this evening, but by way of closing out, we wanted to give each of you a chance to give a, a brief closing statement. Uh, it'll be one minute long, and Mr. Keller will go first. Well, uh, great to have a discussion, and I know this is just the beginning. And, you know, I think, look, there's one stark thing that I think it's important people highlight. It's very easy to just say things. It's a different thing to actually understand what a mayor can do. A judge is in charge of our DOJ and our police reform process. A mayor can't fix that, and it's for good reason. And you got to honor that to get things done. I also think just saying we should do things like cut overtime, that would descend our city into chaos. We need overtime right now to adequately police our city. And I also want to think about this notion that you know, the city is somehow different than the county. The county's crime rate is on the front page of the journal. It's just as bad as the city. So, look, I think we need a mayor who's going to keep us moving forward. And he knows the difference between a talking point and actually crafting policy and moving our city forward. And I want to keep rolling out the thousands of new jobs that we lined up during the recovery. I want to step up big for the unhoused by finishing the Gateway Center. And I want to make sure to move forward. <laughs> Mr. Gonzalez, uh, your closing statement, one minute. Yes, Mr. Rice, in closing, I want everybody to take the opportunity for, uh, for this opportunity to join our campaign so everybody can thrive. If people don't want the same results they are getting from this incumbent, they should vote for me, Manny Gonzalez. My track record speaks for itself. Look at what I've done as a sheriff. I've done a lot more with less, less money, less resources. We can do great things with $250 million budgets with the Albuquerque Police Department. I'm asking for the citizens and their support and their vote to restore Albuquerque as a crown jewel of the Southwest. And I appreciate everybody having me on today. I'd like to thank the candidates. Have a good evening. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, Mr. Aragon, to close us out here, one minute. The track record of our leadership, both in uh, in Bernalillo County as well as the city of Albuquerque, is abysmal. That's why I stepped up. I'm uh, here sharing my vision. I want to lead this city out of the doldrums, and we want to go from failure to first. Uh, this isn't about politics. Uh, I love the city. I uh, grew up in Martinez Town. I have two children here, and I want them to be here. I got to tell you, uh, we all love the city, but I know this city better than my opponents. And let me tell you, I'm going to fight for the 505. That's why I want you to go to fightfor505.com. It's not about me. It's not about race. It's not about anything other than the five C's that we're going to focus on, which, of course, is our city first. No one's going to run our city better. We're going to get rid of uh, how we handle COVID here in the city of Albuquerque. We're going to restore commerce. I will tackle crime each and every single day. We do it every day here. And uh, more than anybody, I'm the guy who can battle corruption. So join our campaign. Have a lot of fun. Let's take the city back. Fightfor505.com. Thank you for your time and your invitation. Thank you, Mr. Aragon.